Did you ever hear the story of the Fisher King? and Visions slash Directors Club for a wonderful annual tradition of going back 30 years to examine the year in cinema in depth, at length, and hopefully with some fond memories along the way. It's something I hope to continue to do every year until we reach 1999. And I could never do this alone. That would be quite dull. So uh, several years ago, I asked for some help, and we have two of my favorite Chicago critics joining me. As always, the host of Christmas Movies, actually, the conscientious Colin Suter. Hello. Woohoo. Woo. And the host of Movie Madness, the effervescent Eric Childress. Hello. Have I ever, I wonder if I've used those adjectives before. Probably. Effervescent. I'm starting to run out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just now picturing Jim trying to do an entire year just by himself. Without any help, yeah. Let's hear that show. Not saying you couldn't do it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm picturing that right now. Just going through, like, oh, okay, let's talk about cadence. <laughs> What's happening? I'm no hard Harry. I can't. I couldn't monologue. <laughs> we, we no way. No way. 1992. Let's have him do it next year. Okay, we'll take. Colin and I take a year off. No. <laughs> I'm just gonna have to hire two other critics. I guess. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Peter's fun. That would that would I can get Peter and maybe uh, and uh, Procopi. Peter and Procopi. Peter and Procopi. That's a good sounding name for a podcast. You have to get some P adjectives for them. <laughs> so here we are. That's the letter P. <laughs> we got into our DeLoreans, didn't we? It's 1991. How old were each of you? Anything that stands out? Uh, honestly, this is a year for me that I. It's probably because I think I'm st- I'm still in junior high or I'm just entering junior high, so I've blocked it out. I've completely blocked out this year for me. Like I don't have any strong memories either associated with movies or you know my <laughs> during my teenage years. So I I don't know if anything cool came came to you guys uh, came up for you in 1991. Uh, yeah, to me, it's a big transition year. I, I got mixed feelings about this year because it's divided in 
in halves. Um, the first half is my senior year in high school and I'm about to graduate and I'm still working at the movie theater. And then somewhere over the summer, I quit the movie theater and then I started my freshman year at Columbia college that mm. fall. And I started working at my, the first of many video store jobs. And, uh, it was a really awful video store. I won't even bother naming it, but, um, <laughs> But yeah, and and it's just like it's from here on in with these shows, like and and going back to these movies, like here's where it stops being nostalgic, and it just starts to be like, oh god, this is when I had to like be an adult, you know, <laughs> like high school's over, so like now what are you gonna do? And it's like I spent the '90s making a ton of mistakes, and uh, now it's like, ugh. So the movies aren't going back to these to these years aren't exactly going to be fun for me uh in terms of personal <laughs> life and professional life and school life um and life choices but uh but i'm still i'll still enjoy going back to the movies but uh but yeah here's where my formative oh, yeah. years kind of feels like it stops right here it's it's so interesting that we all have the different perspectives because of our ages on this year because 1991 for me was it was my first my first video store job my first job job ever starting in March of 91 uh, and it was also my it was my 15 slash 16 years old year so that meant driver's license and friends with driver's license so there were a lot more opportunities to go to the movies I didn't need to have someone drive me to the movies anymore. I could just drive myself or drive some friends. Uh, and so there was like an additional excitement now about going to the movies because I could do it all by myself as long as I had the money. Uh, so that that's that summer in particular, when, after I got my license and, and, and friends that had their licenses uh, was a fun time. And plus the video store. So, uh, you know, it was just, it was a really kind of memorable, exciting time even if this year um i think the the theme of a lot of my reviews are going to be like you know a lot of people like this movie and i like it too i just don't like it as much as they do mm, that's interesting hold on i just sipped some iced coffee that's really going to help get me through uh yeah i it's funny because like yeah i think once we get into 93 and then definitely 94 I'll have more stories because that's around the time when I started driving and I started going to different movie theaters and you know that's clearly yeah you mentioned the age difference (laughs) 91 I'm like hmm how come I can't remember anything from this year I guess I was just too busy being tormented in junior high so that's uh that's what therapy is for I'm just gonna like can you help me remember everything that happened in 1991 for me? Uh, yeah, because I, mean, <laughs> I don't think it was all that pleasant. Yeah, I mean, looking at the list this year, it's it, it struck me like I don't go back and watch a lot of these movies. That's I true. mean, there's a lot of great movies, but like I don't go back to them very often. There's like maybe one or two that are you know that I've gone back to a lot. Uh, but really, it's it's kind of like uh, there's so many movies this, from this year that I hadn't seen in 30 years yeah. that are really good movies. I just hadn't watched them, you know, lately. So I I, I I kind of agree with that to to an extent. I think that there are probably a little a few more on my list that I do regularly revisit. But there are a lot of movies that show up on television a lot that just kind of get put in front of me, and I'll, I'll be damned if I'm not going to leave it on 
while while it's on. Uh, and we'll, I mean, a couple of those tiles will be pretty obvious once we get into the summer. Um, but no, I, it's, I mean, I'm just look, trying to create my top 10 list. Again, it was like, like, well, I know a lot of people, including both of you, probably have this movie on your top 10 list, but it didn't quite reach it there for me. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that's how I, that's how I feel about this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the way, Eric, we usually do a top 20. I'm sorry. I forgot to mention oh. that. <laughs> well, I will just, I will just make continue shuffling my list while I have over 20 <laughs> titles that I have written down here. So I will just fuss with them. We're like, Oh, Jim like that. I will move that up on my list. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I will let you guys influence my top 20 list. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Great. <laughs> All right. So you, it'll be your job to try to convince me now during this show to rise the movies up on my list. Mm. It's almost like a draft then. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's up Which to be you. A lot of fun. It should be a lot of fun. Okay. Well, I think we should begin because we know how long this thing goes. Yeah. Not a whole lot to talk about in January, at least on my uh, end. Uh, I only watched like two movies from this month and uh, I would have, it would have been three, but I couldn't find once around. Anywhere. I couldn't either. Uh, and you know that, that might have been a top twenty contender. I mean, I, I really liked that movie, and I, but I haven't seen it in you know twenty five thirty years, and I can't find it anywhere. Uh, that was the one with Richard Dreyfuss and Holly Hunter, and it was uh, I think Norman Jewison directed it. No, Lassie and, Hallstrom. Uh, oh, Lassie Hallstrom. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, really, really interesting script uh, by Marla Scotch Marmo. I think was her name. Um, and uh, a different, much different from always, which you know, the last time they were paired together. Uh, but uh, oh, right. it's, it, yeah. It, yeah, and uh, like Richard Dreyfus is kind of this obnoxious real estate broker guy, is like guru that Holly Hunter sort of you know falls in love with, um, but he doesn't like mix well with her family. Like I just really wanted to watch this again, and I couldn't. But anyway, it's a shame you didn't, because when I said that I had a number of films jotted down for my top twenty, this is one of them. Then one day. Renata met Sam. Let me shake the hand of the first man that my little rosebud ever loved. I'm afraid to excite you any more than I did already. Buddy Duddy sex goddess. Sam, (laughs) who's the guy? Who is this incredibly well-dressed guy? My new boyfriend. (laughs) No, no, come on, who's he really? I, of course, was born in the 40s. That's why I have such intense passions. God! What do you think? I think you should take it slow. That's it. Oh, Joe! <laughs> Imagine that guy on a day-to-day basis. You're going to get plenty of chances to get to know me. <laughs> Does anyone care that Renata's spending day and night with some bozo? And I, and I did. I just I happen to have uh, Once Around on, on DVD, so I did get a chance to, to watch it again. Hmm. And it, it holds up wonderfully. I mean, it is hmm. such a unique... Uh, you know, I mean, you could call it a romantic comedy if you want, but it's it's more like this weird sort of family uh, comic drama with you know, I mean, a normal, you know, a sort of a standard Hollywood movie. We had one a couple years ago with Brian Cranston and James Franco, where the daughter brings home the guy that the father uh. doesn't approve of. You know that you know, the, this is the kind of movie that could be like that, but this movie is so goes far more in depth with the, the family dynamic and these, the particularly the three characters, Dreyfus and Holly Hunter and Danny Aiello, who plays her father in a role that I think could have easily gotten him an Oscar nomination. I think all three of them, uh, if this movie had been released in November or December, 
might have garnered a bit more awards attention instead of getting sort of jammed into January when even 30 years later, none of us want to talk about January of 1991. Uh, but, but this one, it's, it's really, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a funny movie. It's an incredibly uncomfortable movie at times. Yeah. Uh, but you, you, as much as you hate what Dreyfus is doing to this family, you don't always hate him because of our viewing him through Holly Hunter's eyes. And Holly Hunter, I mean, I, I'm right in like 87 to like 90, blah, 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 uh, is my Holly Hunter crush phase. And she is, I mean, she is, I mean, you want to talk about effervescent. She defines that in this movie. She is absolutely luminous in this movie and uh, is really good. And and it's, 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 I mean, it's a funny movie. It's also a very sad movie. I mean, there's some real emotional tugs uh, in in the second hour of this movie, and would, uh, would it fall under the James L. Brooks kind um, of comedy drama? I think you could put it. I mean, you could put it in that level. Um, mm. It's the 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 styles are 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 are, are very different. I think, okay. um, but I think that you could put it as far as like smart kind of triangle type comedies that James L. Brooks kind of specialized in your broadcast news, obviously um, with her father being sort of the third part of, of this triangle. And like the, the, these two men vying for their, the affections of, of this woman and wanting the best for her. Um, and you know, I, I think it's one of Dreyfus's best performances. I think Hunter's <laughs> great. Aiello is great. Uh, Jenna Rollins, who plays plays the mom in the film, it's it's a really smart, smartly written film that uh, I wish you guys had a chance to, to see. No uh, kidding, because I don't think great. I've ever seen it. This is like the cousins of this year. Oh, of yeah. me not, yeah, missing. I don't know how well, I yeah. It. Also, a January movie um, <laughs> that could have gotten some award attention if they had been smarter with it. Well, I mean, I was going to buy the DVD on Amazon and I read some of the reviews of the DVD on Amazon saying it was like a crappy copy that it wasn't like authentic. And I was like, <laughs> well, okay. That's mine. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's what I, that's what I read. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I, I, as soon as this, as soon as it becomes available somehow, I'm definitely going to rewatch it. Cause it's, it's, this seems like a, one of these universal movies that, uh, Kino, uh, because they've, they've been definitely. done a lot of universal yeah. stuff. This seems very ripe for a 30th anniversary release this year. I bet that happens. Yeah. I think the only thing okay. I saw in January was flight of the intruder with my dad, because you know, he loved top gun and he loved anything that had to do with planes and the Navy mm-hmm. or whatever. I remember, reading the book actually by I think it's Stephen Kuntz if that I think that's the name of the author but it wasn't very good um even with that cast it uh it's kind of a letdown it was Top Gun light at the time so and that movie got delayed too that movie was supposed to come out I think in like July of 91 right and it was it was pushed back it was delayed it was dumped into uh um um, January and so, you know, also always Brad Johnson. They, they were trying to make Brad Johnson a, a star at this time, and that just wasn't happening. Um, yeah, not not a good movie. Uh, did, did either of you get a chance to revisit White Fang at all? Both man and wolf must learn the first rule of the wild: survival. And as they grow, 
they will discover that the greatest secret of survival is friendship. Yeah, I think it's a really good, solid Jack London-based adventure with Ethan Hawke. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, yeah, I have seen this, but not, a little, not in a while. Beautifully photographed. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I, th- I thought it was pretty, it's, it's pretty good. I like I like actually like this one yeah. a lot. <laughs> I, I'm actually I, I I was glad to revisit this one because I liked it a lot back then. I sort of grew up with like Jack London books around the house and those kind of adventure stories and westerns, Louis L'Amour and things like that uh, that my dad used to read. And he was a big Jack London fan. And I remember watching this back then. I'm like, this is a really just a, a kind of adventure story you don't get to see a lot of. And revisiting it 30 years later, that we you know we just had the call of the wild last year with the animatronic with the CGI dogs animatronic the CGI you know dog with Harrison Ford and it was just wonderful to watch this movie with real animals bears and wolves and other and dogs and a, a really good I mean Ethan Hawke and you know sort of his next stage of his growing up uh, career. Uh, he's good in it. Klaus Maria Brandauer, James Ramar, Bill Mosley is the bad guys in, in this movie. I, yeah, this, I think this is a beautifully, uh, beautifully photographed, uh, a lot of fun, great adventure, some, some great stuff with, with the animals. Um, yeah, I, I still really like this movie a lot. A movie I don't like very much is called Meet the Applegates, which <laughs> uh, I, I feel like it was just called The Applegates. It was. It, yeah. it, I believe theatrically it was called Meet the Apple Gates, and then on video it was just the Apple Gates. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like what, how that's going to change people's perception of the movie or whether or not they see it, I, I don't understand the logic there. Well, Colin, they figured it, that they already met them, so they don't need to yeah. meet them again on home video. Mm. Um, right. Well, they didn't do that with the Deedles, so, you know, that's I still have yet to meet the Deedles. But, uh, but nobody but I mean, met them. No, but this is a movie where, you know, in the opening credits you have and Dabney Coleman as Aunt B. Cocksucker. Uh, So, you know, you know, you're 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 either on board or you're not. I'm not. Um, Uh, And this is from the director of Heathers, right? Yeah, it's his follow up. Right. Uh, Michael Lehman. And uh, it's not the last we'll hear from him this year. either. That's true. Have a good year. No. Uh, no, this is not a good. This is not a very good movie at all. It, it's it tries really hard to mix like broad humor with social satire about like inv- and, and and you know have an environmental message. Right. But like something like that is much better suited in the hands of like Joe Dante or John Waters. You know, like they oh, could have Joe made Dante, something yeah. good with it. Yeah. You know, um, but I mean. Dante would go ahead and make Mant anyway, so you know, <laughs> he would he would he would make his own uh, human bug movie. Um, and uh, I, I like some of the bug effects in this movie, but um, mm-hmm. other than that, it's it's yeah, not good. It's, yeah, it's pretty forgettable. Um, one one film. I mean, we we're getting into February now, but I wanted to just circle back really quick on in January. Have, did either of you ever see the movie Men of Respect? No. You never, no, you never saw it. Is, you don't even know what it is. Mm-mm. I know what it is. It's okay. the Macbeth with John Turturro. Correct. And, yeah, it was. Yeah. It's the Macbeth movie. It was a gangster oh. movie that was based on Shakespeare's Macbeth. And the only re- the only reason I bring it up is a personal thing because in high school later that or it was, it was the next year uh, for our English class, me and a bunch of my friends basically c- shot a 
Men of Respect Macbeth movie <laughs> for for the class when we were studying Macbeth. And I we use we use Men of Respect as our impetus for doing that. That's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's hilarious. We, there's even footage of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the opening shootout and stuff we put into into the thing is it's it's I, I I do have to say it still holds up. Not men of respect. Our version, our version still holds <laughs> hey, up. I, I want to see it. Yeah, yeah. it's for, it's forty five minutes long. It took us five days to shoot. <laughs> we Fantastic. should get once once this whole pandemic thing is over. Uh, <laughs> it would be wonderful <laughs> to to, <laughs> to like have a uh, you know like a like a little home video film festival. <laughs> where we just uh, watch all of our bad high school movies. That might no, be that fun. would not be fun. No. no. <laughs> I don't know why you're saying that. I want to do that, Jim. I might do that by myself. I'm not inviting anyone over to yeah, do that, though. Right. Yeah, no. Um, but uh, we should also circle back to January because our friend Sergio Mims will be upset if we don't at least mention there was a film called Eve of Destruction. I planned everything but the unimaginable. This one's not going to go away quietly, sir. A bullet for either eye should terminate all motor activity. They controlled everything. Stay down! But the inconceivable. Which should just be called slut shaming the movie. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> Ouch. Did you rewatch it, Colin? Did. I watched it the other night because I hadn't seen it. I don't think all the way through ever. But uh, I was like, well, what the heck? They might bring it up. I want to at least be prepared. It sounds crazy, so why not? And I was just like, holy shit. It's really uh, slush gaming the movie? Well, <laughs> there's a whole scene where where Gregory Hines is telling the woman who creates this android who's like, the android is like going ballistic on her own, like, you know, screw him and then kill him. Uh, yes journey of, you know finding like the rapists from the accused in mm-hmm. a bar and uh taking one of them home and then you know having sex with them and then killing them and she you know he's just all like you know what what other sexual fantasies do you have that i need to know about so i can find this killer you know it's just like dude all right come on um it's not even i don't <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah i don't even know if it's an original premise because there's actually another movie uh Colin, maybe you remember being a video store guy a movie called steel and lace do you remember this movie? I think it was like a robotics engineer. His sister gets like raped and then she either kills herself or dies. And then he brings her back as a robot sort of circa deadly friend. And she goes off on a mission to kill the, the people who raped her. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. yeah. I didn't see that movie. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't watch a lot of direct to video erotic thrillers or yeah. direct to video sci-fi. I kind of just skipped a lot. From yeah. this decade, I should just say. Like you yeah. said, Colin, it was my first video store, so I did a lot of that. Uh, <laughs> no. Oh, I'll watch this tonight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Steel first, and lace. But the first big hit of this year was uh, Julia Roberts' movie called Sleeping with the Enemy. Yeah. Uh, with Patrick Bergen. This is like going into the 90s era of domestic thrillers of, you know, where everything seems nice and normal for the first hour, and then the new boyfriend or the new whatever, you know, slowly it starts to become apparent that they are psychotic or, you know, not mm-hmm. on the up and up. And, uh, Patrick Bergen is ridiculous in this movie. Laura! Partly because he looks too much like Kevin Klein in A Fish Called Wanda this to take him true. seriously. Like, true story. <laughs> oh, you English are so superior, aren't you? Yeah. I kept during the sex scene. I kept expecting him to pick up like Julia Roberts's boot and like hold it up to his face and just start inhaling it. Like 
Kevin Klein. Like, I just couldn't stop laughing uh, at Patrick Bergen at this, but he's supposed to be the menacing one. Um, yeah, and if you're trying to disappear, don't throw your wedding ring in the toilet. Yeah. I, I don't understand that choice. I'm like, just take it with yeah. you and dump it in some random field somewhere or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that was not a good decision. Yeah, I mean, um, she just came out of the ocean, did she not? And like, I mean, like, throw it back in there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, this is one of those movies where all the characters make dumb choices, and you just go, "Come on," you know. Yeah, including but the does, guy she winds up with. But yeah. does give her a, a a shopping montage. That's true. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. they just stick in. Hey, we got the we got the girl from Pretty Woman in here. Let's do a brown eyed girl shopping montage. Was it Brown Eyed Girl? It was Brown Eyed. Oh, it was absolutely Brown Eyed Girl. Parody uh, two years later in Fatal Instinct. Thank you very much. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it's not very good. No, 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 no. And, and the ending, like, she like she calls she calls the cops to turn him in and then says that she's killed him, basically. Right. You yeah. know, it's, oh, it's a bad, it's not a good movie. No. Who directed this one? Oh, uh, Joseph Rubin, I want to say. Oh, he did the yeah. he did the stepfather. It's kind of stepfather, yeah. the good son. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, this is his genre. So. Yeah, he's got a lane. He sticks with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we got a movie that came out uh, the same weekend that is uh, just one of my favorite comedies from this decade, Agreed. and that's Steve Martin's L.A. Story. Agreed. Oh yes. Love yeah. everything about uh, it, pretty much. And it's uh, a really yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say we. Um, I think we review this maybe even during the what we watch segment at one point on our sh- on directors club. And going back to it, uh, you know, like some of the <laughs> some of the humor now is just really absurdist. More than I remember, like it's it, it borders on like jerk like humor at times, like the. The whole um, the the sequence on the expressway where he's waving yep. a gun, like oh, open season on the LA freeway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so crazy. Yeah, no, it's and it's also at the same time a really good love story for both the city and uh, the 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 woman that becomes. Or I don't know if they were married at the time or they were. They, they were I don't think Steve Martin's ever been married. They were. He was. They were dating. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it's they, a sweet movie. Yeah, I think they met on the set on all of me. They were, they uh, were right. all correct. Yes. Um, yeah, no, this is uh, this is one of those movies that I'm I'm kind of astounded that it turned out the way it did. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like another movie we're going to talk about much later. It's a movie that takes a city and turns it into this like mythological setting almost. Like it has its own visual language that is. Uh, uncommon to see in any kind of romantic comedy, and this is a you know this is a this is a, a fairly you know light uh, romantic comedy just on the page, but then it gets into like this mysticism and yeah. this whole other like uh, unpredictable elements that I you know would never have expected from you know, looking at the poster, looking at the trailer, 
And it's, I wish the director, Mick Jackson, would have gone on to bigger, you know, you know, like kind of lived. I wish he had fulfilled the promise Mm -hmm. that he showed with this film. I was like, oh my God, who directed this? This is amazing. Like, look how beautiful it is. How how the editing is like so crisp and so like, I I was like, wow, the rhythm of the editing in this thing is phenomenal. Um, And it's a romantic comedy. You know, it's like I'm talking about it in, in terms that I don't usually associate with that genre. But this is like, I, I, I don't know, This uh, there's this and another romantic comedy we're going to talk about soon that are just almost equal to each other. But I kind of like move this one up a little bit in my in my mm. top 10 list. Um, just upon rewatching it and just going, remarking on like how amazing it is to watch. Yeah, it would be a, it would be higher on my list if it didn't have Enya songs in it. Oh, uh, uh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Like uh, yeah, this is this was the introduction to Enya for me, and uh, I, I, again, I, obsession would be a strong word, but I remember watching this movie and liking all of that. I do like that scene. No, don't get me wrong. I like the moment. Well, there's two. Well, there's two of them. There's two Enya songs in the movie. There's mm-hmm. one where that they, you know, they, they regress into childlike yes, that's children what and whatnot, which is a really sweet scene. Yes. And then there's a, a they I, again. You can joke. They all all the Enya songs sound the same. Okay, whatever. Uh, but the, there's a second song at the end when with the with the rain and stuff. That's that's a different Enya song actually. And yeah, I, was, I remember like who like I really like this music. I don't I don't know who this is. Uh, but I immediately went out and started buying Enya albums uh, at, at the time. But I, I mean, this is not a movie you're going to have to convince me to push up higher on my list. I have loved this movie since since the day I saw it. Uh, I mean, it's it's such a unique balancing act between doing a just a flat out satire with a lot of the the humor that Steve Martin really became famous for, uh, and then re- t- taking. You know, turn it into this sort of this romantic, this real, genuine romance with language that feels almost Shakespearean. You know, there's a poetry to to Martin's words. You can tell, like, this guy really does have a romantic bone within him. Uh, I don't know how it's worked out in his personal relationships, but in the movie, uh, it, it's it, it it works out so wonderfully. And I mean, the the last, you know, from that scene on. Uh, I, I think is absolutely beautiful, and then you got Richard E. Grant in there, who's who's so so funny. You have a, you got a lot of verve, <laughs> verve, <laughs> just little things like that. Like what is that? Oh, it's my damn testicles, testicles. I might like to have the duck. You can't have the duck. You can't have the duck. Why? You think with a financial statement like this, you can have the duck? Where do you sum up? What do you mean? Where do you spend your summers? Right here. He can have the chicken. He can have the chicken. (laughs) Part of the new cruelty. Yeah. I think um, Alexandra Alexandra Daddario said she fell in love with Steve Martin after seeing L.A. Story, and I, I can see that. (laughs) Yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, uh, just because I I rewatched it. I just got to say the only reason to see Patrick Dempsey and run is for the ending for the, the, the final kill of the, of the main. Film. Oh yeah. That's the only reason to see that movie. Yes, but it's worth well, it. 
Run Run was a again having worked in the video store. We were you know we this was a movie a trailer that we used to make fun of because we all kind of were we always kind of used to uh, I certainly dumped on Patrick Dempsey a lot oh, during this oh, yeah. period. Oh yeah, you know and like still so now he was going from like the the stupid you know teen rom com movies to like this serious man on the run movie and like you know who can he trust Kelly Preston uh and you know and then the, we so we put this thing on in the video store and we could not believe the ending of this movie <laughs> how the bad guy is oft is something to behold agreed damn it i okay. i i never got to the ending i started watching this thing on amazon prime and then when i went to look for it they took it down and i, I never got oh. to the ending <laughs> This is no, this the, is going to yeah. be on how did this get made at some point I would think because they'll, they'll, they would have a lot of fun with it. Well, yeah, the one it's movie, ridiculous. Yeah, well, the one one movie that I I would do on that show if I was running it is Never Ending Story Two. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of the original. Um, yeah, it's always good. have been. It's good. Yeah, and but with this, with like within the first few minutes, I'm like, what the fuck is this? Uh, <laughs> it, it, there it, it is. is just, it is just. Uh, a, 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 a atrocious on every level. Like like Bastion, who's now played by uh, who's the Ladybugs kid? Uh, oh, right, Brandis. Brandis. Jonathan, Jonathan Brandis. Brandis. Right. He's he's now Bastion, um, and he has to steal the same book again so he can read it again. Um, and then you get when you get to the Fantasia stuff, it's like what happened? There's a guy in a chicken suit running around. Uh, there's a guy like made out of a chocolate fountain running around. Everyone's doing some kind of weird interpretive dance in the background, uh, and it just does such a horrible job of like trying to keep the '80s quest fantasy alive genre alive. Um, and then I wrote down a line of dialogue here that sort of smack my head where it's uh, I don't know what the context was but I just wrote it like why remember things when you can wish for them like okay huh? right. um, yeah no, yeah exactly no, it's, a, it's it's one of the worst sequels of, of this year definitely uh, yeah, Jonathan Brandis uh, who got- had a tragic ending to his yeah. life yeah. you know that right you know he, he, he killed himself at 27 mm-hmm. um, do you know who he actually took to his high school prom no, Brittany Murphy. Oh, oh wow! No. Yeah, you want to talk about oh. like? Oh, I, now I, I'm starting to come back to me now. Yeah, when yeah, he died, this, she she had a lot to say about it. Yeah, this. Yeah. yeah, just I just wanted to bring down the podcast a little bit. Sure, sure. Okay, yeah. well, a moment of silence. Um, yes. in a, a moment of, of silence. Ooh, I did not know. Yeah, yeah. Did. I see. Good you, job. He went there. Good job. Yeah. Oh man. Um, <laughs> how many best picture winners come out in February? None. I mean, One. This is it, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's weird to be talking about this movie so early mm-hmm. uh, because it is uh, Silence of the Lambs. And it's the one of the most, you know, culturally impactful films of this decade. And, and who knew? And, who and saw I, I would have never expected it to be as, Divisive or divisive, however you want to say that word. Um, divisive. Yeah, divisive. You know why he's called Buffalo Bill? This one likes to skin his humps. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate yours. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Tell me what you see. Ortiz, he's got real physical strength. 
Combined with an older man's self-control, he's, he's cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? Uh, rewatching it now, I still think it's pretty damn great. I, you know, because it's weird because like, even when I first saw, it's funny, I, I saw this at a drive-in, I think it was pretty close to Cicero. I can't remember which drive-in it was, but <laughs> it's a, d- a double feature of Freddy's Dead and Silence of the Lambs. Nice. Um... Hmm. And there was a, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we'll talk about Freddy's Dead. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I was not prepared, you know, again, similarly like with, with Henry, there was, there was just stuff in this movie that I'd never seen before that really got under my skin. Uh, but, but watching it now, I, I think it's even, you know, a stronger film post Me Too, especially with how much Demi chooses to emphasize the the fact that uh, Clarice is is basically in this boys club and can't you know can't overcome that at, at every instance and I think I just think every performance is pitch perfect I think the use of music obviously is wonderful so uh, it's still one of my favorite films about serial killers and I understand that a lot of people who have read the book do have a lot of qualms and I can understand why. But as a movie, watching it on its own, I, I still think it's incredible. Yeah, this one sort of begins the trend that I was speaking of, of movies that I think are good or very good, and just but, but they just don't rise to the level the, that I think people have elevated them to over the years. Uh, you know, when, when I saw, I remember when I saw this movie at, at Woodfield Theater when it opened, and like I'm like this is this is ver- this is very well made. I still think this today. It's a very well made movie. It's it's kind of compulsively watchable. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, that I I can't get past that ending of the movie. Uh, the I ending the, is the, the end- worst. I think the part. ending being played for laughs. I yeah. think really uh, that uh, that was a huge problem for me when I when I first saw it. I really didn't like the the ending of the movie. I agree. Uh, and I think that the movie has endured pr- more. I think. Uh, Jim, for the reason that you just stated, because I think that even me too aside, I think when you watch the movie over the years and you see what Demi and Foster were doing with that character in the boys club that you mentioned, it's, I mean, it's, it's that thing is, can easily be overlooked the first time you see it. I think because you're so focused on the, 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 the crime stuff and the, the, you know, the bad characters that you tend to overlook like I didn't appreciate Jodie Foster's performance the first time I saw it. I have multiple times now, even more so over the years. Uh, but I think that that aspect of it has made it more culturally significant uh, than all of the crime stuff. I think the crime stuff now feels, you know, dated and overwrought. Uh, but that all that other stuff, uh, right, you know, rises to the surface. So I, I, I like this movie. I don't think it's one of the greatest films ever made. It's certainly not even amongst, you know, I think Demi's best movies. 
Uh, and it's just, I, I, we did this at Elk Grove Cinema last year, I think, and I was there and I watched it again, and I've had pretty much had the exact same reaction I've always had to this movie. I, I really like the performances. I think, again, it's a very well-made, there's no way you know, to, to get around that, uh, but I, it just doesn't rise to the level of all-timer. Yeah, and I don't think it should have won Best Picture. No. As much as no, I that, like it. That was well that yeah, that soured me on it for a little while after that happened. Sure. But, you know. There's well, a much no. of that. Much yes, better there choices. Are. Yes, there are. No. Um <laughs> don't let awards sour your opinions on movies. That's dumb. Um, I, I, I know this. I say this all the time. I'm just saying at the time I was I was just like, you know, F that movie. Uh, Wrong no, podcast. I'm, <laughs> I, right. I'm, I'm all for Jonathan Demme winning an Academy Award. So, I'm oh well, not yeah, complain, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna complain about it winning Best Picture at all. I because I also think it's just a cool like thing that happened with you know a movie that came out in February that you know clearly wasn't designed to be an Oscar uh campaign type film and yet it's kind of stood the test of time for that year that people just remembered it so vividly that they couldn't get it out of their heads um i think that's pretty amazing and but um but all that aside that's all political stuff doesn't matter but as and the movie itself i think is uh does hold up beautifully well Mm -hmm. um i mean i watched it a couple weeks ago and um you know, I'm 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 the biggest demi geek here, so I'm I'm usually gonna be a little more forgiving, but um, but I also just think that uh, you know, Jodie Foster's performance is is phenomenal. I will agree. Anthony Hopkins shouldn't have won best supporting or best actor. He should have won. You know, if he's yeah, he should have been supporting. But you know. yeah, for sure. Um, but I do think that is a. I do think that is a phenomenal performance. I wish he didn't run it into the ground mm-hmm. um, in future installments. I wish he had just, you know, cut himself loose from it. But uh, but that's another again, that's another issue. Uh, in this movie, it's a beautifully nuanced performance, and um, and it's the first time I remember like a movie doing like a big fake out a couple times in this movie. Where you think that. that character's not the character? I you I love yeah. it, and this movie I love it. I, I think it's great. I think it's beautifully done because it fooled me uh, both times. And um, you know, maybe it's maybe it had been done before in other movies, but at my young age, I hadn't seen it before. And uh, I thought uh, I was like, oh, that's brilliant. And um, you know, it does kind of fit in with Demi's past films, where he's sort of throwing in the American flag in the background, and you know, kind of telling this very American story um, and having, and having a lot of stuff to say about it, but, you know, kind of keeping that in the subtle way, whereas other things in the movie aren't so subtle, but um, no, I think, I think this is one of Demi's best films, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's perfectly debatable and I'm happy to have that debate with people. So Mm -hmm. understood. And we go go from one of the year's best (laughs) to it's only February. (laughs) We go from one of the year's best to one of the year's absolute worst, even though I don't understand how people are defending this movie and finding it funny, but it's they're out there. Yeah, the and hocus talking, pocus effect we call it. Uh huh. I'm talking about nothing but nothing trouble. Been all around the world. 
I came for the party to get naughty, get my rocks on, eat popcorn, watch you move your body till the pop's on, and I'm singing, ding-a-linging, funky beats ringing, everybody swinging in the place as I kick the J's, easy watch style, R&B, mixing it with the hip-hop swing beat, champagne in my hand, it won't be long till I'm gone, it's just the same old song. I don't find that entertaining or funny. No, it's That's not, fine. nothing funny happens. Good. It's like everybody in it is waiting for Dan Aykroyd to like bring the laughs. Every everybody in the cast is like, okay, well, Aykroyd will bring his thing to it. I mean, even Chevy Chase and John Candy don't really know what to do here, and um, but it's like, and it's supposed to be kind of this Beetlejuice esque creation that he's he's created, and and it just doesn't it just doesn't fly. It just it just kind of sits there. It's got yeah, some interesting I, I, art direction, but that's about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm in no way going to defend this movie. I just, I've never put it on like the level of the worst thing ever just because I think it's like one of these big swings and a miss kind of thing. And I, I think it's, again, it's terribly directed. And I think it's probably, you know, there's probably a, a darker, more you know, unchopped up cut of this movie that's probably lying around out there with the original title, Valkenvania. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the that's the movie I wanted to see, and you know, there's like nothing but trouble. I'm like, okay, that's the title now, I guess. And yeah, I mean, great cast and not a lot to do. No, know, I, I still like the hot dog scene though. Hot well, dog scene makes me chuckle. Loose cannons is worse, but yes. still, yes, yes, yes. I'm just, I, I've never found this movie remotely amusing, and then, and as we've gone on record in the past, I just. I don't know why, but most of Dan Aykroyd's movies, with the exception of, you know, like Ghostbusters, of course, I just don't well, find give, very good. Yeah, you give Dan Aykroyd an Oscar nomination for Drive Miss Daisy, and this is what it gets you. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, using that clout. That's right. <laughs> um, but also, before, I think that, that same weekend uh, was King Ralph, which was Hollywood's attempt to try to turn John Goodman into this comedic buffoon, except he's too good for that. Yeah. <laughs> So that didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, thankfully um, the Cohen brothers just kept casting him. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, no, I mean, got no knock on John Goodman, but I mean, no. the the speciality he's created himself as a character actor over the years, aided in you know obviously a great part by the Cohen brothers. Uh, that's that's his that's his lane. That's I mean that's it's a perfect lane for him. And yeah, King Ralph again. It's 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 amiable. It's not it's not that funny but it's not like the worst thing ever either no i think the uh, less said about scenes from them all the better yeah we can move on okay in the uh that same <laughs> month it's not on our list for uh for box office mojo which by the way we should probably should have said this at the start oh. that's the list we're going off of is box office mojo so uh, if there's a movie that you think came out this year, but actually is a 1992 release or, you know, whatever that we're going off what box office Mojo has for 1991 because it gives us box office numbers. So that solidifies it and justifies uh, the list. So but one of the movies that's not on here that should be, even though it, 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 it's listed as a 1991 movie on their website, is a wonderful comedy that about four people saw called Hanging with the Homeboys. Woo-hoo! Which came out in... It's on my list. I got it here. February 22nd. Mm-hmm. February 22nd. It, it, it did not print on my list. I'm looking at my list right now. It is not on here. That's no, weird. I got it. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> I had to pencil it in. Um, and I watched it the other night, and it holds up really well. It's it sure does. Film. 
I'm convinced yeah. that John Favreau must have seen this movie because oh, it's by no means an original. I mean, this goes back to Diner and Breaking yeah, Away. I mean, yeah, yeah. This, this is that kind of movie, and um, but yeah, it's it has that same flavor as Swingers. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's everybody like this is just one of those great ensembles, and I love the fact that it, it gets real at times. You know, I mean. It, it's funny for the most part. Like, there's a lot of laughs to be had when you have a bunch of guys just hanging out for a night and uh, you know doing crazy shit. But <laughs> it does it, it. It comments on you know the, their race and their and the class issues going on, uh, but never in a really preachy way. I think I just and I think Leguizamo's great in this. So I mean, I, th- yeah, this is a, a a great film actually. I think it's really special because um i mean obviously i I'd, I'd seen it as a result of going to nick's plays and <laughs> uh nick DeGilio, that is and him raving about this movie and putting it in his top five all-time guy movies uh i think it was after i'd seen his play alive where it's just literally a bunch of guys hanging out for a night uh he he mentioned this movie to me and i went and i rent i rented it and i was like wow yeah, this is really special. Willie, you can be honest with me. You, you, you're doing this to me because I'm black, right? I'm doing this because I think you're a bum. I'm looking for Vinny. Vinny? Fernando. Oh, you must be talking about Fernando. You mean Vinny, man. Vinny. Please, especially in front of a woman, you gotta call me Vinny. Johnny. Oh, man. I was, I was wondering, you know. Sorry. Tommy. Tell me, I really like Frederick. You, you call me a bum because I'm black, right? See, if I was a white guy, I'd be eccentric. You were a white guy, you'd be a white bum. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hit me! Hey! It's Friday night. Manhattan is where it's at. That's why I don't even be hanging in the Bronx. Who's the first stop, y'all? The girlies are, bro. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yo, baby, yo, 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 yo. <laughs> What's your name? My name is Vinny. He's Italian. Hey, you hear that? There's a party going on up there. Come on, let's go. Not just knock on the door and say Jose Sennis. Party night. Jose Sennis. Keep messing with them girls like that, man, and one day you're gonna come down with something strange. Crazy night. Okay, fellas. Let's see some ID. Yo, Vinny, man, cut it out, man. Says Fernando Fuevas. So, your friend over here just called you Vinny. (laughs) (laughs) Some women got money, some women don't got money. Don't get stuck with a bad investment. $15. Excuse me? Wait wait a second. That's class discrimination. Well, that's appropriate. You look like you have no class. Um, But yeah, no, it's a good movie. People should seek that one out. It's got a, it's, the title is horrible. I mean, you can't, it's just like, ugh, hanging with the homeboys. Who came up with that? But anyway, it's a good movie. (laughs) It is. Or the title. It's a good movie. Okay. Uh, Should we move on to March? Okay. Yeah. So. Right at the top, we got. Oliver Oliver Stone made two movies in one year or released two movies in one year. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of them is really great. One of them, not so much, in my opinion. I've never been a fan of The Doors. The band or the movie? Both. Both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that that helps. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't help. I mean, is what I meant to say. Yeah. Again, to to bring up uh, Nick DiGiulio, I remember him. Like that was something that he always bring up on his show. He just hates The Doors. I wouldn't say hate. I just. They just never really did a whole lot for me. I th- There's a few songs, obviously, I love. If you gave me a Doors Greatest Hits collection, I might like some of the songs on there. But uh, the best thing I can say about this is, you know, what most people, I think, say is that Val Kilmer is remarkable as Jim Morrison in this. That's the, that's the main reason to watch this movie. Yeah, and 
yeah, I, I the, funny enough, this movie actually made me a fan of the band, uh, mm. the, the the music. I uh, I had the, the soundtrack to this movie and uh and and wore it out quite a bit. I I I, I kind of like the Doors kind of hangout kind of style. Those songs go on for like nine ten minutes at a time, <sighs> and uh, and I kind of enjoy that and actually find them find some their music kind of soothing. Actually, as weird as that might sound. Um, but the, but I, I tried watching this movie again, and again, this is a period where I'm a big Oliver Stone fan, and it, it's it's not an easy movie to watch. It's it, it's all histrionics and Stone starting to just kind of get into that uh, filmmaking style that w- would kind of be perfected with JFK and exemplified with Natural Born Killers. Uh, and then just yeah. kind of thrown into a blender with stuff like U-Turn and you know stuff like that. Uh, but it started to manifest a little bit here. And as again, yeah, Val Kilmer is incredible in this movie. And it's really that, and if you enjoy the music, the reason to watch it. Uh, it's pretty, it's not a most historically accurate thing. It's in, it's one of the most pretentious stories about a band, about a band you could say it was a very pretentious band to begin with. So maybe that's yeah. part of the point of it. But it's just like I, you know, I, I don't really find that sort of self-congratulatory pretentiousness interesting in even even any artist, and that's what you know. You watch like I like your music, but you know, don't talk about it. Like I don't want to hear you pontificate <laughs> about what you're trying to say with your music. I'll let the music speak for itself. But hearing Jim Morrison go off on his little rants and stuff like that. My and music's just, poetry, man. Yeah, it's just like you're just kind of an ass, you know, and, you know, whatever. Bye-bye. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think I'm with you guys on this one. In that, But except that I do think Val Kilmer's great in this movie. I mean, he, who else could have played Jim Morrison at that time? No one. Uh, but he could have been even better if Stone had given him more of a dimension. But instead, it, it's he 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 clearly loves Jim Morrison, but he seems to only love the part of him that is drunk and stoned yeah. the whole time. <laughs> and you know, it's like there were other layers to Jim Morrison. Uh, to hear the band and everybody who knew him tell it, like this movie only shows one side of him. That there were many. There was a very warm and loving side to him also that was largely missing from this film and uh yeah. it's it's a shame like i i there's there's a lot more that could have been done with this um and it's uh yeah it's 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 got a lot of you know you know the, you know, you know, the music is great of course and there's some really amazing se- sequences in this film but at the same time it's like i don't know what i was supposed to get out of this <laughs> i am the lizard king um, so yeah well, I mean, that's the times. I mean, I, I don't no. fault Jim Morrison or from that era of, of being a little pretentious. I mean, rock and roll was very much in a, in a, in flux and and changing, a, you know, to this oh, yeah. other it, kind of art even, form that yeah. had been before. So, so yeah, of course, people looking at it now, it looks ridiculous. But at that time, I mean, it was the Doors was a really innovative band that was doing stuff nobody had ever yes. thought of. So. Yeah, yeah and but, I wish there was more the, um, of that aspect of it, and less of Jim Morrison right. telling us about it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, a movie you uh, recently sort of reintroduced us to, Colin, would be Closet Land, and I think that's because yeah. you know after Alan Rickman passed, 
uh, I went back and watched some of his films I hadn't seen in a very long time, and this I I I love movies that feel like a play. I I always have and probably always will, and this is one of those. Uh, it's it's pretty much just all in one contained space, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It this is a movie that came out and was disappeared a week later. It's uh, Alan Rickman and Madeline Stowe. Those are the only two actors in it, and it right. does it is like a play. It's basically an interrogation. Um, but it's got this kind of surreal element to it. It's got this kind of Alice in Wonderland aspect to the set decoration. Right. And um, it's kind of otherworldly in a way, but it, the themes about it are very much about persecution of the innocent and uh, authors whose work is being misinterpreted as being political or interpreted correctly, depending on who you believe in this film. Um, but it has not been available in any format since the early nineties when it came out on VHS and Laserdisc, and ever since it has disappeared uh, since then, which is too bad because it showcases two great actors at the top of their game here um, really working off each other beautifully, but it is a really uncomfortable and unpleasant film to watch. I yeah. mean, there is something here that uh, is just harsh, but uh, it, it deserves to resurface and be seen. So, Closet Land. Keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, Eric, did you see this mm-hmm. movie? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see it again recently, but I, I remember being, uh, you know, very curious about this movie because of, like you said, it kind of disappeared, and the the, the, the premise of it uh, I, I found really fascinating, and I I, I like the movie. I, I I haven't again. I don't know how if it holds up now uh, today. But, uh, you know, anything with Alan Rickman at that time was going to be on my radar. And you know, that sort of that stuff about, you know, the artists and whatnot, that was something that I was actually really into at the time, censorship and, and stuff like that. So that, that subject matter really meant a lot to me. So it, I think it's really resonated then. I'm curious to see if it resonates now. So I'd be very curious to, to, to see a more... Uh, a souped-up edition on Blu-ray or something like that of that, and and give it another look. Yeah, that's that. That also holds true for another Alan Rickman movie that we'll be talking about. Yep. Living, yeah. living, living, just enough. Wesley Snipes. We were on the same. Ice T. Alan Payne. Chris Rock, Mario Van Peebles, Christopher Williams, Vanessa Williams, Tracy Camilla Johns, and Judd Nelson. This is Detective Nick Peretti, big crazy jarhead, motorcycle freak, reject cop, just like you, Scotty. On the streets, there's a fine line between wrong and right, good and bad. Between those who enforce the law, it is a war out there, and those who break it. But uh, New Jack City uh, made a made a kind of a big impression when it came out. <laughs> um, this is the first of many like black street gang movies that would come out during this time. Uh, this one was uh, Mario Van Peebles, Ice T. Who else is in this? Judd Nelson, Wesley Snipes, uh, Chris Rock. Wesley Snipes. That's right. Wesley Snipes is what I was trying to think of. Yeah, Chris Rock. Um, really uh, in- interesting movie. Um, yeah, I kind of like it. Um, yeah, 
and for some reason I'll never forget this. It was maybe like five or six summers ago, but it was probably about a hundred degrees, and the only air conditioning was courtesy of my window unit in in my room. And the apartment I lived in was, you know, obviously as hot as it could possibly be in the living room. So I lived with with my roommate who became a, a dear friend. And she decided, let's bring both of our cats into my room with cold drinks and just hang out for the day. And I, I just suggested, well, we should probably watch a movie <laughs> since we're just going to be hanging out. And she just came out and said, I don't know why, but I have a craving to watch New Jack City. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's, yeah, no. I was laughing, too, because <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that before. But I was like, OK, I'll, no one has I'll ever find said it. That. <laughs> hmm? No one has ever said that. Yeah. Use the word craving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we ended yeah. up watching New Jack City and Firestarter that day. Nice. Was, yeah. Interesting double feature. <laughs> I have a craving to watch Firestarter right now. Yeah, me too. Yeah, this was sort of a big deal at the time because, I mean, this is a year, and obviously we're going to get into in a few months, uh, a year where you know black filmmakers were starting to you know get, get a sort of a piece of the pie. If you will, because again, it wasn't just the opportunity of Van Peebles to direct this movie, but it, mm-hmm. it, it was a, a pretty decent hit at the time, uh, with the exception of Silence of the Lambs. I think it was like the second biggest hit of the year at, uh, at the, well, I'd sleep with the enemy, of course. Uh, so like third biggest hit of the year at that point. Um, although, it's, I mean, it's, it was, you know, action movie as social commentary basically and so it's it is kind of heavy-handed at times you know because like it starts with like the chris rock stuff and then it kind of becomes a bit more of a traditional cop picture more after that uh (laughs) but i you know every time i think of this movie though i think of fear of a black hat because there's a parody scene in fear (laughs) of a black hat where they have rusty cundiff basically play iced tea with a beret on, he jumps like sixty feet off a building to catch the, the criminal <laughs> and whatnot. So it just it's hard for me to, to not think of New Jack City and not laugh. But uh, yeah, it's, it's and, and Wesley Snipes is very good in the yeah. movie. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the the again the criminal stuff. It's actually weird because like the criminal gives the more interesting performance in the movie. I mean, it's Ice T and Judd Nelson, so it's like pick your poison. And and Wesley Snipes is the one that comes off as the most charismatic and the, the most interesting in in that film. Um, yeah, it's good. I don't think it's great, but but I but I, but I think it's 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 an interesting movie. Yeah, it's worth seeing. And uh, you know, for as a boring white kid in the suburbs at the time, I was uh, getting into hip hop. You know, and this was a good soundtrack too. So I, I recommend sure. the soundtrack. Uh, on the same date, on March eighth, uh, sort of another kind of interesting double feature as far as parallels are concerned. Um, only because um, the, John Badham's The Hard Way, oh with yeah, Michael that J. Was Fox good. and James Woods, which is a fun movie. Yeah, it's it's a fun action comedy, and Michael J. Fox is a uh, Hollywood actor who wants to take a very serious cop role, so he ends up tailing uh, James Woods's character around, who wants no part. Of, of this Hollywood jackass following him around. And it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, oil and, you know, oil, was it water and vinegar or oil and water or whatever? Think oil and vinegar? Com- no, oil and vinegar go together. Yeah, they do. Hmm. Yeah. So is it, is it oil and water? Like, oil and water, yeah. Yeah, okay. that, that's okay. That, those, two, those two things mixing and whatnot. James Woods, it is sort of his verbose uh, high here. And Michael J. Fox is really funny in the film. Also has a very 
good hot dog scene, I should mention. The, the theme this year, I guess. <laughs> oh, God, that's um, right. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> the frog dog. The frog dog. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a fun movie. Don't eat like me. Don't sit like me. Do not smoke like me. I'm trying to quit anyway. Yeah, me too. And don't quit like me either. Yeah, so I like the hard way. I'm not as I've never been as big a fan of La Femme Nikita as some people no. are. Um, and yet I kind of like the remake a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I think that the the, the I, I've never really cared much for the final act of La Femme Nikita. I don't. That's all I remember. I, I don't <laughs> think I've movie. have I liked a Luc Besson movie. I don't think I ever have. Ever? No, I don't even like the Professional. Yeah, see, I like that one. Yeah, I like that more than the Nikita. Well, the Femme Nikita, going back and watching it, I mean, it's pretty remarkable the influence that movie had. I mean, sure. I mean, it is the first of its kind, really. It's, mm-hmm. you know, even to this day, like we're still getting La Femme Nikita-esque movies like Atomic Blonde and Red Sparrow mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, it also, I mean, yeah, there was a remake, there was a TV show, uh, you know, Two Girl, TV Girl with shows. the Dragon who uh, owes a debt to La Femme Nikita um, yeah. to an extent, but... Um, it's, uh, it, I mean, it, it's, you watch it today and you think, I've seen this a hundred times. Well, yeah, but this was the first. So, sure. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's good. I mean, it's especially good for its time. But, um, yeah, I think, I think it's okay. Uh, you know, yeah, nothing I, nothing fine. I need to own or go back to ever again. But, no. Yeah. I was surprised how bored I was by True Colors because I'm like, oh, at least it has John Cusack yeah. and James Spader. But wow. Not, not good. A lot of lot of potential, a lot of ideas yeah. running through that thing. Uh, the, the, you know, the relationship between Cusack, I mean, two good actors playing potentially very interesting characters, and start off as enemies, become friends, and then become enemies again because one becomes a uh, become is Spader become an FBI agent in the movie or a, he, attorney general or he, he's a politician. Like well, Cusack he, is the politician. Yeah. But is he like in the attorney general's he office? He works for the Department something? of Justice, I know that. Department of Justice, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a yeah, it's a, it's it's not uh, I wouldn't say I was I was never bored with that movie. I just I kept waiting for it to to rise to a, a, a level that would have turned it into the, the kind of movie that would be worthy talking about 30 yeah. years later. Um again, a lot of sort of like white crime on crime, you know, basically and um yeah, it's just it's it's, it's kind of interesting as a acting exercise. I, I mean, I wouldn't even call it that so much, but it's kind of interesting. It's interesting that this film exists. How about that? Okay, <laughs> I think I like it a little bit more than you guys. Uh, I'm not crazy about the jazzy score that, no, that it has, no, but uh, it's yeah. pretty bad. But um, there are times. Uh, but I, I think Spader and Cusack make it watchable i think they make it work um and, it, and it's, it's like I, I think it's perfectly watchable uh except for this ridiculous skiing scene in it that i just thought was really out of place but um but i don't know i i i, I sort of give it a pass i think it's okay i guess it's the kind of political thriller you would expect out of herbert ross you know yeah, that, that, and the, and the only thing that's that i'm really fascinated with this movie about is that it's one of the vhs tapes on jerry seinfeld's counter in his apartment <laughs> it is if you go back and look at jerry seinfeld's like, true colors is like on the end of uh his vhs collection wow yeah along with jurassic park right is any of jurassic uh, park? i don't remember yeah. jurassic park okay but true colors is like is front and center it's always there <laughs> i don't understand it mm. 
I didn't get to uh, class action, but just because we recently lost the uh, director Michael Apted, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I'm sure it's a I'm sure it's you know a, a pretty standard courtroom drama. Yeah. But uh, you know, you got Conrad Hall doing the cinematography uh, and, and starring Gene Hackman, so I'm sure it's I'm sure it's worth a watch. I just didn't get to it. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I did. I, I did revisit this because I I'm such a huge Gene Hackman fan. I wanted to go back and look at this because I remember liking it at the time, but rewatching it again, uh, it, it it's it's a it's the rare case of a courtroom drama where you'd rather spend time away from the courtroom than in it. Because the the case that they're after they're 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 trying is this whole you know bad car parts makes things blow up <laughs> thing and that you know which is not exactly a, a, you know cause for cinematic you know fireworks so to speak but you have Gene Hackman and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio's father and daughter and their scenes t- together or apart away from the courtroom stuff. You know, I think these are two very good actors. You know, doing pretty solid work. Hackman's okay. very good in this movie, uh, the, but the, the case is just not that interesting. It's like you know exactly every twist and turn it's going to take. Uh, you know how it's going to turn out, pretty much. Um, I mean, Colin, I think his name, Colin Friel, I think is the, the actor's name, the guy who played the villain in Darkman. Um, oh. Francis McDormand's boyfriend, the guy who's going to create the new city and all this stuff. Um, it's, he pretty much plays the exact same character <laughs> in class action. He plays Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio's boyfriend that is then going to like cover up, you know, the Belsarius memorandum or whatever he's got in the, this car thing. And he, I mean, he was literally almost exactly the same character. Hmm. So it, it's, I mean, it, again, watchable, but not, you know, it's not a necessity. He looks like anyone else you'd pass on the street. Give me your money now, sucker. Except for one thing. Want my money? Huh? Is this what you want? He has a slight attitude. No problem. Paramount Pictures presents international Kenpo star, Jeff Speakman. You should be more respectful of our organization. Is there a problem here? Yeah. Guess so. Yeah, unlike the perfect weapon, which is absolutely <laughs> starring Speak Jeffman and uh, Speak Jeffman. What? Yes, Speak Jeffman. Is that what you call him? That's what I call him. Uh-huh. Uh, a local local guy, right? Chicago. I, mean, from, or, I thought uh, like Northwest suburbs, even. I think. He, I huh. believe, and someone might correct me on this, but I am pretty sure he went to Elk Grove High School, right around the corner from me. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. knew he was. He, he went went to school somewhere in our neck of the woods of yes. the North suburbs of Chicago. Um, yeah. No, this is a this is a ridiculous movie, but it's kind of fun. For, and it, its ridiculousness is kind of fun. Um, yeah. The, the fighting scenes are actually not bad. I mean, some yeah. of the fighting stuff with him. I mean, this guy never amounted to anything beyond this movie. But you know, some of the individual fighting scenes are just like, oh, I can see he could like make a run at like the Seagulls and you know the Van Dams at the time and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean the movie itself is just pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, and then you got a. Or I think is this the first big franchise movie? Well, I guess Neverending Story two might be, but this is like uh-huh. real franchise. Uh, you know, in in that's uh, you know taking off at this point in the year. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two: The Secret of the Ooze. 
And uh, I got nothing to say except vanilla ice. Go ninja, go ninja, go. I'm so disappointed we went straight to there and we overlooked. We certainly overlooked, I think, one, I think, very good movie. Oh, if Lewis could kill. That, that, well, I, I would actually, I will argue that that's a good movie. It's not bad. I, I think I, that that's a pretty fun I, little movie. I think it was a, originally a Fred Decker script, or at least he came up with a story, maybe. And I can I see. I believe you're correct. I can see that. I can see that element going through it. But they tried to make Richard, Richard Grieco a thing. Uh, yeah, this, this is right in the 21 Jump Street era, right. and they tried to give him his own movie, and they did this sort of goofy. Um, yeah, Fred Decker did the story by, actually. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, story credit on, and it was actually the screenplay is uh, written by Darren Starr, who later went on to Sex in the City, and oh, and, and right. Mel- Melrose Place, and uh, all the most recent Emily in Paris. This is the guy who wrote uh, "If Looks Could Kill," and it's yeah. I mean, Greco is gonna gonna be Greco, okay? So whatever. But the movie itself is has fun with its sort of James Bond parody, uh, and you got Gabrielle Anwar's the, the 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 girl, the Bond girls, sort of speak in the movie, and your your big villain is Linda Hunt, or at least she plays the, right, the henchman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets to play the, the from Russia with Love character basically, and. Um, yeah, no, it's not bad. I think there's there's some there's some fun stuff in this movie. There is and, for sure. Yeah, um, but the, the but the movie I would actually argue is a really good movie is Guilty by Suspicion. Oh right, yeah, it's another with, courtroom movie, right? With Robert De Niro, which is set during basically the uh, the blacklisting scandal of the 1940s and 50s. The Red and, Scare, yeah, yeah. And De Niro plays a, a film director, and he, he's seen all the stuff that's going on around him with friends and people naming names and whatnot. And, and a lot of that stuff is, I mean, it's, it's the cloud that sort of hangs over the movie, but it, it also sort of works as this kind of like this metaphor about Hollywood and backstabbing and, you know, people trying to angle for the, you know, to get their next project and stuff like that. So it works on these really sort of two interesting levels. And I think it's, I think it's one of the more interesting movies about Hollywood uh, that we, we've seen in, in, in you know, at, at any point. Yeah, for that really. period, I mean, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's labeled as a, the, you know, the blacklist movie, and it has those scenes, you know, in front of the uh, De Niro, sh- you know, screaming at the people in judgment of him and whatnot, uh, and those scenes are all very good too. But this, I mean, this is a Hollywood movie. There's scenes on set and scenes and behind the scenes, and Martin Scorsese has a cameo. In the movie, it was directed by Erwin Winkler, who you know produced a lot of Scorsese's movies. So he had a you know certainly a leg up in the casting of this movie. But uh, but no, I've I've always uh, really liked this movie. I think yeah, I me think too. It's very good. And yeah, mm-hmm. uh, young, yeah younger Chris Cooper shows up. I'd, at the beginning, I was like, oh wow, Chris Cooper's in this. How cool! Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's actually very entertaining from beginning to end. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to revisit it, but I mean, it, it kind of pairs up with Closetland in a way, and that's, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, artists or writers being persecuted uh, yeah. wrongfully. Um, we get to one of the other best romantic comedies of the year, uh, Albert Brooks's Defending Your Life. From the beginning of motion picture history, Hollywood has tried to show you what the afterlife is really like. Good afternoon and welcome to Judgment City. You have any idea what's going on? 
Now? Well, in a nutshell, you're here to defend your life, and I'm going to help you. Defend my life? Finally. Wow. The first true story of what happens after you die. Where am I? Is this heaven? No, it isn't heaven. Is it hell? Actually, there is no hell. Although I hear Los Angeles is getting pretty close. tell you you carry yourself very stiffly leave me alone i'm dead that's life albert brooks you make me think of my little fool it may seem meryl street i think i might have been a heavy set man at one time <laughs> rick torn lee grant buck henry in a new film by Albert Brooks. So I'm on trial for being afraid. I think out of all the movies this year, I've watched this one the most, honestly, because it's just so rewatchable. And it was one of those that, when it was on remote dropper, if it was on cable, especially if my dad was around, we were watching it. Uh, if And it was the, the, the discovery for me of both Albert Brooks and Rip Torn uh, when I was younger. We rented this. Loved the concept. <laughs> Loved pretty much every, I think, every joke lands. I think it has a lot of profound and wonderful things to say about fear. Uh, and it, honestly, if this was the afterlife, I'd be into it. <laughs> Just for the food. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you leave it to Albert Brooks, you know, to, to basically bring down, you know, everything about the afterlife to how much you can consume. You know, that it's like <laughs> human, basic human needs are very simplistic. And if we can just find a place that we can eat whatever we want and not gain anything and be, yep. be completely guilt free of that, that alone, you, you could take out everything else, sex, love, everything else. If it just comes down to that, uh, you know, that's, I think, one of the one of the genuine insights of what I personally is my favorite Albert Brooks movie of, of the movies that he's directed. Uh, I think it's the most complete it of all of them. Yeah. It's I think it's the most. It, I mean, it's certainly the, obviously the most romantic. I mean, his other movies were you know dealing with the you know the the, the rough parts of romance and relationships, and this one was a genuinely sweet, uh, really romantic film with Meryl Streep. You know, having a ball mm-hmm. in this movie. She is she's just again. You want to talk about you know we're going to use the word effervescent a lot. She's that in this movie. Uh, and it's 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 incredibly funny. And anyone who doesn't think that this movie didn't get rip torn in become uh, uh, on the Larry Sanders show, people people need to go back and look at this movie because there's a clear tie between his work in this movie and then him getting that gig on the Larry Sanders. One hundred percent. Yeah, I would have yeah. nominated him for best supporting actor. I think he's that good. Oh, tr- absolutely. Yeah, I uh, I didn't re- have to rewatch this for the show <laughs> yeah. because I've seen it enough times, and I'm waiting for the Criterion disc yes. to drop. Yes, same Why here. would I want to watch my crappy Warner Brothers DVD <laughs> when there's this beautiful special edition coming out soon? Um, yeah, no, I I remember leaving the theater uh, when I saw this and thinking how how are people not seeing this? Because I think I saw it the second weekend it came out and it mm-hmm. wasn't doing very well. I was like. I haven't felt this great after a movie since, well, maybe LA story, but still it's like, it leads you on such a, an amazing romantic high yeah. uh, with the music and uh, Alan Davio's cinematography, which is fantastic. Um, you know, just uh, the way 
uh, you know, that, that afterlife comes to life at nighttime with all the fountains around, yeah. I think is really beautiful. Um, and, uh, yeah, to just some, I mean, this is, of course, this is Albert Brooks's vision of the afterlife I and mean, everything <laughs> is still very American and very full of red tape and, <laughs> and, you know, lawyer speak, uh, you know, I was trapped near the inner circle of the fault. I don't understand that. I yeah, told you. you don't know that. You're a small brain. <laughs> I'm so quotable. I love that. Nobody told yeah, you that, Mr. So Diamond. Uh, <laughs> and you're right, yeah, Jim. You said like it's all about fear. It's like one of the best movies ever made about fear and how to live life. And I always have that moment, uh, you know, when I'm like on the verge of like, Oh my God, should I spend this money on, on this big thing? And, <laughs> you know, I always think of that scene of Thorne saying he wanted it. He, he had, he listened to that voice in his head that said, be good to me. Be, you know, I need this. And like, I've done that way too many times. That's very true. Uh, what was he afraid is it of? Fear? Is it bravery? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What was he afraid of? How about like, death? Oh God. He, <laughs> right yeah everything about this movie i I mean i legitimately get teary-eyed at the end of this movie now i think the ending of this movie is so beautiful uh it it really you know you think about all the other endings of our books movies and they all kind of end with a you know a scroll basically here's and here's what happened after (laughs) i got to the point of the movie that i wanted to end and this movie is is like 20 minutes longer than all of his other films and this one just, I mean, this one has the ending. It gives yeah. you the ending that it deserves. And yeah, it's, it's, re- it's really one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. 100% agree. All right. So we should move on to, oh, no, wait. There's, uh... Oh, no. He, oh, no. What? what? No, <laughs> no, there's just... One more movie that in March that I wanted to just mention, because I think it's good, is uh, uh, Robert Townsend's The Five Heartbeats. I mm. think that. Uh, I, I revisited it and I uh, really liked it. It's got a great soundtrack. Um, I should yeah, see I, this, I like I, but I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's kind of a uh, you know throwback to you know his, his the five heartbeats. It's kind of like the soul band. Um, I don't know what what it's an equivalent to, but um, off the top of my head, I'm I can't think of it. But uh, <laughs> you can think the of the guys tops. in Streets of Fire yeah. <laughs> or the Four Tops. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, the Four Tops. That's what I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, no, it's a good movie. It's, it, I thought he did a really nice job with it. Just I know, wanted to mention. It. I know Eric wants to talk about career opportunities, doesn't he? Oh, Are you talking okay. to me? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I know yeah. why. There's. there's Do you know why? Go ahead. <laughs> you want me to say? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, Jennifer Connelly. Well, that no, that's not the only reason I want to talk about this okay. movie. Okay. Um, I, and I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll say this much because I actually have something to announce in regards to this movie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, thing to announce with regarding to career opportunities. I, I, I actually do. Okay. I actually do. Um, I have actually uh, recorded my first commentary track for the Blu-ray of this movie. No kidding. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It, this that movie is to announce. Yeah, this movie is coming out uh, in June from Kino. June twenty second, I believe, is the the release date. And uh, through our mutual friend Sergio, who has been commentary king the last mm-hmm. couple years, uh, he actually, <laughs> after I had mentioned this as a potential 
why is this not on Blu-ray on on our podcast? Uh, Sergio just happened to mention to Kino, I was like, hey, I know someone who loves this movie. He oversold <laughs> it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Ow. yeah, but they, they came to me and because I do have a fondness for this movie. I, I think it's I think it's an incredibly flawed movie. Uh, but I, I have a fondness for it kind of being a bit of a John Hughes throwback that then got kind of butchered up in, in the editing. And I, I I don't know all the details of the Blu-ray yet and if there's going to be any deleted footage, like half the trailer uh, is deleted footage practically. Uh, but I, yeah, I, they, they came to me and was like, would you like to do this? And I'm like, sure. And uh, yeah, so a couple weeks ago, I actually was here where I am right now recording uh, my, the, the full-length commentary track for this Blu-ray. Amazing! That's great. Congratulations! That's Thank great. You. Thank you very much. Wow. Yeah. So now, now I will rewatch it. I did not rewatch <laughs> the show because I don't want to watch Korea. Yeah, I'll watch. Yeah, it. I'll watch it with your commentary. I would say, I, well, please watch yeah. it with my commentary. You've seen the movie, obviously. Uh, again, I admit, you know, for the purposes of this podcast, I will, as I just stated, I said I think it's a very flawed movie. Obviously, I have uh, when even when I first saw it, I like I walked out and it's like I was kind of disappointed. In that, I, I didn't rise to the or sink myself to the. This is the garbage, and, and that's still you know, what Chan Hughes hated the movie and took wanted to take his name off it. Like I didn't think it was that bad. I think that there is it's messy, uh, but I think that that middle section of the two of them in in the target and coming you know coming to know each other. I think there's some real real genuine stuff in there, and I think that there's a darker movie buried within there and that's all the kind of stuff that i go into on the commentary and again i'm i'm not going to try to convince anyone that this is some masterpiece i certainly do not think it is obviously this is not amongst my top 20 films (laughs) of the year obviously but uh i hope that on the commentary track that uh maybe both of you will find a little a little bit more appreciation for some of the things uh, within the movie so i'll try there you go i haven't seen it in 30 years so it's like I vague, I only remember like certain images and things, but mm-hmm. that's it. So uh, I go into those images. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Fresh from national exposure in over fourteen hundred theaters, MCA Universal Home Video is backing career opportunities with exciting POP. I was fifteen when I invented. The artificial dog heart. How you doing? John Hughes, the creator of The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Uncle Buck. Did I ever tell you about the time that I signed a professional ball contract? Would like to introduce you to Jim Dodge. You got fired again, didn't you? I'm not like everybody else. He's got brain damage. He does not. He spent 21 years improving on reality. Going to Paris on an F-14. Jim is going to find himself. Are you a slacker? No, I'm a Presbyterian. I can offer you four forty-four per hour. Four four forty four dollars and forty-four cents. What about the benefits? There's no eating. You're not being paid to eat, so don't. Don't play any music. I don't have any time to play any music. Don't touch me. This just made me want to go to Target. The whole the whole movie, really. Was I, I again? It was one of the things I point out on on the track is that I didn't even know Target existed until this movie. Mm. Like there were no Targets. I don't in think there Illinois. Yeah, you're at right. Least I don't think in, there were. At least not in the suburbs where where I was. Uh, so this was like I thought it was a made up store. 
when I saw the movie. I thought that this was just they created some you know big Kmart because we you know we had Kmart, but we didn't have Target. So I thought it was just a you know sort of a, a fancy thing. And there's also there's a <laughs> I point out there's another bit of there's there's a store that's mentioned in the film that's not in Illinois. The movie is supposed to be take place in Illinois, but it's actually filmed in Georgia. And they make a Georgia specific reference to something that's not in Illinois. So I point oh, that interesting. out in the commentary okay. too. Yeah. So something I had to look up, but I it, it's in there. So anyway, moving on to April. Yeah. Um, so uh, this uh, this month brings uh, sort of the announcement of uh, Todd Haynes. Um, yeah, I thought it was it, his it, debut, but actually he did the Superstar yeah. movie before this. But uh, he's one of my favorite directors, and so I, I made sure to to rewatch this, and it's it's really interesting. It's Poison is the name of the movie. Poison. Yeah. 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 And you know, c- consider an early entry in the new queer cinema movement. And uh, it's an anthology film with three separate stories, and it's very, very creepy and weird at times. Um, mm-hmm. There's images that you'll never forget when you watch it. I I wouldn't say it's you know it's it's clearly he's still finding his voice through these stories, and you know it's an early film of his. Uh, really, I think you know Safe is his masterpiece, and he makes that in about four years, but. This is definitely worth seeing. It's it's just it's it's really quirky and strange at times. It, it's very offbeat. <laughs> so prepare yourself. Oh yeah, I mean it's he's doing a lot of experimentation with non-linear storytelling. He's right. got, you know, fake documentary, he's got surrealism, old sci-fi, mad doctor genre tropes in it. Um kind of all thrown into a blender uh, telling these three stories that all have a a, a gay Theme, yeah, uh, reminds me is, of uh, you know, Boonwell a little bit. Yeah, um, co- it was a controversial movie at the time. Um, today probably wouldn't be, but uh, but at the time it was. But it was the uh, it was the, one of the big Sundance breakout hits of, of that right. year. Right, I shouldn't say hit, but it's one of the big breakout movies uh, that you know where a, a talent emerged from that from that Sundance Film Festival that uh, you know would go on to make a lot of great films. Um, yeah, it's definitely worth seeing. It's and very I, I caught up with uh, I caught up with a movie that I'd never seen before, but I always heard good things about called Impromptu. With hmm. um, oh, I'm blanking on who's in it. <laughs> uh, what is it? It's not Judy Davis. Um, yeah, Judy, Judy Davis. Davis. Thank Hugh you, Grant. Yes, Judy Davis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Um, I really liked it. I mean, I, I thought it was. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but um, I could hmm. see like. Amy Sherman Palladino being a fan of this movie oh. and getting a lot of influence from. It. Okay, um, it's got yeah, it's got really yeah, it's a really fun like romantic uh, period piece comedy. Um, Judy Davis is fantastic in it. Uh, really surprised me. I, I I really really enjoyed it. I found myself laughing a lot during this movie, and uh, hmm. I'm glad I I'm glad I caught up. With it. Well, I will do the same. Uh, yeah, Hugh Grant is Chopin, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen to me. We are friends, and we are going to watch out for each other forever. Something terrible happened that night. I mean, you have a friend, two friends, married, <laughs> or at each other's throats. <laughs> when are you going to start listening to me, huh? So what if I want to have another baby? No, no, why, no, why, no why, because why, we already why? talked about this, and you know that. 
Get this taken care of. Something no one wanted to talk about. He used to be such a happy-go-lucky guy. Well, I'm very happy-go-lucky. Uh, <laughs> Guess who? We're partying, baby. I'm gonna kill him one of these days. So help me God. Um, um, mortal thoughts. Yeah, I didn't I like get around to watching this, uh, but I, I I wanted to, but I just didn't get around. It's to like it. kind of like Rashomon a little bit, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's two sort of two women. Um, and uh, Demi Moore and Glenn Headley, Hetty, um, or Hetty Headley, right? Headley, yeah. Headley, yeah. Um, Headley. Bruce Willis is the the abusive husband. Headley's abusive husband, and uh, it's the story of how the two of them. He he winds up dead, and it becomes a story of them getting the story straight and the cover up that that you know consumes them basically. Uh, Harvey Keitel is the the cop that's interrogating them. So it's a, a lot of flashback. Again, you talk about closet land interrogation. That's most a good portion of this movie is that. But right. then also the uh, is, is I mean it's Alan Rudolph uh, who who directed this movie, and it's it's I mean it's very much a, sort of a crime procedural with a lot of here's all the stuff. It's sort of like uh, Big Little Lies. I would I would say is a very oh. uh, is very influential. Uh, going back to, to to this movie, it has a lot of uh, that in common uh, w- with that series as well. Uh, and it's yeah, I mean, it's, and it's the the two women you know start to turn on each other who can who can trust. And there's a, a twist later on in the movie. Um, yeah, it, it's it's again very watchable uh, film with some good performances and Bruce Willis. Right, he, he you know, 1991 was a year where he was. You know, he was still doing like the big action hero, actions hero stuff, but he yeah. was also trying to find his way into doing these sort of supporting parts. And obviously, he was married to Demi Moore at the time, uh, and so he was, you know, finding you know these little character roles uh, that were sort of a, a much different than the action hero type characters that he wants to play. And he's good at he's good yeah. at this. It's a reminder that Bruce Willis, when he's awake, can be a very good actor. Uh, he's just not very <laughs> awake anymore. Uh, but this is one of those examples of it. it. It's it's a good film. It is. It's uh it's one of the ones I watched pretty early on, like last summer. So it's not as fresh. Mm. But uh, I I enjoyed it actually. I thought it was mm-hmm. pretty well written. Harvey Keitel's in this as well. Uh, yeah. No, I I thought he, I thought Bruce Willis did a great job as the villain here. Uh, and I, I just like the I like the setup and structure, and you you eventually find out what really happened. Uh, and it's effective. I, I, I actually really, and I, I know we kind of um, dismissed Alan Rudolph last year with Love at Large, and rightfully so. But yeah, he's made some. He's made a few good movies once in a while, here mm-hmm. and there. So it's it's. I recommend it too. Solid B, yeah. three stars. Yeah, so I guess no one wants to talk about Steven Seagal's Out for Justice then. It's one of the better ones, isn't it? I, I think it's actually, yeah. I would. I was just about to say it's actually. I mean, and when you say one of the better ones, we're talking like like two and a half stars. But <laughs> yeah. that's the, but that's a pretty that's a pretty good rating for a Steven Seagal movie. Um, I mean, after you know we we and then we've covered all the other ones. I mean, Above the Law was in '88, and then we did Hard, Hard to, to Kill, Kill and Mark for Death. Those two, I don't I'm, I don't care for much at all. This one though, at least has a little bit of a propulsion to it. Okay. I mean, it's still the pretty standard Steven Seagal is going to walk into a pool hall and people don't give him what he wants, so he beats the hell out of them. There's, I mean, there's a couple of scenes, there's a, there are a couple of scenes in this movie that are so far out ridiculous that you kind of just have to enjoy them. 
Um, and it's also a pre on deadly ground thing. I think another guy gets hit in the balls and is talking about my balls, my balls. Um, <laughs> everyone in this movie is so Italian. Uh, you know, the, 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 I mean, the, the level of Italian in this movie is sort of off the charts, uh, including Seagal, who's putting on like a kind of Italian dialect every once in a while. Uh, there's a <laughs> there's a scene in the movie where he literally takes like a meat. I think he's in a butcher shop, and he takes a meat cleaver and he jams Jackson in this guy's hand and pins him to a wall, and just the one hand. Okay, oh. and the guy is standing there against the wall with his hand pinned by the meat cleaver, just scream going ow ow, and like he he <laughs> could take the other hand and take the cleaver out at any time, and he's just sitting there against the wall going ah. I'm like, dude, just take the cleaver out. It's you know, it's gonna hurt, but you can do that. Um, so, but like the first hour is basically Seagal's cop chasing down William Forsythe's bad guy, who's like kind of gone rogue in the mob and the time. I mean, the plot is stupid, but it's at least sort of this like ticking clock kind of all night type of picture. With hmm. and then every once in a while, Steven Seagal like beats up everyone with a cue ball from a pool table which is kind of awesome. Uh, the, the last half hour then kind of slows itself down a bit and relaxes, which is not what you want from a Steven Seagal movie. Uh, and again, Steven Seagal versus William Forsythe, not much of a battle. <laughs> not much of a battle. I mean, it's, it's, one of the, it's maybe one of the most one-sided fights you will ever see <laughs> in a movie p- between a hero and the, and the villain. I mean, I mean, of all time, all-time mismatches. It's not even close. It's the biggest day of Snaps Provolone's life. I got till noon to look like a banker. And everything is going wrong. His daughter has a surprise. Did he tell you I was pregnant? His other daughter is a surprise. What other one? You got two daughters? His wife is upset. You had a child with the new maid? The cops are closing in. The help is moving out. I quit! And now Snaps is falling apart. Zip it. Sylvester Stallone. Oscar. Rated PG. Speaking of very Italian. Oh, uh, God. (laughs) Oscar. Um, this is one of those movies I watched it recently and, and this is a movie that I would love to remake if mm-hmm. I could just but I but I want to keep Tim Curry but yeah I that's replace, the best thing that's, that's the best thing uh, one of those yeah it's like I want to recast everything else and, and, and pick up the pace <laughs> and turn and make it more into the noises off like uh, comedy that it wants to be Mm-hmm. But it's like it's lagging, like its pace is is lagging. But yeah. it could have been just like super fast paced, super fun. Um, I'm totally on board with what this movie wants to be, but I just like I don't think it's directed very well. I I think it just needs to like it it just it just has uh you know the wrong sensibility behind it. I think um, Stallone but, and uh, comedy, but just I don't. don't, I, don't I also. Well, I, I also kind of enjoy watching Stallone try. I mean, I, I don't think he's he's terrible, and I don't think the movie is as bad as its reputation suggests. I think there are some funny moments in it, but um, but yeah, I, it's it's one of those that I'm like, ah, it, there was potential here, but it just didn't, this doesn't quite do it for me. I agree. Uh, no, I'm joining Siskel and Ebert on this one and giving it a, a recommendation. I, yeah. I actually think I actually think this movie's funny. Yeah. Um, I I agree with Colin that if the movie you know, I mean, it's like you're watching the movie at like a certain speed and you just want to take the speed and move it up just a little bit, just notch yeah. it up just a little bit and, and, and pace it up. And maybe you can do that with like your your, your own uh, 
equipment and just make the the speed like one and a half times while you're watching yeah. it, and it'd probably be awesome watching it like that. Maybe not awesome, but uh, but no, I think the movie's very funny, and I, I think the, the the cast is 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 I think the cast is much better than you give it credit for, Colin. Um, Tim, Tim Curry is great, not the whole cast, but uh, I mean, I, I I don't dislike the whole cast. I just mm. like there's. there's just things in it that I wish I could change. Mm, I mean, I, I don't know. I think Stallone's pretty funny in it. I like Marissa Tomei, Peter Riegert. I like in it. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I, I've always, I, I got a soft spot for this movie. Huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Maybe I'll do the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, boy, I, the one I saw for the first time from this month that just made me laugh out loud was Toy Soldiers. I, I, I not <laughs> oh. oh my god. This is, this is hilariously terrible. Um, yeah, uh, how did this get made should definitely be done. In well, here's the funny here, there's, there's, like, I, I, I enjoyed like the scenes in the, in the dorm room are especially ridiculous because um, I <laughs> I, I was I, I look in the background on, on you know for post for for posters that catch my eye and there are a few movies from this year where I saw a U two poster in the background and I'm a diehard U two fan for people who don't that's know. why you watch that mm, there it is but this one was hilarious because like when Rattle and Hum came out they had a poster for each band member in in the you know for the theaters to put up to advertise it. And in this movie, like they have a rattle and hum poster, but it's the Larry Mullen Jr. poster <laughs> for some reason. Like, I, I did a freeze frame of that. I'm like, sent it all to my YouTube friends. I'm like, look, he's got have a Larry Mullen Jr. poster in their bed in their dorm room. Like, who does that? You know, it's like uh, that that cracked me up. And then there's like in those same scenes in in, in the dorm room where they're this is diehard in a high school yeah. for people who don't know this yes. movie. Like, the high school's been taken over by terrorists and these like six or seven like post pubescent teenagers are gonna like figure out a way to like thwart the plan uh, and, and get rid of the terrorists and sean astin and will wheaton and uh keith coogan mm-hmm. uh are in this only three that i remember off the top of my head and like there's so many scenes of them walking around with you know trying to plan things but they're like walking around like pantsless in their like tidy whiteies yes. and like just randomly like and it's like is this supposed to be for the ladies in the audience like a little something for these like mm-hmm. teenagers of yeah it'll something for the ladies who came to see toy soldiers uh it was like what the hell's going on here it's an early um, david anyway, Kep script is, hmm. you brought up the underwear uh which is something i never <laughs> thought I'd, I, I'd say but the thing is is that I, I like i was again i was in high school when this movie came out and i knew people friends of mine in high school uh, that really liked this movie. Huh. They really, they just really liked this movie a lot. And but they always joked about they're always running around in their underwear. Like <laughs> it's just like you know, it's just I wish they. I, I mean, I like them with the fighting the terrorists. I just wish they weren't running around in their underwear so much. And and you're right. That's like like the first half of the movie is them all of them in their tiny. I'm like men. I don't even you know men. They might go nude in the shower, but they don't just walk around in their underwear with, no. with each other. Um, and and also has one of the funniest death scenes, uh, if, you know, for a hero. Oh yeah, <laughs> in the movie that's that that I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna spoil it. Thirty years later, I guess I, I'm sensitive to that. But the person who dies because they basically can't operate the gun, 
is so funny. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's supposed to be a shocking moment, but it's that is played. It, it ends up as being comedy. Right. And doesn't yeah. Sean Aston spend like the last half hour, like he's got like jean shorts and then like a shirt that has like showing his midriff and yes. he's like doing all these action movie poses because he's yep. like trying out as an action star. Yeah. Oh my God. He's and I, like, and another, I just remember the kids in high school are just like, yeah. And then they fight the terrorists and they all sync up their watches. And <laughs> that's so like, cool. <laughs> they sync up their watches. Okay, cool. Great. I'll go see that. I, oh god it's not good no it's not it's terrible you know what's good uh, what what truly madly deeply the day jamie went away nina's whole world fell apart it's tragic one minute he has a sore throat and he's having an examination the next moment he stopped breathing then without warning he came back truly miraculous are you here you are here i'm here <laughs> didn't i probably maybe that's why i didn't come back <laughs> is this gonna be your party trick and he's back but then what this is freddie uh, this is Pierre. Uh, some of the guys wanted to come back and... You're telling me that there are dead people in my living room watching videos? Five easy pieces or fits corralled. Huh. It makes me cry really hard. Really? Yeah, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a great beginning to end, you know, masterpiece or anything, but I kind of agree with Ebert. It's like, go, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ghost for grown-ups, as he put it. But, um, I, I, I think it's just the presence of Alan Rickman, maybe, and you know, like him singing that uh, that song with Juliet Stevenson together. She's a cellist, I believe, uh, or is he the cellist? No, He's okay. the cellist. Yes, yes. And uh, when they sing, the sun ain't gonna shine anymore. And that song is actually one of my favorite songs too. That's that's just oh, I love that. I I actually really love this movie, and it's just a really warm really beautiful movie about loss and what you know what you go through mentally uh and again like just after seeing it after i think i i saw it right after alan rickman passed too so i think that added just another layer uh in in just missing him in general but i I don't know i I think this is a special little movie that is not easy to find right now no that's why i didn't watch it because i mm. can't find it this is like once around again it's like this mm. could have been in my top 20 maybe but i'll never know um i did manage to find it uh and, and as shocking as this might be uh i had actually never seen this movie before uh and i was you know all the you know i, I hear people talk about this a lot on twitter especially anytime rickman's name comes up mm-hmm. and, you know, it's like like the two movies they mentioned are die hard and truly madly deeply and I was like, well, I, I got to watch this for the show. So I, I, I did manage to find it. And uh, I watched it. I'm just like, why? And I'm sitting there as I start the movie. I'm like, why have I not bothered to watch this movie in 30 years? And then it shows a film by Anthony Mangella. I'm like, oh, right. That's, that's it. I like that's right. I like there. talented Mr. Ripley. That's the one. It, well, <laughs> name the others. This one's good. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I was shocked at how much I disliked this movie. Oh, you're weird. 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm not. Um, I, no, I was you know because it takes forever to get to Rickman for one. Okay, that's true. And and Rickman is barely in this movie. I, I was surprised. I mean, the movie's only 90, 100 minutes, maybe not even that much. But I would be surprised if he's in this movie more than 35 minutes hmm. in, in total. And the stuff around those scenes between the two, like the first time he comes back um, and they have that all night scene together, that's that's really nicely done. And oh, Rickman yeah. is charming as hell and, he, and he's terrific. Uh, then, you know, she like leaves for work again. She leaves the house and Rickman's out of the movie for a while. And I mean, seriously, Juliet Stevenson has more suitors in this movie than Cameron Diaz and there's something about Mary. <laughs> yeah, he meets that psychologist and stuff. And yeah, everybody yeah. wants to hit on her. And I'm just thinking, like, her boyfriend just died. Right. I'm like, could you give the woman a little bit of, I mean, they are aggressively wooing her aggressively and like and all of them are annoying and not funny and not interesting and i just i I don't know why she doesn't tase some of these guys Hmm. they're so aggressive uh and then i'm just like like can we please get back to rickman and then the movie starts to take that turn where he starts to basically sort of sabotage her memory of him so she can get on with her life and i think that is a remarkably shitty message for a movie and even even if it's a, a moment of sort of self sacrifice on his part, I think the overall message of that is incredibly shitty. Huh. You know, okay. I, I I think the idea that that the person that you can't move on because okay, Jim, you and I have experienced different types of similar yeah. types of grief. Okay, and could you imagine one of those people coming back to us and making us feel lesser about them so we can move on from our grief instead of carrying it with that's us. That's a little misguided, I would say. You know, and I, I think that because that's what I think this movie is ultimately about. It's, it's meant to be this sort of this, you know, this moment of, uh, you know, Rickman doing it, you know, for her. And it's supposed to be this, you know, this conscientious, um, uh, chivalrous, chivalrous, chivalrous mm-hmm. type moment. But it comes off as so false. And I'm just like, and, and, and he's just driving her into the arms of these dipshits that keep hitting on her when her boyfriend just died. I mean, these guys are all assholes. Um, so I was, I, I kind of aggressively disliked this movie, and I'm just like, if people weren't swooning over Alan Rickman, maybe they'd see what this movie is really about. Because I think, I think it's, it, well, it's an you're absolute may, You're making me rethink it, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should do the commentary on this one. Yeah, let's just, just do all the movies from 1991. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate, I'm going I'm to say it, I hated this movie. Hmm. I definitely right. like it a lot. Yeah, I'll cross it off my list. There you go. <laughs> uh, I want to hear your opinion on it now. Where do you stand? I know. You know, I don't know. I haven't seen it in thirty years. I liked it thirty years ago, but I don't know. Um, but uh, we're in the month of May right now, so there's a lot to talk about from this month. Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to backtrack a little bit to a movie called A Rage in Harlem, which I discovered this year finally. And, mm-hmm. uh, Really surprised by it. I really liked it. Uh, I Forrest it was, Whitaker, it was, right? Yeah, a lot of fun characters. Uh, I thought it was it had a funny script, really good cast. Uh, it's sort of pre-Tarantino, um, oh, hmm. but uh, it's uh, he's Bill, not Bill Duke it, directed I, it. But I'm yeah. saying it, it has, yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I just uh, 
I don't remember what the I remember what my overall other impressions were of it, but I just remember really enjoying it. So. I'll check it out. Yeah, Gregory Hines, Forrest Whitaker, uh, the Robin Givens is the femme fatale mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's a fun movie. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, let's see. I I didn't get a chance to watch One Good Cop. Um, yeah, you don't need I, to. I, Eric, I know you're I know you're a Michael Keaton fanatic, so. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Uh, but this one you, is uh, you can skip this one. Um, okay. You know, Michael Keaton trying to do it. You know, do, not you know he's not bad at dramatic roles. He's very good at very dramatic roles. Uh, but this one is this one's not good. I mean, he plays a guy whose partner gets killed, and he's trying to do right by the partner's family because they feel like he won't get his pension or something along those lines. Uh, so he basically becomes a cop that then robs the bad guys to you know he plots this heist to rob the bad guys and then uses the money to give to you know his partner's families and whatnot and it's it's, it's very it's it's it's, it's cliched it's mm-hmm. not you know particular it's not particularly well done um yeah i mean it's, it's if you're it's a keaton curiosity but you don't need to be that curious about okay. it okay all right yeah i am very um. curious about madonna I'm so desperate. For what, honey? For some fun. He loves me. He loves me not. Were there any messages? He really cares about me. Dad? Yes. Hi, it's me. Well, hi, how are you? I realize I haven't talked to you in a while, and I, I have no idea if you guys are coming to the show, what night, blah, blah, blah. Well, whatever you guys can get us tickets for. Dad, I can get you tickets any night you want to come. I like this movie. I me like too. Truth in Air. Yeah. This is the era of Madonna that I love. Um, mm-hmm. The Blonde Ambition Tour, I think, is amazing. Uh, oh, if, you, yeah. if you can watch the full length concert uh, before seeing this movie, I think I would recommend it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't know. I think the concert stuff in this movie is amazing. The documentary stuff. Yeah, she's not a likable person. I know that. But uh, <laughs> that's I kind of knew that already. Um, I don't need a movie to show her in a positive light. Uh, you know, that's fine. But um, I find this movie very entertaining and, ver- and a very cool concert film. Agreed. Yeah, no, I mean, she's just um, ambitious. And she sh- yeah. you see her as this like this really yeah. kind of smart business person as well as being a very talented mm-hmm. performer and you know it's just like the more men that kind of gets sucked into her orbit the more the, the lamer they seem and the cooler she seems and i mean you could you know her not caring what kevin costner has <laughs> to say to her <laughs> in the movie about oh my kids thought your show was neat yeah uh, and neat <laughs> neat <laughs> uh, and poor warren Beatty's like i mean seriously it's like one of the only times you see warren Beatty like relegated to the background yeah, and like he mm-hmm. is not the most important person in that room at that no. point. Um, and yeah, no, it's 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 yeah. Th- this is my my favorite period of Madonna as well. I mean, the '80s up until the early '90s is sort of my favorite Madonna period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, hundred yeah. percent. It's very entertaining. Um, um I wanted to ch- shovel back really quickly, and we're in May, but to jump back to April. Did either of you ever see a Kiss Before Dying? 
Oh, you know what? I did. Uh, oh yeah, Dylan Sean Young. Sean Young. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is I. This is the movie when people, you know, that he just did that movie with Lars von Trier, the house that Jack built, where he plays a serial killer. Uh, to me, this is the better movie. This this one well, is it's yeah. more it's more pulpy. It's more just it's it's you know it's a 90, 90 minute movie and you're kind of in and you're out. Um, it's just it's just full of pulp and everything and uh, and and it's, and it's pretty fun. Yeah, I saw it a long time ago and I I I enjoyed it for for Dylan for sure. Mm-hmm. I like watching yeah, it's, a creepy villain. Yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty dumb, but uh, there's an <laughs> enjoyment factor in it that I can't deny. Um, Sean Young is is pretty bad in it, but uh, but mm. you know, who you know who cares? It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry to bring it up. Yeah. No, it's okay. no, it's, no, no, no. I, I got no, really nothing more to say about it. I, no, I it's sort fine. of agree. All being yeah. dumb. Fun. I just yeah. wanted to say I liked it. I okay. wish I liked Switch. Cause uh, yeah. yeah, I mean it's got potential for sure. Almost Arkin like has Oscar. Yeah, Barkin has uh, Ellen Barkin. This is a, a what, what's the premise of this thing again? She's a she's it's a man who comes back to life as a woman, and he has to figure he has to learn like how women are treated. He's it's a like, complete yeah. chauvinistic pig, right. and he's you know he's yeah. carrying on multiple affairs and stuff like that. And he gets lured one night by three women that he's sleeping with, and they kill him. Uh, and then he and then he wake he goes to the afterlife, and God sends him back as a woman, Ellen Barkin, who has all his memories. She you know he's aware that it's you know it's still him, and he has to find one woman that actually loves him uh, yeah. or her. To, uh, to to move on to the afterlife, and the the, the I, I don't know if the the solution to that is clever or cheap. I've never quite reconciled, uh, you know how they how they solve that problem at the end of the movie. But it's it's a movie that that Blake Edwards like had some really great starts to movies. I mean, like Skin Deep, we talked about a oh, couple right. years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, I think like John Ritter is is good in that movie, but it's 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 very one note, uh, and it's just, and it's very heavy handed in its dramatic aspects. And this one too, I mean, this one you think is going to be a bit more on the comedic, the broader comedic side, and it has moments like that for sure. But then it turns into like you know Blake Edwards' examination of you know male chauvinistic, something that he'd been he'd been doing for a long time. Uh, and as good as Ellen Barkin is in this movie, and she's very good. Yeah, and again, it, she's the reason to see it, pretty much. Totally, totally. Uh, but I mean, the the, the screenplay kind of is, is not as clever as it thinks it is. Agreed. Do you remember the advertisement for this movie? They, it's they, her, it's they her hanging off the pole with her pants off, right? No, but I mean, in, in the commercial when they announced when they, they they joked on this on Mystery Science Theater a few times, um, where the announce the the narrator of the commercial is like Ellen Barkin in Switch, Jimmy Smith's Ellen Barkin, C. Blake Edwards' newest comedy, Switch. Have a nice day, Jimmy Smith's starts Friday, May tenth. The early episodes of Mystery Science Theater, like they would throw in a Jimmy Smith's like thing in there. Like, <laughs> I don't remember you, that. You can find a trailer that came out at this period where they just kind of like subliminally men- mentioned Jimmy Smith. <laughs> uh, really funny. It's so bizarre. <laughs> That's great. Oh, <laughs> uh, and then one of the best comedies of this year, I think. Um, maybe not one of the best films of the year, but certainly one of the funnier comedies is uh, What About Bob? Hmm. 
mm. uh, Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss. I still think this movie is very funny. I do too. And like, I, I was, I wasn't sure I was going to feel about the portrayal of therapy in, in this movie. Oh no. God, no. Let's listen to that. <laughs> I know. Acknowledge that. Yes. Obviously when I first saw it as a teenager, it, it was just the Bill Murray show. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps through the office. Baby steps out the door. It works. It works. All I have to do is take one little step at a time, and I can do anything. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a very good comedy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I you know I like the movie. I, I've never been on the side of the people who really love this movie or or, or really think it's one of the best comedies comedies of the year. M- mainly because I, I tend to fall in with Richard Dreyfus during this movie. I, mm-hmm. I tend to be sure. so much be on his side, and Bill Murray is so annoying in the film uh, that I just I, I want to you know like r- when Richard Dreyfus is having his breakdowns in the movie. Those are uh, I, you know it, it, yeah it's, it's very yeah. funny, but I'm I'm completely on his side. I'm like mm-hmm. I'm having those breakdowns at the same time. I, I kind of want to throw Bill Murray into a lake for most of the movie, <laughs> and I and I love Bill Murray, and it's just yeah. But, but you uh, don't bring your patient in to hang out with your family. That's, no, you well he yeah, but Bill Murray does sure. that to himself. That's true. Um, yeah, you know, him you know, like walking down the street still looking for Richard Dreyfus is still an incredibly funny scene. Um, and there and there and there yeah, there are many funny scenes in this movie. I just I I, I like this movie. I don't love it. Mm-hmm. Understood. I think it's like the last great manic Dreyfus performance we get from him, right? I would think I so. Cry, so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying now. You got me thinking about if there's any things post this that was a great manic Dreyfus performance. I, don't, I always, you know, <laughs> I, I always do tend to do. There's a moment where he tells Bill Murray to get out of the car. Uh, really quickly, though, just like last year, I believe, uh, I'll say it again. I'm a huge Jane Campion fan, so uh, An Angel at My Table is it's well worth seeing. I thought it was technically a TV miniseries, but I guess it was edited into a feature. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty long. It's like two and a half hours. Um, yeah. No, but it's about an, an author named Janet Frame, and it's a really interesting portrayal of mental illness and how it can affect you. And certainly the, the, her years in the mental institution are really rough. Uh, but she finds, you know, uh, an outlet through her writing and was celebrated for that fact. And it's yeah. Heavy, no, heavy a, movie, but it's um, great. It's a, it's a good movie. I, I, I caught up with it. Uh, Criterion Channel has it on right now. Yeah, and I, yeah. I had never seen it before and um, found myself getting got really sucked into it. Um, surprisingly, I was kind of like, "Ugh, Jane Campion, two and a half hours. This is going to be a this is going to be a slug or a slug a, a, a slog." Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, because you never know. Like I like Jane Campion too, but sometimes not so much. Uh, but this was this is a really good movie. And, yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, I. I I, I recommend it too. Yeah, too. I want to see the fan edit of this movie with What About Bob. Just combine those two <laughs> movies together and see what what comes out the other side. I think that that'd be 
That's that was my kind of. That's movie. what I love about this um, podcast. Bob We're talking about what yeah. about Bob and then that's right. That's and right. Angel at my table. Um, yeah, I mean, if, I, seriously, if we're gonna if we're going to at least acknowledge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, then we have to acknowledge FX two. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Mannequin two. No. Well, <laughs> Uh, I, and I still remember I saw that at the Woodfield one and two, and then walked to the Woodfield Mall and saw Defending Your Life. That was that was one that's uh, cool. afternoon that I yeah. had. Um, I mean, I love the, the the first effects movie, Brian Brown, Brian Dennehy. I think that's a, that's a really fun movie. Agreed. Uh, this movie is just it is ridiculous on every conceivable level, and on that level, it's kind of enjoyable. You know, this is the movie with the remote control clown that is you know, like kicking ass throughout the movie. Yes, um, and and he's like being chased around grocery stores and setting baked beans on fire and stuff and exploding them in the bad guy's face. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, does anyone else have any? Uh, I don't know anything to add to FX two. I do. I mean, this movie um, is hilariously I, ridiculous. I, when Brad now, I, I didn't get a chance to revisit. No, it. no, it was Jim. When Brad and Al took Jim? over Jim, uh oh, I think we lost Jim. Oh, I think we did lose Jim. One more try. I didn't know how much I loved you. One more try. Let me put my arms around you. Living all these lonely nights without you. Oh, baby, can we give it one more try? Uh, so when Brad and Al took over the show, one of their early episodes was an episode on Richard Franklin, and I was kind of like, I would have liked to have been on for that, because I, I like his sequels. <laughs> I like Psycho 2, and I like FX 2. I think they're very entertaining. It's very silly at times. But uh, no, I think, uh, interesting enough, I think this was written by Bill Condon, if I'm not mistaken. Let me see. Yeah. Really interesting. Like he did some weird writing early on before he did, you know, something like Gods and Monsters. And uh, yeah, um, FX Two is fun. I I, I agree with with uh, Eric on this. I I have no opinion. I have did not rewatch it. So, but yeah. I, I I will. Someday. It's it's not as good yeah. as the first one. But oh, it's not even close. But but it's still entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I still like it's, it. it. Yeah, it's goofy. Yeah, Kevin J O'Connor shows up. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. What are more interesting uh, success stories from this year? If you can call this, a, you know, two million at the box office is a success story, but it is. Um, there's this movie called Straight Out of Brooklyn. Yeah, I couldn't find it. Um, yeah, it's, it was. I, I can't remember how I saw it, but it was. I saw it over the summer, and um, it's the reason it's a, it's a success story is because Maddie Rich, the writer and director of the movie, uh, was like, I want to say. 19 when he made it it was like that was the story was like mm-hmm. this movie was made by something that young and oh, right. you know it's a movie that got a theatrical release um and uh i mean when you watch it you can tell it's made by a very young filmmaker uh you know starting out um but it's like well hey i wish i could have had a theatrical <laughs> movie at the age of 19 so good for him <laughs> um it's so in that you know it, it, when you give it that much leeway, it's it's not a bad movie. It's it's actually okay, but um, but uh, it, and it falls into that same um, 
reoccurring uh, genre that we see this year of the you know the black urban uh, street gang film um, that uh, you know that we're going to see more of as we go along. Agreed. Um, yeah, I want to. I'll definitely write this one down because I've been curious about it. and yeah, I don't think yeah. I ever got to see it. Yeah, just it's a curiosity. It's not great, but it's it's interesting that something like that happened. Um, but uh, then we got our first like really kind of big summer blockbuster uh, for this year, which is Ron Howard's Backdraft. Um, low seventy seven million. That's all this movie made. I mm-hmm. thought it made a lot more than that. Um, but this was the big uh, firefighter epic shot in Chicago um, with a big ensemble cast and uh, and and noted for a lot of its special effects. The kind of like the firefighting scenes were really what got the movie the most where, where most reviewers were very, you know, it gave the movie a lot of acclaim uh, for what they were able to pull off. And um, that is the best stuff in the movie, I think. Um is like that first big fire scene I think is pretty damn good. Yeah, um, for sure. And you know, this is the movie that back in the day you had to see it in the theater to really get the full impact of it or you know get it on laser disc. Um I got a DVD from uh from Netflix and this one and it was clearly like the one of the first DVDs Universal ever pressed because it looked awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's time to upgrade some of your copies Netflix cuz this looks like <laughs> garbage. Um but I think story-wise, I think the whole mystery conspiracy aspect of it is a little silly. But um, yeah, but uh, there's a lot. The, the, but it, it's it's quite a cast, and um, like I said, the firefighting stuff is pretty damn good. Yeah, I've always been in the middle on this one. Like, there's good things in it, but I've never been over the moon about it, and wish it had been stronger in terms of the script. I mean, obviously the cast is great, like you mentioned, and that's. You know, anytime you get a good a good ensemble together, I'm on board. And obviously, you won't be, you won't be bored watching it. Um, but yeah, Jeez, what is going on over there? <laughs> it's like, what happened? I don't what know. Happened? I'm just hearing like all this rumbling going on, or oh. something going on there. Hmm. I don't know. No, right, I'm not, sorry, I'm not moving. Hmm. Okay, Eric, go what ahead. do you think of Backdraft? Oh, it's, oh, there you go. Um, no, I like the movie. Uh, I, you know, I, I've always defended a lot of Ron Howard stuff. I think he makes very entertaining populist entertainment. And this one, like Colin said, I mean, the, the, the fire scenes in this movie are really spectacular. I mean, we had really not yeah. seen anything quite like this. And the, the, the level, I mean, you could maybe go back to like Towering Inferno and say stuff, something like that. But the, the, the degrees, no pun intended, of the, the, the fire scenes are a real standout. I, I think Kurt Russell's very good in this movie. I, I think that the, the role that he plays, uh, I, I, I think that he brings something uh, that's uh, a, a lot more interesting than what's probably just on the page. Uh, mostly this is a William Baldwin film. Uh, he really sort of becomes the central focus of the movie and he's not nearly as interesting. Uh, thankfully they at least team him up with Robert De Niro later in the movie. So a lot of that stuff about, how the fire is made and it wants to eat and hunt and all this stuff, all this kind of mystical stuff that they kind of throw in about the fire. It's kind of silly, but it's also, it's kind of fun at the same time. Um, yeah. I mean, the conspiracy stuff is kind of silly, but I, I enjoy silly mystery type stuff. And I admit that there was a portion when I first saw this movie, I'm like, I can't believe they're actually going to swing this 
the guilt to this one person. I'm like, oh my god, they're actually doing this, and then that turned out to be a bit of a cheat. Uh, so I was like, oh okay, they, they're going with this guy. <laughs> but then they they ended it in a way that I was not expecting it to end. And I always appreciate when a movie can will take a leap like that. Uh, so yeah, no, I've I've, I've always defended this movie, uh, silly warts and all. Yeah, it's all right. You can do the commentary for this one if you want. <laughs> no, I'm going to do the commentary for Backdraft Two. Oh, <laughs> have you have you seen Backdraft Two? No. no I, Did you know I, it existed? Yes. yes. Uh, Universal makes bad sequels to all their movies. Right? Yeah, it's and they movie. they recently did one for Backdraft Two, and I can honestly say it's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, they should have done uh, a anyway. sequel to Thelma and Louise. I wonder why they didn't they didn't do that. Thelma and Louise are going fishing. How come Daryl let you go? Because I didn't ask him. <laughs> I left him a note. <laughs> Thelma and Louise are going to catch hell. Look out. My hair is coming down. Hey, like the vacation club. <laughs> Louise, shoot the radio. The police radio, Louise. Thelma and Louise. You know, I'll tell you something. I had a hand in making this movie. Tell me. Uh, yeah, I'll let me tell you. Okay. So, first time I saw this movie was a year prior to its release. I went and saw, in 1990, I went and saw the movie The Hot Spot, which we talked about. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and there were people there with clipboards saying, hey, would you like to come to a test screening of a movie? are you involved in the film industry in any way? I'm like, no, I'm 18 years old or 17 years old. I work at a movie theater. Does that mean anything? Yeah, it's fine. And the movie was Thelma and Louise, a rough cut of Thelma and Louise. And, um, got to say, I, I thought it was pretty great. I was like, man, this is going to be a huge hit. And, but there is a problem. There's one problem with the movie that I put in my notes. And I said, you got to take that last shot out of the film. Where the car it, the the car goes over the cliff, and then they fade out and then fade back in, and the car is going down the road as if it landed. And I was like, <laughs> "You got to take that last shot out because it does it like totally like ruined the impact of the moment of that of that ending." And uh, sure enough, a year later, the movie came out, and I saw it. They oh, they they took my advice. They took that shot out, and now the movie's a big hit. I knew I was right, and uh, so yeah. It's, that's all because of me. I did that. Yeah, right? Ridley okay. Scott took you Those on as a, as a script supervisor from that point on. Yeah, I don't think, I, yeah. I'm still waiting for my... Yeah. I, I don't think they went but, far enough yeah. with your suggestion, Colin, because the, <laughs> uh, the, the what they managed to do with that ending, with that freeze frame fade out, and then, hey, happier times. Yeah, the montage uh, kind of sucks. I think, I think is just as damaging to the ending of that movie. Um, I, I mean, I, I like this movie. I, I think that, um, in some ways it probably plays, you know, maybe even more impactful in some ways now, obviously than as it did then. But I, I, I do still have some major problems with the film. Uh, I, I think, I think the two of them are very good in the movie. I think the, the setup is, is, is terrific and the, the journey up, really up two big problems I have with the movie. One, well, three. The 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 ending, obviously, I have a big problem with. Uh, when they sort of become the outlaw Thelma and Louise, I I don't really buy into that so much. Uh, and I also really 
don't like the Brad Pitt stuff. Mm. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, because, because she had just been raped, or at least attempted to be raped. And for that character to jump so quickly into bed with the first hunky guy that she sees after that rings completely false. I guess people's argument would be, but it's Brad Pitt. I know that this is the, I was going to say my uh, that if, you know it's the power of Brad Pitt that he can bring a rape victim back from the edge, but I I, I think that that stuff plays so phony and because and then because it leads to basically to their criminal juxtaposition because of what he teaches them, uh, I think also it rings even more hollow. So I yeah I I think that I think that they're the, the two of them are very good. Um, it's it's again it's a, it's a well made picture. It's it, it is entertaining to watch, but I think that those beats in the movie and some heavy handedness handedness along the way, uh, I think really undercut what that movie wants to be. What it ended up being, though, I mean, this was a hugely impactful film for its time. Yeah, um, and, I, yeah. and I wonder if the Don't Brad. Yeah, and I do wonder if the Brad Pitt stuff would have been written differently. This was written by a woman named Callie Curry, mm-hmm. um, who became a you know, screenwriter superstar after this film, um, because it was about two women who, you know, I mean, once once they blow away that rapist in the parking lot early in the film, like that was a huge moment uh, for movies this year, yeah. and, and because it was like. How how often in in the eighties have we been you know seeing that scenes those scenes play out differently and where a man has to come to the rescue, um, and it was just uh, it was it was a big big deal at the time, um, but yeah I mean it's it's by no means a perfect film but um, but it's I I do and I think I agree with you about the Brad Pitt stuff it did seem a little yeah. weird to me at the time when I noticed it. Um, it is fun to see like this is Brad Pitt's like big <laughs> is where he started making an impression. Uh, this is the first time I had oh, ever, ever heard of him. Yeah. Um, and he's perfect for that role. But yeah, I, I do think today probably would have been written. I, I still think it would have worked somehow. Um, maybe not, you know, go to bed with him, like, you know, have sex with him maybe, but, but some kind of relationship would have been interesting to see develop between those two characters in a different, and I think it would have been written in a different way today. But yeah, I think it's. Uh, it's, it's, it's such, I think it's just a, such a shallow progression of yeah. where those characters were, and I think that even the people, you know, women watching that movie, and you know, like you said, up to, up to the point where they, you know where they, where they killed the rapist and everything. I mean, that it's incredibly powerful. Everything up to that stuff, and you believe you know the, who these two characters are and Sarandon's past and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and if women watching that movie weren't going like. Ooh, who is that? They if they would have paid more attention to exactly what was going on in those scenes between those two characters, given it, it was almost like they forgot as much as she does what she had just gone through because like, ooh, who is that with a shirt off? <laughs> I just I don't know that, that that's always been very icky to mm. me. I I know. I I mean I would like to hear I mean, maybe, and I'm sure we will because this is the 30th anniversary of this film, and I'm sure we're going to read probably mm. a lot of interesting new takes on it uh, throughout this year. Um, 
uh, you know, po- you know, in we're in the Me Too movement, and to see like just how does it play now, thirty years later? And I, and I definitely want to read that from a from a female perspective. I really want to know like what do women think of this film right now? Um, Me too. It'll be very interesting to see what when that happens. This is um, sort of a weird coincidence, though. But like right before we started taping this, like if, I don't know, maybe about a month ago, um, Edward Zwick the director started mm-hmm. following me on Twitter mm-hmm. and uh, just out of the blue, I think I had said something nice about Chicago filmmakers or something. And he started following me and literally right before we started taping the show, he sent me like this instant message with like 10 other people in it about thoughts on screenwriting. Hmm. And, and one of the people, one of the other 10 people, 11 people in this uh, thread that he sent this to Callie Curry. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I'm just like I'm like this is like the most random thing that I could, could possibly imagine, but uh, I, I do like your movie, Callie. But I'm just saying I think that there I, I, would, I would love to have a chat with you about that section. Yeah, I was so excited when William Friedkin followed me on Twitter, but no direct messages yet. Unfortunately, mm. I don't know if he follows me on Twitter. Which is weird that I I met the guy. I don't know. Why, yeah, I don't know why he did. Actually, I must have said something. Mm. Uh, speaking of Chicago guys, but Chris Columbus and John Hughes collaboration here with uh, only the lonely and i think it's mainly notable just because it's you know kind of a john candy vehicle where he's playing a, a romantic lead but I, I think it's it's essentially marty that's all this movie really is mm-hmm. so i'm surprised that it's not like an out and out remake of it um but well, because the candy character is not as nearly as kind of pathetic as marty yeah that's true is you yeah know? that's true he's still kind of like the sweet version of john candy and like even if this you know you could, if you think this movie is mediocre i almost don't care because they they made john candy they gave john candy a romantic comedy right and, that's how i feel too yeah and I, and I think that the and i think the movie i think the movie works i i, I really i think Maureen O'Hara's character is written a l- maybe a little too broadly yeah. at times, and it's you're just gonna like, oh, why would you have that character be so hateful at times? But mm-hmm. you you got a, a romantic comedy with John Candy and Ali Sheedy, I, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the movie is sweet and uh, and and funny, and it's yeah, I, I it's 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 not a great movie, but I think it's a, a lovely gem. That is worth revisiting, uh, especially whenever John Candy's name is brought up. Yeah, I would agree with that, and especially you know I'm, I have a close relationship with my mom. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say she's definitely is she not a racist. Re- no, <laughs> um, but I, I certainly uh, I, I I know, especially early on in my in my in my twenties, I was like, yeah, I, I you know I have to you know, my mom needs me and I'm always going to be there for her and all this kind of stuff. So seeing this movie, certainly, uh, <laughs> it felt relatable despite its cartoonishness at times. And I think that's kind of inevitable when you, when you're in this era of John Hughes and Chris Columbus, that there is that love, like those dream sequences that he has <laughs> about his, like the horrible things that his, like his mom's going to like walk down, uh, you know, down a manhole and fall to her death. <laughs> Those are funny. Yeah. Those are funny. For sure. Yeah, I, I, I like the movie a lot. I mean, I, 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 I 
definitely enjoy watching John Candy in this role. I think the, the one thing that keeps it from being a, a great movie, I think, is the stuff with Ali Sheedy and how her character develops. It's it's pretty superficial. It feels like mm-hmm. how she's just kind of this wallflower, but then like all of a sudden she's you know out of the blue, she's just not anymore, and like. You know, there's. There, I feel like there's something. So, a, a better writer could have made something more of that, but um, but I think it's. I I I really do like it, and it's a it's a good Chicago movie too, because it doesn't use yes. like a lot of obvious obvious locations. It's 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 an, it has its own. It found a little its own little nook and cranny in Chicago that doesn't get explored very often. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it was filmed near O'Neill's Pub, um, Clark mm-hmm. and Roscoe. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then we mentioned Michael Lehman earlier, and his second <laughs> film this year is one of the biggest bombs of this decade, and it's uh, Hudson Hawk, um, a movie that really just kind of went out of control during production. This is Bruce Willis's dream project as a he's a, it's a singing cat burglar movie. I mean, this he he would say like this movie, this story, this idea kept me up nights. I really wanted to do it. It's like, dude, you should have taken sleeping pills. Um, <laughs> uh, you're you're you just set him like I don't know. I, I I still don't know like the story of like how did this get out of control? Like Michael Lehman's commentary on the DVD is not very en- enlightening in that regard, and nobody mm. seems to really want to like get into specifics about it. But um, it just it's a crazy crazy movie that it does defy genre. Yeah, in a big it's a mess. Um, but there's something about it that does bring me back to it once every you know 10 years or so i give yeah, it another I, look I just find it to, out of curiosity i find I like, it to be an entertaining oh, mess you know i don't know yeah i mean especially i mean i do like when sandra bernhardt and richard e grant are together in it i i for sure that's when i enjoy it the most but um but yeah you could kind of see like there was something here and it just like it got away from everybody involved <laughs> Yeah, I mean that opening prologue with the, the you know the Da Vinci stuff is that, that that's who they're they're after in the movie all mm-hmm. his stuff. Yeah. I mean that that prologue goes on almost as long as the Wonder Woman 1984 prologue. Uh, I haven't started to rewatch it, and like even like the stuff that I rem- I, I I remember kind of liking. I mean, I, the, the weird transitions from scene to scene and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know if that was part of the. I mean, clearly that seemed to be part of the the shtick of the movie. But like even like the first like burglary scene like feels so forced. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't it doesn't it, you know it seems like our one idea is like we're gonna sing through this burglary and like we know he knows all the times of how long all the songs are. Uh, but it's not it's not a particularly well done sequence, and it seems everyone's sort of like laboring to a- achieve some sort of level of like comic I don't know ecstasy in in the film that. Uh, it, it's just it never achieves that sort of euphoria for me. Hmm. No, I, for the most part, it's it's one of those movies where I I wouldn't defend it and say it's a you know it's a, it's a high work of art that you absolutely need to see. Um, but like how some people I don't know defend I don't know nothing but trouble or Howard the Duck or you know like this is one of those movies that people just pretty much outright give it zero stars or an F or whatever. and Oh, it has its defenders. I think this movie has had its defenders for even longer than some of these other movies. 
have. Mm. Um, I, yeah. I, they're they're out there. Um, I'm, I'm right in the middle. I, there's there's things I find interesting and entertaining, but it is definitely a mess. And I think mm-hmm. there's there's a better film in here. Certainly, uh, is there? There could be. I like <laughs> I, the, I like kind of like the idea. Mm-hmm. It was co-written by Daniel Waters, who's now a Facebook friend. So I don't know. Should I say the bad things about? It? <laughs> <laughs> we can't pull punches because we have Facebook and oh, that's Twitter true. Friends. That's true. He also did Ford oh. Fairlane, so I, uh, which I support. So yeah, I kind of like Hudson Hawk. I don't know. Don't be ashamed. Uh, yeah, I, I like own, it. Fine. Own it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but. Uh, drop Dead Fred? No. I'm no, not, no, 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 big no. no that nope. has vehement defenders. I will never be one of them. Nope. Team Sanity. No, uh, this, this movie is so bad. Okay, yeah. this this movie is so bad that what again? I was working at the video store, and, and when this movie came out, people were trying to tell me about the genius of Rick Mayall. Okay, mm-hmm. and so they were telling me about you know the the television show that he was on, The Young Ones. And we ended up having a video cassette of like the first three or first six episodes or something like that of the young ones on video cassette. And after I had seen Drop Dead Fred, it was like, no, you have to see Rick Mayall. He's he's a genius. And I watched the young ones. I could not watch the young ones. I, I, I'm like, I can't watch this. I, I don't like this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so Drop Dead Fred ruined what might maybe in some universe is considered a, a, a fantastic British television show. But nope, couldn't do it. Yeah, quite a terrible film. But you know what? We're gonna end May on a high note uh, with Soap Dish, <laughs> which it's I almost s- a perfect comedy until one moment towards the, the reveal. End. Yeah, the reveal. The reveal. Really? Yeah. I just don't think that plays well now. But did it play that. well then? <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it did. I yeah. mean, I, I laughed. I, I'm not going to yeah. lie. Right. You still laugh today. Come on. <laughs> you Come got on. cameras you're spying on me? Come mm-hmm. on. We're only taping, Jim. Come on. I know. I know. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, this would not be written this way today. But <laughs> No. <laughs> of course not. Still a really funny movie. It is uh, hilarious. What did you say? The mayor. Who? The mayor of Providence. Who? You said the mayor of Providence, Pop? Yeah, the mayor of Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, waiter, waiter. We're sitting in the hotel lobby. Waiter, waiter. What did he say? Waiter. Good morning. I said, you got a fine city here, mayor. And then. You're doing so well up there. And then I had a cup of coffee. I went to Boston. Uh, Fine city, Boston. And a couple of other towns in Mass. And, uh, Portland, Bangor, and straight home. What is he yelling? Yeah. Uh, just the, it's, a, it's a great ensemble piece. Um, everybody in this is super funny. You know, everybody. Whoopi Goldberg, Gary Marshall, uh, you know, <laughs> like smaller roles, but I mean, even they're really funny. Carrie Fisher's really funny in this. But I mean, you know, bigger cast is, of course, Kevin Klein, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Sally Field, <sighs> and um, uh, 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 God damn it. Why am I blanking on her name? Elizabeth Shue. Oh, yeah, Elizabeth Shue. 
Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yes. Uh, God, there's so many great lines in this movie. Um, Cop of Fischlagen. There's a woman cooking sausages almost tied us last week. <laughs> the sun also sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the mayor of Providence. <laughs> Rhode Island. <laughs> Actors don't like to play coma. They feel it limits their range. That's right. Oh, God, all the death of a salesman stuff is genius. <laughs> yep. Uh, right. Uh, super, super funny. Uh, soap dish. Uh, and that, uh, that's a movie that needs uh, a Blu ray, right? We don't have a Blu ray. We do not have a Blu ray of Soap Dish. I, yeah. I can't remember if I mentioned that one on a show or we had just talked about it. But yeah, no, Soap Dish, soap dish is a really funny movie. It's really funny. Yeah, so I just I and I, I had to see it somehow, so I just went ahead and just bought the five dollar DVD on Amazon, which had no go. special features on it or anything like that. But, no. Uh, oh, but, co-written uh, by An- Andrew Bergman. That's mm-hmm. that's yeah, yeah yes. that makes sense. Yeah, it's got his absurdist touch to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, just so there's so many things, scenes you could just th- start thinking about and just start laughing. Yeah, I couldn't people. do a commentary for this one. I'd just be laughing the whole time. Yeah. Right. All right, so we move on to June, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, right at the top, we got uh, one of the biggest hits of the year, City Slickers. Yeah, City yeah. Slickers. What a charming little movie. Turning 39 wasn't the end of the world. It just felt like it. I'm losing hair where I want hair, and I'm getting hair where they shouldn't be here. I found four big fat ones on my back. I'm starting to look like the fly. He couldn't put his finger on what was missing. Show him the brochure. It's fantastic. But his friends could. Two weeks, the three of us. Driving cattle. What, like in a truck? No, it's a real old-fashioned cattle drive. Go away with Ed. Take Phil. Go and find your smile. Welcome to the Stone Ranch. Believe it or not, that work you saw a while ago, y'all are going to be doing that the next two weeks. My answer is just watching this. What do you think? I think you look like one of the village people. I'm going to pay for that shirt, too. That is the toughest man I've ever seen in my life. Did you see how leathery he was? He was like a saddlebag with eyes. Over now! Hi, Curly. Kill anyone today? They ain't over yet. Uh, I'm losing you. We're, yeah. we're going behind a butte. And Arnold? I got a special treat. We're going to make fresh coffee. Wow, something's spooking the cattle. Stampede! City folk. Billy Crystal, Daniel Stern, and Bruno Kirby. And uh, a young, very young Jake Gyllenhaal in the, in the film, playing uh, uh, Billy Crystal's son. At That's age eleven. Right. That's mm-hmm. right. Little Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, yeah, I still like this movie. This is this is still a, a funny, charming, charming film, um, and a good, you know, male bonding film. Uh, that I think I think the strongest, even though it's like sort of billed as a Billy Crystal comedy, uh, Daniel Stern is the MVP here for me. I think he's fantastic in this film. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you. On, on that, I, mean, I think he's got some. I mean, his the arc. He's got the the, the craziest arc of uh, all all the films and the, the stuff that he's going through with his wife and kind of pestered at home, and then he has this affair with the checkout girl and stuff. And um, he he also has the, the really great monologue or little 
aside about where they're all talking about baseball. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how, you know, he could never communicate with his dad, but they could always talk about baseball. Just little, little things like that, the little truths that I think, you know, I mean, I saw this movie when I was six, you know, I wasn't even 16 yet when this came out. Uh, and I haven't revisited it lately. I still, I've seen this movie many times over the years, so I know it very well. But I'm curious how some of those insights, because this is basically like this a middle age movie. It's that movie of you know you turning forty. Yeah, the uh, midlife crisis, midlife story. crisis movie, yeah. uh, and and also a great hangout movie, hanging out with your buddies on a, on a little uh, vacation adventure and stuff. Hanging like that. with the cowboys. Hanging with the cowboys. Go. He went there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, and and like the you know the Jack Pound stuff has become a cliche over the years, but. I mean, I crap bigger than you is still <laughs> hilarious, and the, all the, a lot of the stuff with Jack Palance in the movie is all very funny. And yeah, I mean, they're really sweet stuff. The birth of the cow, and oh uh, yeah, you know, I mean, really some really sweet stuff in the movie. Uh, yeah, I like this. I like this movie very much. Me too. Yeah, made the cow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's good. Uh, they should have left it alone. They did, you know. Oh. Yeah, we'll get, to, we'll get to that in a few years, but uh, I guess I got to watch that, don't I? Hmm? Yeah. All right. Um, and then uh, you got uh, uh, Jungle Fever, Spike Lee's uh, follow-up to Mo Better Blues. Um, again, <laughs> Netflix <laughs> get a better DVD. You got to upgrade your Universal DVDs. This looked like garbage. Um, but, Good moments uh, in this I, movie for sure. There are good moments, um, but it seems like it's got like one too many story threads going on. And if I could oh, yeah. cut one, it would be um, the Samuel L. Jackson stuff. Yep. Yeah, um, he's good, but I I agree. It should be in another movie. Um, it is another movie. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I mean that's always my biggest complaint with like a lot of the early Spike Lee movies, specifically you know, like this one is that he's doing he's trying to make two movies at once and either one of them would be will likely be a very good movie but combined together it just doesn't quite mesh doesn't have the same impact you're right yeah and i really want to see more of the snipes and shiora relationship that's what i came to see that's the the stuff that i think is the strongest stuff in the movie uh and yeah i just i just like it's two halves and i mean it goes on over two hours there's a lot of Spike Lee's movies tend to do, and yeah, I mean the Samuel Jackson is great in the movie. Uh, and Halle Berry is a you know, fellow crack addict in the film, and but but that stuff feel like I'm like Wesley Snipes just walked into outtakes from New Jack City here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that living for the city sequence with the, the Stevie Wonder song. Oh, well, well he, the those, Stevie Wonder stuff is great. Yeah. yeah, he composed a whole soundtrack of songs yes. for this movie, which is which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, and uh, Queen Latifah, this is her screen debut. She has a small role as a waitress in the movie, so um, that's pretty notable. But yeah, I, I, I in my top twenty Spike Lee, I would rank this somewhere around eighteen, nineteen, twenty. You know, I know he's made more than twenty movies, but I, you know, it's like it's like lower tier Spike Lee, but there's still good stuff in it. Yeah. Um, and- and Netflix didn't even have the new Blu-ray available for this. No, Netflix like, is pretty pretty chintzy. Because the Kino just put out a whole slew of Spike Lee stuff not too long ago. Including well, this one. well, I I mean, they got it last summer. So oh, okay, 
you know, okay. maybe they maybe yeah, they have they it. They didn't now. have it yet. Okay. Yeah. But they, I doubt they do. <laughs> just, Very just unintentionally funny final moment for me. Do you know that final moment, either. the final scene of this movie? I don't remember. Where yeah, Wesley Snipes literally looks up into the sky and goes, No! Oh, yeah. He had a Darth Vader moment. One of the biggest hits of this year was uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Hold on while I cue the Brian Adams song. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a big hit from this movie. But um, yeah, this is one of those that's like, uh, I don't know. Well, speaking of music, like I'm, the last time I watched it the, and I heard the opening score, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's that's what this that music is from it's from this movie because it gets used it used to get used in trailers all the time it's also right the music for the logo for the morgan creek logo i don't oh, know if that's right. it comes up but that that's right i actually i i'm one of these kevin reynolds guys and i think i am too but Nah, I never no, liked I this mean, one that much. Oh, I mean, it's it, it's it's not without its problems. Kevin Costner, the, the accent <laughs> and the, the history of Robin Hood is completely jumbled up and whatnot. But you know, I mean, if you're gonna compare it to, compare it to all the Robin Hood movies that have come since, what would you rather watch? Yeah, I guess, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I think I, I think that this movie is you know is. Entertaining. I, I think. I, I think that the, the the action stuff works. Uh, I think it's beautifully shot. I, I think it's, it's fun. It's you know. It's it, it knows what it what it is. Rickman certainly knows. Oh yeah. The character who he's playing. He's really great in the movie. Um, yeah. I I, I like. I, I enjoy watching this movie. It's not great, but I think Kevin Reynolds knows how to again make a type of movie like this. I like his. Kevin Costner and Kevin Reynolds, I like like all of their collaborations. There, I said. Sure, it. sure, sure. Oh, there's, I, I wouldn't disagree with you on on most counts. I just think mm-hmm. for this, it's not just Costner that I have a problem with. It's like uh, it feels like the whole cast is just showing up to do cosplay and <laughs> Christian Slater's in this. Like, yeah. what is what the hell is going on here? Yeah. Um, but uh, and you know, it just like if, again, like with Oscar, if I could recast everyone except Al, and, but keep Alan Rickman, that would make it. I would enjoy this movie more. But um, but it's also and it also feels like as long as it is, which is like two hours and twenty, fifteen, twenty minutes. Two twenty four, um, I think. Right, twenty four. It feels that long. But I mean, there are some fun action scenes because Kevin Reynolds is so good at that. Mm-hmm. But. Um, but yeah, it's like this is this is one I I don't see myself going back to ever again. Really, <laughs> is, right. the, is the Count of yeah. Monte Cristo in the nineties? Two thousand two. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Great yeah, I want to I want to watch that again sometime. Yeah. And then um, a, a really fun movie that came out this summer: uh, Disney's The Rocketeer. Yay! Very very entertaining throwback. Hmm. Yeah, I was very surprised. Uh, not surprised, but 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 pleasantly uh, surprised, I guess. But that it held up uh, really well, and it's is still a lot of fun. It's a fun Hollywood movie about Hollywood. Yeah, um, I forgot about that aspect of it, 
And uh, yeah, this is this is a this is still this is still a lot of fun to I watch. Still, I still quote Eric constantly and call it, you know, Joe Three Star Johnston. <laughs> it's totally yeah. true. Yeah, except this one. I think this is Joe Johnston's crowning achievement. Actually, I think this is the 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 one movie that is better than anything Joe Johnston's ever done. I think that the the, the it, it it's it, it fits its throwback mold so perfectly. It, mm-hmm. you know, it feels like a movie, uh, like a, like a serial from the 1930s or 40s. Uh, it just the it the 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 score is wonderful. Oh, it yeah. just it's it's you know it's childlike and yet has the an adult darkness sensibility with Nazis and uh, that that there's a propaganda film that's really terrifying. In, in the film and you know the addition of like the real world stuff and injecting Howard Hughes into the story uh yeah th- I mean this this movie is just an endless amount of fun I love the Rocketeer love it yeah super fun yeah 100% agree yeah um I didn't I could not I, I'm not heartbroken about this, but I could not find dying young anywhere in any capacity at all. This is the Julia Roberts, Campbell Scott, uh, counter summertime counter programming for the grownups. Uh, the, the, the big weepy, uh, cancer movie, right? Doesn't he have cancer or something? Yeah. yeah. He's, he's the jerk with cancer. You know, he's, it's the cancer oh, okay. that, you know, like he's, he's dying. So he's got, he's a jerk about it. You know, I mean, I guess you can be that, I suppose, but it's it's not exactly the kind of person you want to hang out with, <laughs> okay. you know, for and it's certainly not fall in love with. Hmm. And uh, and and he doesn't even die. So <laughs> you don't even get spoiler. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I remember that was actually someone was upset in my high school. Just like <laughs> it's called dying young and he doesn't even die. <laughs> And I'm like, well, he's, he's got some. He can still grow older. He's still he's dying young. He's not dead young. Um, so, but no, it's 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 a terrible film. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible film. It's Joel Schumacher. Yeah, you know, and it is. Yeah, I mean, it's there. Julia Roberts was getting plugged into these you know types of movies at this point, and yeah, they figured that anything with Julia Roberts would sell and. You know, you throw her into a weepy. Maybe that'll bring everyone out like Ghost did the previous summer. Uh, and you know, people, you know, people would rather have you dead than dying. I guess is the lesson. Uh, so no, it's it's <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. having been a, having been a huge fan of the uh, first Naked Gun, I I went to the theater opening weekend for the sequel, and I like it. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> like there's a hesitation and disappointment there. <laughs> I like all three of them, really. Um, oh, I do. Too. I think diminishing returns, but still pretty laugh out loud funny. Uh, but I also cite this movie as being. It, it's weird. Like, Leslie Nielsen at one point acknowledges the joke, which he normally doesn't do. He does it a lot in. Mm-hmm. This one in particular. Yeah, like when she slaps him and he goes, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of like the turning point where I kind of go, oh, yeah, this is this is where Leslie Nielsen starts to, yeah, kind of react comically to to the things going on around him. Where he does used, that once used to play it straight. He does that once or twice in the first movie. 
after George, after Ricardo Montalban falls to his death and George Kennedy goes, my father went the same way. He does kind of give knowledge. Like, what did he just say? (laughs) You know, look and, but this one, yes, there's a lot of acknowledging the ridiculousness going around him. uh, But, but the ridiculousness is still so funny. I mean, the, 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 you know, raw sewage. I love it. Uh, (laughs) Love, love that. Uh, The opening stuff in the Bush white house is is killer mm-hmm. um it's a naked gun movie with an environmental message you gotta love that yeah yeah and i mean i've always said i mean i i do think it's funny but i i still i <clears throat> i still always prefer the tv show to the movies mm-hmm. because it's solidified in the, the tv version is solidified in the tv genre and it's so much easier for it seems a lot easier for everyone to like play it straight Whereas in the movies, they get a little more like like you were saying, like mugging the camera a little bit and overreacting to things. Um, but I still think this is a funny movie. Yeah, and still, there's yeah. still, and, and I agree. The TV show is weirder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, but the, like, there's this is where like if you're watching it today uh, with fresh eyes and you've never seen a naked gun movie, there's like dated references to things from that from this era that you're not going to get like Zsa Zsa Gabor slapping a police officer yes. like that would be a big story yeah. back then but today it's like why is that funny um yeah so uh okay um sorry go ahead what, no I just I was say? thinking of the the penis on the uh the chainsaw thing or the the drill bit on the in the sex shop just, oh yeah the Kennedy pulls out I don't know that that always kills me <laughs> Um, I guess we should probably take a break right now, right? You're unbelievable. You know, there was a sequel that came out in July. Problem Child 2. Uh, yeah. I knew it. I knew you guys were going to do that. I just was didn't want to really watch it. So, yeah, I didn't go there. But anything else? Um, I was there opening night, man. Terminator 2. Judgment Day. Rules. That's all. That's my review. It's one of the best action films ever made, and Uh that should not be in dispute. 29-year-old female diagnosed as acute schizoaffective disorder. She believes that a machine called a Terminator was sent back through time to kill her. My son, he's in great danger. Are you the legal guardian of John Connor? What's he done now? There was a guy here this morning looking for him, too. Yeah, a big guy on a bike. I wouldn't worry about him. Get down. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now, you reprogrammed me to be your protector here. He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. G-1000. Advanced prototype. Kill us all! Go! Go! 
Come with me if you want to live. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. This is a this is a a phenomenal movie. Uh, still today, I mean, it it's certainly when you look at it today, you can see um, the the influence that it would have, the special effects uh, leap that it took that to bring us into this decade. Oh yeah, uh, that would be um, taken even further a couple of years from now. Um, but it is it was again <laughs> typical of James Cameron, the most expensive movie ever made at that time. It was the first movie I think to break the hundred million dollar barrier for That's budget. Correct. correct and correct. Uh, and it was considered a huge risk at the t- well, not maybe not a huge risk because Terminator was certainly a successful film, and Schwarzenegger was certainly. Uh, a bankable name, you know, putting it mildly. Um, but it's still like, that's just a huge chunk of money. And, um, but it paid off. I mean, he, he delivered uh, a, a stellar spectacular sequel and uh, a largely woefully unfairly ignored performance by uh, Linda Hamilton in this movie, who was uh, robbed of Complete an Academy. Transformation from the first movie. Well, you go, you go Oscar nomination. I think uh, uh, just kind of watching it the, the last time. I mean, I think this is, you know, going back to uh, Sigourney Weaver and Aliens. Wow. You know? um, I mean, I think it's I think it's a I think it's a great performance. Um, maybe not Oscar nomination. Okay, maybe I'm overstating it a bit. Uh, you know, looking at some of the other things that came out that year, but but still, I I, I think that um, you know I I think she's she doesn't get the acclaim she deserves from this movie. Yeah, I mean, what can we say about this movie that hasn't been said already? I mean, yeah. uh, this was this was a peak Schwarzenegger period. It was the absolute best movie at the best time um, <laughs> to, to to come out. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just this movie. What thirty? I can't believe it's thirty years later. I saw this movie four times in the theater, including in seventy millimeter at the old Orchard Theater. And uh, every time it, it it got me, every time it blew me away. Uh, su- shockingly emotional story. You don't yeah. expect to go into a Terminator movie and actually walk out going, "Oh no!" Mm-hmm. Uh, and Schwarzenegger is great in this movie. I, I, I always say Schwarzenegger is a very underappreciated actor uh, when when he's got when he, he's got the right material, which is frequently, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, I I. I love this movie it's one of the it's one of the greatest action films ever made and no no one should dispute you on that but i will i'll pose this question to both of you terminator one or terminator two better movie terminator two yeah i think i'm terminator two i am too i you know i i love the first terminator but i think that's some hipster type stuff like oh the original is better like come on dude like Like, well, he had all this money to make Terminator 2. If he had the money to make the Terminator the first time, this is the movie he would have made. So let's not play the money game. Right. And I think one of the things that could have, like, this movie could have collapsed a little bit with regards to his relationship with John Connor. If you cast the wrong kid in that role, it could easily just be a, a disaster almost. Um, but they found Edward Furlong um, in a very unconventional way. He did not come in for like an audition or anything. He was not a child actor wannabe. He was this kid uh, that the casting director saw at a youth center 
and uh, just kind of saw him and like looked at him and, you know, just kind of saw some possibilities with just his, his face and how he, you know, he just looked like the kid that would, that, you know, would fit this role. And, uh, and, you know, eventually he was brought in for a reading and, and he was cast, but uh, it's, it's a, I think that's a pretty cool story. And he's very good in this film. I can't remember where I saw the first image from this movie. It might've been entertainment weekly. Cause I think I was starting to read that regularly around this time, but the first like still shot from this movie that I saw was the uh, knife going through the milk carton into Xander Berkeley. Oh, jeez! And I was like, what <laughs> is this? <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, really? What? That's the first image you saw from the movie? I that's know. Yeah. I, was, I don't know why they used that to promote it. Yeah. What? But I remember that was it. And I was like walking in there going, man, this is going to be gory and dark and twisted. And it is at times. For it, that it's moment. One of those movies, though, it's kind of a shame that the advertising felt it had to spoil that reveal. Mm-hmm. Because I can't imagine walking into this movie not knowing. And and, I, and maybe that was a way to prepare people for it, because maybe people would have been more pissed off if they found out in the middle of the movie that Schwarzenegger was going to be the good guy this time. Yeah, I, I wonder yeah. about that sometimes, because, I mean, that would have blown me away if I hadn't known that he was going to be the protector this time. That's true. Yeah, I mean... Uh-huh. Within context, it was still an effective moment, regardless. But it was just oh, yeah. weird that I that's the first image they used to promote it. That was <laughs> not, it just, yeah. it just didn't seem right. But oh. no, I love everything about it. I think it's you know perfect from beginning to end. And the stuff with Joe Morton is really effective, too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah. And what can you say about Robert Patrick in this? One of the more Great. memorable villain performances ever. Mm-hmm. Perfect from beginning to end, as long as you don't get the cut that has the futuristic stuff at, tacked on at the very, very end. Yeah, there's is, there's yeah. a cut out there that's like yeah. 20 minutes longer. Yeah, but then yeah. there's another cut that has that tacks on a, a f- an ending that takes place in the future, and it's like bad makeup, like totally unnecessary, just like it's like it's a sequence that is so best left on the cutting room floor. So, yeah, but yeah, it's a great movie. So this was the year that Todd Haynes burst onto the scene. And then another indie filmmaker who would have a a great career as well. Richard Linklater uh, burst onto the scene this year with slacker. Whoa. And, uh, you know, I remember when I first saw this movie, I wanted it. I, I didn't know what to expect from it, but uh, a friend of mine and I, we just we rented it, and I thought it was going to be like the cover box made it look like it was going to be like a really crazy cult movie with you know, uh, it, but it was not the kind of crazy cult movie I wanted, <laughs> and I was like <laughs> kind of disappointed in what it actually was. And um, I never really gave it a second chance until, I don't know, 10 years ago, I think, whatever Boyhood came out. Um, and I, I had a greater appreciation for it. But um, it was always one of those movies like that I was like, oh, man, everybody loves it but me. I feel like I'm in, you know, I'm in the wrong on this. But uh, it just didn't do anything for me when I first saw it. Um, but now I, I have a I have much greater appreciation for it. I, th- I think it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, I have to thank Kevin Smith really for 
bringing this to my attention because I think he listed uh, three or four filmmakers that inspired him to make Clerks, and this was one of them, along with I think Hal Hartley and Spike Lee. But uh, I this is my jam. I like Richard. I pretty much like all of Richard Linklater's films. I like it when they're just talky. I like it when people are just hanging out. Certainly that the first uh, entry where Richard Linklater plays himself is a precursor to Waking Life, which I love. I know Eric doesn't, um, <laughs> but I, 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 I'm all, I'm all totally on board for just a bunch of people talking and hanging out for 90 minutes and coming up with crazy stories and theories and, uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a probably one of the best um, portrayals or uh, showcases for Austin, which is a really cool town in Texas that I love going to. Uh, haven't been there in a long time, but uh, it's, it's 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 one of the most. I'd say if you were doing a draft of best films shot in Austin, this would be right up there. So I don't like slackers. Okay. <laughs> I knew it. I had a feeling. That's all, that's all I got to say. I had a feeling. Why should Eric, they, why should they get a movie? <laughs> <laughs> he should have called it Ambitious Go-Getters. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Jerks. Uh, <laughs> and then another filmmaker uh, would make a huge impression um, on a more mainstream level. Uh, John Singleton's uh, Boys in the Hood. South Central LA. Yo, Benita, let's do the local thing. It's tough to beat the streets. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? You shoot the motherfucker. You have to think, young brother, about your future. Man, why you sweat me? You're my only son, and I'm not gonna lose you to no bull. Hey, don't worry about it. I can take care of myself. Trey wanted to work his way up. Trey is a grown man now. He is not a little boy anymore. Heard you like Mr. GQ smooth now. Maybe some of what you got to rub off on him. Ricky was looking for a better life. I want to do something with my life, right? I want to be somebody. When you were a little boy, you used to run around here all the time with that football in your hand. I always knew you would amount to something. Doughboy was living by the laws of the street. You looking at nigga? We got a problem here. We got a problem, nigga. Can we have one night where there ain't no fight, nobody gets shot? It's hard to be a saint in South Central LA. It was kind of the first movie to, well, maybe maybe New Jack City, but this was more of a um a real like a, account of you know what it is like to grow up in South Central Los Angeles and to be you know have that you know gang activity surrounding you and uh trying to lure you in when you're a teenager so they get you when you're young and uh you know and and what that entails and um you know i mean i think this movie is uh you know does a remarkable job of showcasing that and that's primarily what a lot of people wrote about when it came out but i also think this is a wonderful coming of age movie Mm-hmm. Um, that a lot of people don't really remember it as a coming of age movie because of the main character in it, played by um, Cuba Gooding Jr., goes through a lot of you know, you know, is a lot of like typical teenage angst stuff um, that uh, is is part of this the the you know the coming of age movie genre, and I think the movie does a really great job of of depicting that. Um, 
mostly the stuff that gets written about with this movie happens in the last 20 minutes where right. it's yeah. like, you know, unbelievably violent and tragic. And no, my, a lot of my favorite scenes in the movie are actually the ones between Cuba Gooding Jr. and Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think even some of those moments are maybe a little overwritten and they feel like, you know, it's like the message moments of the movie and stuff like that. But like Fishburne is like the, you know, the guy you want to pay attention to. He's the one that's sort of making sense and trying to protect his son from, uh, hello? I'm Alan? turning off my camera. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I just you went off there. I wanted to make sure we still had you. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, he's the one that, you know, for brief moments in the movie, people listen to, and if maybe they listen to him a little bit more, you know, some of these tragedies, uh, wouldn't necessarily happen. Um, it's, I, it's, it's been a few years since I've seen this movie. So I'm, uh, I, 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 you know, I don't know if it, um, plays a little more heavy handed and a little more on the nose than it did back then. Uh, but I'm going to review it as I, I did back then. And that I, I think that it is, uh, you know, pretty significant accomplishment. Uh, I mean, the movie, pl- you know, played like gangbusters when I saw it, you know, in a mall, you know, a white suburban mall where I saw it. And, uh, you know, I felt every bullet in that movie and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the, the, the plotting of the movie, I guess you could say there it's got some cliches, you know, the, you know, the, where the tragedy is going to hit when it actually does. But, uh, again, I, I think, you know, Colin, what you were saying, it was as the movie working as a coming of age movie. I think when you view it through that lens, more than the South Saint South central gang culture, it's not, you know, this movie isn't necessarily isn't colors, you know, or a movie like sure. that. Uh, where it's, you know, I mean, Ice Cube, you know, it's just, a lot of these people are just kind of hanging out on the streets, and some of them are just driving around in cars with guns, and they have their, you know, it's just their, it's not it's necessarily always about territory and all these things that you hear about gang culture. It's just the way it, it is, you know, for whatever reason. And, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's very well acted. Very well directed, uh, very in- intense at times, uh, and uh, and also very moving. I agree one hundred percent, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I was on board for this when I first saw it. Still am, and uh, I f- I feel very strongly about this one and Higher Learning. To be honest, I think they're both ah. fair- what ah. No, no. You want to talk? You want to talk about over the top? You know, like ah. on the nose, higher learning. On the coast of Southern California, you can only surf, party, and make love for so long. Before it's time to go to work. Rock and roll. 27 banks in three years. Anything to catch the perfect wave. I'm not a crook. Patrick Swayze. Fear causes hesitation. Hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. Keanu Reeves. You think I joined the FBI to learn to surf? Point break. Adios, amigo. Utah. Jimmy, Jimmy too. 
Yep. <laughs> James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow having a, a movie out in the same month. Um, and, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Were they a couple at this point? Or were they? Uh, I think so. Oh, well, he, I mean, because Cameron's got screenplay credit on That's true. Uh, Point Break. Uh, he had, oh, I think because he, he was definitely separated from Gail Ann Hurd because I think that happened during the Abyss mm-hmm. when they so, so they might uh, well he was he 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 was dating Linda Hamilton briefly okay yeah. remember that so I, this might be the Ham well no that was actually I think that was later that was after um, I think yeah, I think it goes Bigelow then Hamilton briefly then Susie Amos <laughs> I can't believe that's the top three. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, five answers on the board. Yeah, uh, you know this is this is so this is still such a fun movie. Um, I mean, it is just breakneck pace. Uh, I don't care if the plot is ridiculous. I'm on board with it. It is. It is. I. 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 I, I buy it. I don't know. What I do yeah. I, there's it, people who complain about Keanu Reeves in this, and I'm like, I. I think he's. I think he's. He serves the story and absolutely. does a good job. Yeah, um, you know, of, of course, there's there's a lot of silliness in it, and you know, you can kind of dissect it as you know, with the gay subtext and all that. Um, <laughs> I never look at it through that lens. I don't know. No, I, I, I'm sure it's out there, but I've never looked at this movie and go like, "Yeah, a little gay." <laughs> I've never, never done that. I know. I mean. Yeah, but uh, but it, yeah, but that's out there, and um, you know, and it's it's just. Like Catherine Bigelow at the top of her game as an action director. I mean, right. some of the chase scenes in this movie are absolutely remarkable. Um, you know, if it weren't for Terminator 2, this would be the best action film of the year, hands down. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like eh, Terminator 2 is the best, but not by much. Oh, I would say a pretty wide margin. Oh, and really? as much, oh, as much as I like Point Break, I don't think I don't think this is even in the same league as Terminator 2. Not in terms of like quality, you know, screenwriting and everything like that, but uh, but I think of the action scenes I I think are pretty phenomenal. Oh but yeah, the, the, the chase especially. And there's after. a difference. They both have a different scope. I mean, you yeah, know, sure, sure, but uh, but yeah. Jim, do I get to do the line? <laughs> Go for it, man. <laughs> I am an FBI. Agent! Perfect. I am an FBI agent! Buddy, this is your f- <laughs> I mean, just think about how much stuff this movie packs in as far as the quote-unquote 100% pure adrenaline tagline that this movie had. I mean, it's got bank robberies, chase sequences, uh, skydiving, right. surfing. I mean, it's for, I mean the, sky, and the skydiving scene, if you, if you had seen the... Uh, there's a re- there was a documentary recent- recently about Patrick Swayze, and then they talk about him filming this movie. You know, he you know he was doing those skydiving scenes over fifty no- jumps. Yes, did. and that that scene where he jumps out of the plane and he says "Adios, amigo," and you know at, during that final scene, that's that's just him just jumping off the plane. Yeah, that's the nothing. There's nothing else there. It's just it's just him. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's. <sighs> It, it is it's a ridiculous premise but it shows you just what when you have a commitment to ridiculousness and the the skill that Catherine Bigelow brings to that story it, it's 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 remark it's a little miracle of a movie mm-hmm. in so many ways yeah and usually like this thrown in the romance and here would be eye rolling but 
I like it. I'm yeah. I'm on board for everything still that not, happens. Still not a big Lori Petty fan. Meh. But yeah. It's all right. And then you got uh, another counter programming weepy of sorts with regard to Henry. JJ um, uh, Abrams script, if I'm not that's mistaken. Right. Oh, man. Credited, oh. credited as Jeffrey Abrams, uh, directed by Mike Nichols. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, it's it's almost like watching another body switch movie in a way. This one, yeah. like, uh, is a Wall Street douchebag of some kind or something. His hair's all slicked back, and you know he's got a mistress and everything, and and a, and a, a you know high rise apartment, you know penthouse apartment, and then he gets like shot at a convenience store and some kind of you know uh, hold up, and then wakes up with amnesia and he doesn't know who he is or what his family is, and he kind of has to start all over. And Ford's character is kind of reduced to being childlike through through much of the film. Um, and you know, I I don't know, I <laughs> this might fall into guilty pleasure mode for me wow (laughs) i last watched it over the summer and i don't know maybe i was i don't know what if i'm just was being i don't know if i was in the right mood or something but it just like i kind of don't dislike this movie that much it's like i it's 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 there are moments where i i do cringe and i do there it's and it's full of eye rolls um and uh, you know, I, I I don't buy into a lot of his realizations of his previous wrongdoings, you know, which happened very quickly. It's it's you know, um, you know who could have directed this movie and made it way better, in my opinion, Peter yep. Weir. Mm. I think mm. he would have done something really interesting on a spiritual level. You know, regarding his transformation, and it's funny because like that something similar happens to Steve Martin in Grand Canyon, where he mm. sort of has like this, yes. you know, epiphany yeah. Yeah. after getting shot. But um, I, no, I know that this. Listen, I can't, <laughs> I can't defend a lot of the criticisms. I know I'm going to hear after I stop talking because there's a lot of things in this movie that just don't make sense. Like, like everyone's making him go back to work way too soon. You know, that he's not ready. Um, but yet, I don't know. Like at the end, I was like, kind of like, oh, I don't know. I kind of still like it anyway. But how, how long does he have? Does he wear the bandage on his head in the movie? Oh, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember either. But like, and and yeah, and I'm there's one part in the movie where I'm just like, okay, that's too much uh, childlike behavior there, where he's like talking to his wife, played by um, Annette Benning. Oh, Annette Benning, right, right, Annette Benning, and uh, he's like lying on the bed with like his like a little boy would, you know, like on his stomach, but with his legs up, you know, and like he's eating an Oreo and he's got like a, a yes. like laying on a pillow. And I'm just like, okay, that's a little bit much. There. Okay. We, come on. Uh, you know, every time I think of this movie, all I think of is James Gammon and I love you to death. And you know, headache. He's got a bullet in him. <laughs> yeah. I don't, don't buy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind I of know. indifferent. Like I don't hate it, but 
everyone can be a better person if only they get shot in the head. <laughs> well, this is the year of the like yuppie redemption movie. I mean, this is definitely one of them, and there's a few more coming up. Yeah, um, where it's like it's now the '90s, the '80s are over, and now it's time to atone for our sins of greed and uh-huh. and mm-hmm. uh, and and consumerism and and all that other stuff. And uh, this is this is part of that. And there's there's a few more coming up that fit the mold as yeah. well. Bill and Ted, those yuppies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, back to Keanu Reeves. Is this the same weekend? Oh, no, it's a week apart. Week apart. Point Break and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Wow. Right? Way to go, Keanu. <laughs> he had a good year, for sure. He had a good year. I mean, mm-hmm. Keanu had a good 91. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny that this is uh, this year would bring us, you know, comedies with Robin Williams or uh, and Billy Crystal, and yet the funniest comedic performance of the year is William Sadler. <laughs> Uh, yes <laughs> so good oh my uh, god is he funny in this movie best of seven damn right i'm not as crazy about the first one i think we talked about that but mm-hmm. i i love bogus journey mm-hmm. i think it's pretty pretty inventive and weird like That's there's there's things in this where i was like huh the first time i saw it that station creature uh i was like what what is what is that? What what's going on? But I, I man, when they when they go to hell, I, I love all that. I love every. I actually love it all. What, what am I saying? It's all good. I only wish they kept the original title, Bill and Ted Go to Hell. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. That you know, that's what the title should have been. But yeah, I mean, to take a you know a goofy you know modest hit like Excellent Adventure, uh, and 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 just go wild. With the sequel, I mean, send them to hell. Do a seventh seal riff <laughs> uh, in the movie. Like who? Like who is that for? <laughs> you know, people who saw Excellent Adventure, you think about that. Uh, the 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 reinvention of the Grim Reaper character, the, the sci- all the sci- weird sci-fi stuff with Station and Heaven and all this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it's it's really a strikingly inventive movie. Uh, I, and I, I like Face the Music very much as well. I think Face the Music, you know, maintains that's the sort of the spirit. Yeah. I think of the first uh, sort of a, a station like combination of the first two movies, the the time travel stuff and then the sort of the really weird stuff that's going on a bogus journey. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm a fan of this. I thought this was a superior sequel to the original film. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And I love like it's got references to like. German expressionism and Bergman and you know uh, the drill sergeant is named Oates which is like a nice little nod to stripes I think yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah it's it's like it's it's throwing in all these little references for film nerds and it doesn't have to at all no (laughs) it's really funny yeah and this director didn't go on to do a whole lot unfortunately but it's, it's very well directed and very funny and very mm-hmm. surreal at times. It just surprised me. Like it, and it's still surprising coming from going from the first one to this. Mm-hmm. And and pretty good soundtrack. Pretty good soundtrack too. Um, did you guys watch? Did you guys watch Mobsters? No, not recently. <laughs> no, not in a long time. Oh, it is one of the worst films of this year. Oh my god, it's like. After, especially like 
coming off of 1990, you know, which gave us, you know, a Godfather movie and Miller's Crossing and mm-hmm. and State of Grace. It was like the golden age of gangster movies last year. And then like to have watch like these like would be heartthrobs like playing cosplay as 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 these gangsters. Um you know, uh, Anthony Quinn looks and sounds ridiculous in this thing. Everybody does, really. It's just like, ugh, it's just painful to sit through. It's all this like, hey, oh, hey, it's business. Hey, we're Italian. Yeah, speaking of movies that are so Italian again. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, no, it's so bad. Well, it's also really funny because I don't remember this being like some sort of race to beat Bugsy. Because Bugsy you know, right. deals with a lot of these same characters. That's right. That, yeah. uh, you know that uh, Patrick Dempsey and Christian Slater are playing and whatnot. And uh, I mean, the, I mean, yeah, it's not a good movie. I remember not thinking this was a good movie at all. I just again, <laughs> this is a movie that in, in high school we would, you know, we, whenever we would start talking about movies, you know, eventually we would say something, and then one of us would go and. Costas Mandalore. Because <laughs> it's just like that, that the cast is like, like Christian Slater, okay, I know him. Patrick Dempsey, I know him. Richard Grieco, oh, okay, yeah, I guess he's from that TV show. And Costas Mandalore. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> right. Uh, and Slater's accent is is the worst. Of it. <laughs> he, can't, he cannot maintain whatever accent he's trying to do. He he, he can't do it. Just it's, like it's, Kevin it's, Costner. It's, just like his co-star. From, almost worse from the than Kevin Costner. Yeah. Maria is seventeen. This is more important than football. Really? I'm gonna have a baby. What? A baby, stupid. Whose baby? you jerk Matthew is 33 how you doing I feel like smashing things up when you applied for this job you said you had attended MIT did I say that you never told us about your police record in four years of reform school you never asked together they'll be the perfect couple carry this with me at all times hand grenade What for? Just in case. Are you emotionally disturbed? Matthew is coming home to live with us for a while. (laughs) Maria, do you know this guy is? I don't care who he is. Who are you? Maria, if you come home right now, Mom is going to stab you in the heart with a steak knife, okay? Did you eat anything today? No. Sit down. I'll fix you something. One of my favorite movies of the year is Trust by Hal Hartley, who's one of my favorite directors, honestly. I love pretty much everything he's done. And this was something I rented from the local video store around the same time I rented Slacker and loved the style. Uh, This is a notorious (laughs) disagreement between me and Patrick. Like, Patrick hates Hal Hartley with a passion because every character talks like they're in a David Mamet movie or very monotone and sometimes their actions are very strange for no reason. Which is what I kind of love about the the randomness of the humor. And it's just like this kind of dark romantic comedy with Adrian Shelley and Martin Donovan, who I just, one of the all-time favorite sort of couples in, in, in at, from films in this period for me. Uh, I just, Hell Hartley is definitely an acquired taste. <laughs> I understand when people don't connect with it, but... You know, everything about this movie in particular just works for me. And again, it was probably 
at a time like an impressionable age when I'd never seen anything like this before, which kind of you know accounts for why I feel so strongly about it. Just like oh. I didn't know you could act like this or do this kind of thing in movies, and here it is. But suffice to say, he is a huge Godard fan, and that like that's probably his number one main influence here for sure. But uh, as a fan of this style and certainly these actors, Edie Falco's in this as well. Uh, I love Trust, so everybody should see it if you haven't. I, I, again, I think it's one of those that are hard to find streaming though. Yeah, uh, it's also not on my list for some reason. What I, what the hell's happening? With this? But um, but no, I I haven't seen every Hell Hartley movie, but this is def- this one's definitely my favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite too. Team. And uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's really terrific. Yeah, I have to admit, sort of a Hal Hartley absence in my filmography. You know, I've seen Henry Fool. I've seen a couple other movies uh, later on. Uh, but the early stuff, uh, for some reason, was always hard for me to find, really. And uh, just it's one of those things that has just gone kind of absent uh, through, throughout the years. And I, I can't say I'm a huge fan of the, the ones that I've seen. I think Henry, I think Henry Fool's okay, but then it goes on. It's just it's way, way too, too long. long. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always been my problem with that. And uh, a couple other things later on that I'm just like, no, thank you. But his early um, stuff is the best, for sure. That's what I, I know. That's what everyone tells me, and I said so that's something that, um, like, I, I, you know, I haven't even seen the unbelievable truth, frankly. So uh, it's just, it's, it's just, it's one of those gaps. It's one of my gaps. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> You're forgiven. But mostly, life stinks. Life stinks. Life stinks. Life stinks. Mel Brooks. Leslie Ann Warren. Okay. Life, Life stinks. stinks. Yeah. Uh, Mel Brooks's uh, recession era comedy with uh, Leslie Ann Warren, where he makes a bet about being homeless, about being able to survive being homeless for 30 days. He's like a big Wall Street tycoon, some kind of successful billionaire type. Um, and uh, I feel like this movie, the way it depicts homeless people, and it's a comedy, I know, and it's a Mel Brooks comedy, but. Um, movie we're going to talk about soon, uh, The Fisher King, when uh, they are pitching this sitcom idea to Jeff Bridges about being homeless, and it's like, no, but they like being homeless because they're wise, they're they're funny and they're wise. And I'm like, that when I watch Life Stinks, I'm like, I wonder if this is the sitcom <laughs> that they were pitching because that's what this feels like, you know? Yeah, like, it's not exactly authentic, but it's um, very broad. Yeah. I don't I don't think it's the that's the only movie you can level that charge at that we'll be getting to later on in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um but but you know I, I find this movie actually pretty charming. Uh I, I think that uh I, I think it is pretty funny. It's it's me, it's more meant to be a fantasy, and I think that's sort of exemplified by that really I think wonderful musical dance number that oh, that's him and good. Warren have together. I think that's a really beautiful sequence. Yeah. Uh, I mean it's Mel Brooks doing Sullivan's Travels. Basically, yeah. and yeah, obviously not as good as that movie, but you know the the movies that the later stuff that Mel Brooks was doing in this period were not exactly up to par, right. and I, and this is definitely uh, I think one of the better stand the more one of the standouts of this period for him. So yeah, I mean it's it's it, yeah not a great movie, but I but I think is one uh, worth looking at. 
There are some funny moments in it. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. Hot Shots is pretty funny. Yeah, this is really funny. Yeah. yeah. And my investigation into the assassination of JFK? You found the evidence you were looking for. Yes, I have proof. It's right here in my pocket. It's big, honey, really big. It goes all the way to the White House. Do you want me to hold it for you? No. Oh, it'll be safe right here. I'm in a jet. What could go wrong? And I would go Hot Shots Part 2. I, like I would agree with more. that, too. Yeah, yeah, I think Hot Shots Part 2 is even funnier. Um, and I mean, I think mainly because it's so going after you know top gun in this movie and is having a lot of fun with doing that and placing in the in the saddam hussein era as well uh yeah i mean there's there some really funny gags in, in this movie and it's again you know you know charlie sheen's got his problems but you know he he could do comedy when you know he has the right material and mm-hmm. i think that he's very funny in in both this and uh hot shots part two but mm-hmm. yeah yeah, no, for sure. The, I like the nine and a half weeks parody. <laughs> Again, very, like, very specific to that time. If you don't know that movie, like it's like your your point of reference is kind of lost if yeah. you, if you don't know that movie. And I, I venture to guess not a lot of people do at this point. Um, but uh, I guess we move into August now, right? Yeah, I guess uh, Michael J. Fox had two hits this year, didn't he? I mean, I don't know if the hard way was a huge hit, but hard way wasn't much of a hit. No, uh, it was. It was. It did okay, but <clears throat> this one did. Uh, I mean, this one is also, I guess, more of a modest hit. But but it did. I mean, this summer. It, I mean, you look at. I'm looking at the numbers. This you know. This, I guess this would be a hit. Yeah, that I would summer. Think so. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a modest. It was a modest hit. Um, but uh, it's uh, Doc it, Hollywood is a movie. We're oh talking yeah, about. yeah. <laughs> Doc Hollywood. Another again, another kind of yuppie redemption movie. But um, where he, where Michael J. Fox is a big time plastic surgeon. His car breaks down, and he's trapped in a small town full of eccentric people. Very Stars Hollowish. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's really funny. I mean, this is this is a really like really funny script. Um, I think it gets a little weighted down towards the end. I think it kind of drags out a little bit, but, uh, but the, you know, Fox is really good. Um, his, the chemistry he has with, uh, who's the girl in this? Julie Julie Warner. Warner. Uh, is is spot on. Um, I like all the locals. I like the reoccurring gags. I love the, you know, the, all the pig stuff. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you got there, doc. Um, Oh, I really enjoy this movie. Every time I go to it, I go back to it. I, I just, I have a lot of fun with it. Hundred percent agree. It's very good. Yeah, I would say, with the exception of the Back to the Future movies, this is the best thing that Michael J. Fox did, cinema wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think this movie is great. I think I like it even more than than both of you. I, I mean, I think that, I mean, this movie could have just easily been just a string of hick jokes. You know, the, 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 with the big time doctor, and it was, it was just going to be that. But you know, they give him this foil, his romantic foil, and Julie Warner, who calls him on his, all of his BS. Uh, you know, talk about an, making an entrance into a movie. Oh, oh. Um, fantastic! <laughs> uh, but but no, she she turned. I mean, Julie Warner is someone that you like after seeing this movie, you thought would go, would really have a you know a pretty lasting career. And she did a number of movies after this, but it never really had a role as uh, as kind of perfectly suited for her as this. This this movie is incredibly romantic. There's a dance scene yeah. in this movie 
that uh, is pretty great. Um, it was a good year for dance scene movies uh, or dance scenes in movies. And yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I, I mean, I don't think this movie overstays its welcome. I think it's just, just the right length uh, ends right where it needs to. Woody Harrelson, and Bridget Fonda do have nice supporting performances in the movie. Uh, yeah, this is really very high on my 1991 list. Very yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, oh man, I just <laughs> looking at the rest of August, and I it's gonna be fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, I gotta say, I, when I was younger, I loved the concept of Delirious. <laughs> I, I thought concept. it was, a, mm-hmm. you know, I really thought that had potential, and certainly, I, I guess coming out after Soap Dish probably didn't help matters with the right. with sort of lampooning the soap opera, uh-huh. but but oh. It's not good, and it makes me sad, because you know I want to I want to love all of John Candy's movies, and he's he's charming, but he's also kind of a controlling, manipulative dick with his typewriter. <laughs> well, who isn't? That's true. Who you isn't? Know. You're right. If you got a typewriter, you're probably a controlling dick <laughs> at this point. Yeah, uh, it, it's I guess it has its heart in the right place, but it just it doesn't come together like like tonally. It's all over the place and like they try to have a relationship with him and Mariel Hemingway and that's kind of falls flat. Uh, yeah, not very good. I just wish that this is something that you could remake and maybe have more fun with and make it better. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I don't have too much more to say about it. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's too I bad. Know. I don't, I don't think it's terrible. I think that there are, no. I, I think it, I think it starts off on the right track and then kind of gets, loses itself along the way, trying to compli- overcomplicate itself. Right. You have space to do all that you intend to. This movie is about the ball circuit. A competition among gay people under one roof. It's like crossing into the looking glass. A house. Their families. Kids with broken homes or no home at all. My name is Angie Extravaganza, and I am the mother of the house of Extravaganza. I'm Willie Ninja, the mother of the house of Ninja. Ninjas hit hard, they hit fast. We come out to assassinate. I am Pepper LaBeja, the legendary mother of the house of LaBeja. And I've been around for two decades. I'll just mention that there was a successful documentary that came out this year called Paris is Burning. Let me tell you something real quick here. Okay. I love this movie and I hadn't mm-hmm. seen it. I hadn't seen it before until I, I think it was a couple years ago that the music box got like a new print of it or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I, it was in the smaller theater. There's like only two or three people there. And I was just transfixed. I had a blast. I loved learning about all of these people. It's very, very sweet movie. And you, there's so many people in this movie that you won't forget when you walk out. And uh, it's it's obviously groundbreaking for its subject matter and what you know, just showing what kind of a the kind of lives they lead. It's it's, it's a big party of a movie, and it's so infectious. You just uh, you want you want to you want to join in on the fun. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad I mentioned it. Or I know you would have anyway, but um, I, I thought we were just going to breeze right through it. But uh, no, I caught up with it this year. I've never seen it before, and I and uh, I, I kind of had the same reaction. I, I thought it was a lot of fun, and uh, you're right. Some really great characters to get to know in a documentary. And, yeah. Uh, 
it was a, it was a hit at the time. It, it, I mean, it was a small art house hit, but it was around for a long time. I remember that. Yeah, three point seven million dollars for a documentary. That's pretty solid. Yeah, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's not really good is Mystery Date, and I saw that at a drive-in. <laughs> uh, but it's funny because like people have said like, oh, it's like After Hours. You know, it's like it takes that yeah. idea of things going wrong in one night scenario. Ugh, it's it's more bad. it's more licensed to drive than after hours. Good call, very good call. You're absolutely right. License to drive is also a better movie. Anyway, but introduce us to Terry Polo. It was charming, I guess. Okay. Yeah, okay. I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> a much much better movie that came out that weekend. Uh, the commitments. Oh, talk sure. about infectious and oh my joyful. God. Well, like maybe we're a little poison. See if you could play before I pay for them. Lads, you're looking at the commitment test. Brilliant management, brother Robert. Let's keep relations on a professional basis. <laughs> How are we professional if we've never been paid? Just one of my favorite movies, and I remember. This was a. Uh, this year was uh, the first year I started going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show on a regular basis, and then eventually became one of the Shadow Cast members. Um, and uh, when you get into that world, you immediately have like fifteen or twenty new friends as part of your social circle, which is <laughs> a pretty cool thing. Yeah, um, that's cool. But uh, it, but you also have conflicting personalities egos backstabbing and all this other stuff all this drama and i remember when we went and when i saw the commitments with a friend of mine who was also in that rocky horror world we just kind of looked at each other went oh my god this movie gets everything right about not well in this case it's forming a band but like we were able to like point to every character in the movie and go that's that guy that's it you know like we're like these are people that we know <laughs> and this is what happens. Um, and this is uh, Alan Parker's movie about the Irish soul, a bunch of 20 uh, somethings who get together in Dublin and uh, put together a soul group. And it's a fantastic group full of talent. And, but they just cannot get along <laughs> at all. And uh, I just remember just, it was like, one movie that I watched that I kind of have I feel a personal connection to and but it's also just amazing to experience because the per- musical performances in this movie are phenomenal. Try a little tenderness, man. Oh God. <laughs> like that this richly deserved uh, an Academy Award nomination for best editing. I would have also given it cinematography, but uh the editing in this movie is phenomenal. I, I would have I uh, I, I probably would have given it the award, although I know, I know. There's, there's, one. there's we'll another movie I would probably give it an award over. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but uh, <laughs> anyway, this, that, this is definitely one of my very, very favorite movies of the year. 
Yeah, it's a, it's an easy movie to like a whole lot, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean that the, the music is so. I mean, it's all a lot of classics and whatnot, so the familiarity with them is already sort of built in. But the seeing, you know, a talent like that, you know, sort of emerge on the screen in front of you is always such an exciting thing. And is Andrew Strong is that the name mm-hmm. of the, the lead singer of that movie? I, I, yeah, I, I still remember that name. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you want to talk about someone who achieves the sort of the power of like a Joe Cocker and I don't use that uh lightly. Yeah. Um it's just it's it, it's so it, and it's I mean it's a funny movie. It's you know it's you know there you there's like this subgenre of movies like this like the commitments and that thing you do and Sing Street and the, the 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 creation of these bands that you could create like an entire marathon film festival. <laughs> around and and so many and it would be such a, a joyous experience uh even though they go through the you know the ups and downs of you know being a band and stuff like that but no it, it it's a r- lot of fun a really good movie yeah and i highly recommend the uh director's club episode that you were on colin that was one of my favorites oh thanks yeah that was yeah that was a lot of fun alan parker mm-hmm. Ooh, a lot of great work Throughout his yep. filmography, for sure. And you also have Glenn Hansard in this with long hair. Yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of people forget that. that he, was a, he was a commitment uh, before he was a, uh, before once came out. And then we got Kenneth Branagh's follow-up to Henry V, which is like the most unlikely kind of follow-up you would think to get from the director of that film, uh, Dead Again. Yeah, you all know how I feel about this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of right with you. Every time I rewatch this, oh, I'm like, "Damn, this is a gem." You know, I, I I mean, I mentioned earlier that you know I love kind of goofy mysteries and whatnot, but the, goofy is not anywhere associated with this movie. This is an exemplary uh, mystery film, and it, like Colin said, I mean, it's just like going from Henry V to this. You go like, I mean, like Henry V was like that watershed who is this guy and he's so young and look at the, the what he's created here uh what an achievement and then he comes and does dead again which is this sort of this classical hollywood Hitchcockian. thriller hitchcockian yeah. thriller uh with this amazing screenplay by scott frank uh who, you oh, know and, i forgot he wrote yeah, this that's yeah. right uh, scott you know talk about his obsession with scissors go watch minority report again um <laughs> And yeah, I mean, it's just everything about this movie clicks with me. I mean, the the the, the central mystery is a great one. The the whole idea of the the, the chance to correct wrongs from the past and re, and reliving and shooting the 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 old footage in black and white. Uh, I mean, beautifully shot. Uh, all the everyone is having fun in this movie, and it's, and it's it's a it's a romantic film to boot. The re- relationship between Branna and Emma Thompson in the film, great supporting work from Andy Garcia, uh, a uh, a cameo basically by Robin Williams has like three scenes in this movie, and he's hilarious in it, uh, and and hilarious and menacing at the same time. Uh, just fantastic work. Derek Jacoby, obviously, as the the the, the goofy uh, hypnotist um, who who regresses them and starts to piece together the mystery. 
Uh, yeah, I love everything about this movie, right down to Patrick Doyle's score, oh. which, fu- funny enough, is the music that we used in our Macbeth film <laughs> that we did. <laughs> the, the opening music with the you know, murder as the movie begins. That's the, That was our opening theme to Macbeth. Uh, yeah, th- this is one of my absolute favorite movies. Yeah, no arguments cool. here. It's, it's Yeah, it's fantastic. Um. And then, uh, what? <laughs> Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. One uh, of my least favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> Takes place in futuristic 1996. Mm-hmm. I, I can't believe this movie's a, a futuristic movie, but uh, yeah. Um, the audience for this movie is like, as Bill Paxton and Near Dark would say, shit kicker heaven. Like, that's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 absolutely absolutely ridiculous um, in in every sense of the word. Uh, kind of it kind of has to be seen to be believed, though. I guess I should see it sometime just to see. No, it. No, 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 you don't. I <laughs> I you know there was a period where like you know movies were still kind of selective to me as far as the my theater outreach and whatnot. Um, and you know, and I I can't remember ever until this movie seen a movie in a movie theater that I disliked. And remember, that's I didn't see every one of these movies in a theater, obviously, but the ones that I saw, I usually tend to like. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first movie that I can remember that I went to the theater and was like, no, that that's <laughs> crap. That is crap. You know, if you watch it again with the... <laughs> in mind that it's from the same studio that released Thelma and Louise in the same summer. It's yeah. like, whoa, one step forward, 3,000 steps back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Colin, I don't remember, know if you remember this, but in, in there, this was the summer in the Chicago Tribune where Gene Siskel and the Chicago Tribune were, were doing a, uh, like a teen critic kind of thing. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember this? And, 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 and I think is when they also did it. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and I submitted uh, a review of Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man <laughs> as my entry into that. Nice. Um, I, I didn't get picked. Oh. <laughs> you know, I don't think my star and a half review of Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man uh, <laughs> made it very far. But, but I think one of the things I said in the review is, why is this movie set in 1996? <laughs> I'm like they got like bulletproof art, like the jackets. Remember yeah. the, the, all the and it's like Daniel. It's Daniel Baldwin yeah. is the is the head bad guy, and I just that's all I remember about the review. I'm just like, what? what this is set in 1996, and they jump over a motorcycle. Like that's that's all they do. Yeah, no, you know, it's, it's, it's it's terrible. Yeah, it is. I'm sure, but it's funny because like I think this month there are movies that I associate with certain people. Like I associate Dead Again with Eric. And the commitments with Colin. Uh, for me, Barton Fink. Welcome to Los Angeles, Mr. Fink. Excuse me? Howdy, neighbor. Are you a writer, Mr. Fink? Actually, I'm writing for the pictures now. Oh, it's an exciting time. Is that him? Is that Barton Fink? Say whatever the hell you want. The writer is king here at Capitol Pictures. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bond? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy a song. Is that more than one thing? Okay. Devil on the canvas. 12 apple, take one. Just having trouble getting started. Well, it's spirit. Wrestling picture. What do you need? A roadmap? We all need understanding, Barton. Oh, you'll lick this picture business. Believe me, you got a head on your shoulders. And what is it they say? 
Where there's a head, there's hope. I'm sitting in the audience. The lights go down. Capital logo comes up. Come on. Hank? LAPD. Got some questions we want to ask you. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. Something horrible's happened. Female Caucasian, about 30 years old. Haven't seen much with anyone fits that description. But, you know, with the head still on. Well, Barton, you might say I saw peace of mind. Right now, the contents of your head are the property of Capital Pictures. Charlie, why me? Because you don't... Obviously, the Coen brothers have made several great films. uh, And... For some reason, the more when I go back to this one, this is just this is this is my jam, hundred uh, percent. I think I like I think I like Inside Lou and Davis a little bit more now, but uh, now Barton Fink would be my second favorite Coen Brothers movie. Uh, I like I like movies where people are going mad and you know it's in a confined space for the most part, and they meet some opposing force and here you got john goodman uh one of his better performances too and very quotable very crazy you know like (laughs) again a great movie about hollywood a great movie about writing a great movie about what it's like to you know live in a hotel and you know hear things and basically lose your lose your mind while trying to write something, I think that just speaks to me through and through. And they they were sort of losing their minds, I think, while putting together Miller's Crossing, and out came this script. And mm-hmm. you can tell that there's this turned into a real passion project about what maybe it's like to live in the minds of the Coen brothers, more or less. So, uh, yeah, and it's first time working with Deacons, I think. Yeah. Uh, probably. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great cinematography, great score, great performances, great everything. Mm-hmm. I adore this movie. I think this is my third favorite Coen Brothers after Fargo and Raising Arizona. Um, yeah, I, I think this movie is amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember working at the video store at this time, uh, not this time, but when this movie came out on video and whenever I like kind of wanted to like freak out a customer, (laughs) I'd put on the last, I'd put on the big big scene towards Uh, the end. I'll show you the life of the mind. I'd put that on and just to like see customers go, what the hell is this? You know? Cause it, and it just like gave me such a thrill to like, <laughs> like show people that or just put that scene on in the background and watch people just like turn their heads, go, what the fuck? Um, and uh, so I watched Barton Fink a lot at that video store because it's, it's like not really that objectionable. And I mean, it wasn't a raw rated movie, but there's not a whole lot in it that is like, you know, it was going to get me into trouble for playing it. But, um, and I just love listening to it. I love listening to the dialogue in this movie and just, you know, it's so like rewatchable and, 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 and in every way, but it's also weird to note that like, this is not the weirdest movie of this year to feature, uh, Judy Davis hanging out with writers. We're going to get to another one, <laughs> later, but it's weird. That, another movie I love. 
<laughs> yeah, that's weird that these two movies came out the same year, but um, we'll get to that later. But uh, yeah, no, I love Barton Fink. It's it's amazing. And also, shout out to John Mahoney, who's so great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know where on my Coen Brothers list this movie ranks now, uh, but every time I see this movie, it rises a little bit higher. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I think that the last time I saw it was probably four or five months ago. And the, the the thing that really stood out for me, and and has over the years, but the I mean the, the stuff between Turturro and Goodman, and the sort of the idea of the sort of the like liberalish left wing guy that thinks he's knows what the working class is thinking, thinks he knows uh, the direction that the you know where the country should be, and all these kind of things. Yeah, that he are, always that interrupts him. He always interrupts John Goodman, the guy that's going to tell you. Know, I get, I got some stories I could tell you, and he always interrupts them. Now, granted, maybe those stories are not what he wants to hear, <laughs> frankly. But the the idea that you know, a, sort of a left wing guy thinks he knows now what everything should be, and is never looking towards the future. And John Goodman at that time is basically representing a really dark future that is coming for the world at that time. Hmm. And to, to think about what Goodman ultimately represents in that movie. And you know, the, the, that, you know, that Turturro has the power to maybe stop him. If he, if he would just pay attention to someone who is representing himself as a working class guy, uh, that he might have the power to do something about it. And he doesn't because he's so up, up his own ass. Because you don't he, listen. Absolutely correct. What my favorite line from that movie is because you don't listen. And if he just would have listened, maybe some people would have survived. Uh, and yeah, so and then that I think that's a really sort of interesting message for where we currently are today. Uh, so yeah, this is a movie that has constantly been re- uh, evolving with me over the years and uh yeah it's absolutely one of their best movies wow with you framing it that way i might watch it again tonight <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it, i mean it's, it's there's so much going on with it yeah. uh but that i mean all that stuff that happens in the hotel is has always been my favorite stuff in the movie understandable i don't know should we move on to september or do you guys have anything to say about child's play three no it's, it's not bad. it's not good it's, no, bad. it's not good yeah no. okay all right september then um freddy's dead I like it. I'm one really? Of the, I'm one of the f- <laughs> few defenders, and I think, again, maybe it's nostalgia. I don't know. Like, seeing Did this as a drive-in. Yeah, you saw it in 3D, right? Yeah, and I saw it in yeah. 3D. And- but now, it's a new beginning. The beginning of the end for Freddy. Every town has an Elm Street. <laughs> The bus is in motion. It's your mind will go for. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little soul too. Oh yeah. We're gonna have to hit him with everything we've got. Now I'm playing with power. I'm not gonna defend it on a script level. It's just. I don't know. I don't mind Freddy as this cartoon character, and certainly that's what he became at this point. Just like how many ridiculous one-liners can he come up with? And 
all, like all these people are killed in these really, really cartoonish ways. Uh, and when I watch it, it's, 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 it's dumb and it's not like a great sequel, but I still, I don't know why I still find it relatively entertaining. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to defend it. No, I, I mean, I saw this movie in at, at the Woodfield and I saw it in 3d and the only thing that I remember about it is that it was in 3d and, uh, at one point, one of the town they go into is Elk Grove. That's that's seriously that's the only thing I remember about this movie, and I just, I, I don't like that direction that Freddy Krueger, a, a child murderer or possibly molester, mm. be, you know, became a cartoon character over the years, and and and, and even as someone who backs the Rennie Harlan Nightmare on Elm Street, where he is oh that was that was very good, yeah, but that movie you know, that movie has an energy to it, and if you forget about who that character is for a little while, you can kind of enjoy that. Uh, but by here, he is just, he's full bebopping and scatting, you know, and stuff. And it's just like, mm, no. And, it, and it's just also, and the, th- the 3D was bad. Let's, let's let, let, lose sight of that. The 3D was bad. Like the, 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 the Hydra Freddy heads coming out of the screen is not good. It's, it was really like, oh, I'm like, I paid. Okay. I, I laugh at this knowing it's pretty bad, but okay. I'm still entertained. Like mm. Yafet Koto shows up. God, yes, that's right. <laughs> I don't know. It's, he it's survives not... too, doesn't he? I think he survives. Yeah, yeah they all do yeah. at the end. Yeah, so it's him and Lisa Zane and someone else. Right. I forget. No, it's 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 dumb. Bad. <laughs> and then we have this small little movie that um is like the antidote to mystery date. Is a uh, dogfight. Oh. Um, wow! River Phoenix and Lily Taylor, uh, Vietnam era drama um, about these guys, these Marines who have this bet that, or they they have this challenge, like who could pick up the ugliest woman uh, on their on their stop, uh, which they have an overnight stay, and um, and so it's 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 such a vile idea. And uh, River Phoenix uh, bring he picks up um, you know a, a folks you know wannabe folk singer uh, who works in a coffee shop played by Lily Taylor who's you know and uh, and but and it she eventually finds out about it but it's uh, it's how they're this this night of the two of them um, and it's it's so unfortunate that this movie never really it. it just bombed when it came out. Um, nobody went to see it, but uh, it's really one of the you know, one of the gems of this year. Um, that uh, never it, it it still it still gets me every time I watch it. Um, I think it's so great. Uh, both River Phoenix and Lily Taylor, the the how their relationship slowly progresses and develops, and the arc that they, that they go through. I, I I bought every minute of it. Um, I think it's it's a beautiful. Time, uh, a, a time, a period piece, I should say, um, and uh, yeah, it's a, this is this is also uh, one of my favorite movies of the, of the year. Wow, I need I need to revisit it. Then I it's been long. I haven't seen this movie since ninety one. I didn't uh, get a chance to go back and look at it. Um, Has it out on Blu Ray? I don't believe so. No. Yeah, I don't think so. Hmm. 
I think I got a DVD from Netflix, maybe. I don't remember how I saw it, but uh, or maybe I rented it on Amazon. But because um, I, I just I love these two actors so much, you know. And it's probably the first of two River Phoenix movies that make me tear up. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen it in a long time myself, but I just know I I, I am a fan for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's so good, so good. In the world of talk radio, Jack Lucas was king. Look, I said I want an offer. They can forget it. To stay on top, he did whatever he had to. Forgive me! But one day, Jack went too far. It was Mr. Lucas's offhand remark that seemed to have fatal impact on Mr. Malnick. No matter what I have, it feels like I have nothing. Yo, what's going on? And just when he was about to give up on his own life, he stumbled into Perry's. Unhand that degenerate and remove your presence! I like New York in June. How about you? Another movie that uh, I associate with Colin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is another. This is this b- belongs in the yuppie redemption uh, pile, but uh, uh, the Fisher King with Jeff da- uh, Jeff Bridges and um, and Robin Williams and Mercedes Ruel, who won uh, an Academy Award for uh, Best Supporting Actress for this film, rightfully so. And uh, Amanda Plummer. And uh, whenever we do these shows, I I try to save like what I think is my favorite film of the year for to watch last. So we watched this last night. And um, it still it still gets me in all the right places. Um, this was Terry Gilliam's follow up to the very troubled production of uh, Baron Munchausen, which is actually a good movie, but it was a disaster in terms of production and, and box office. And um, you know, he the the producers of this movie, uh, two women whose names I wish I can't remember them. I want to say Linda Obst is one of them. Um, Anyway, they came across this script by a then unknown writer named Richard Lagravenes and um, said, uh, you know, we have to make this movie by hook or by crook. We got to make this movie. And, and they both kind of agreed that Terry Gilliam was the one to direct it, which is such a crazy notion to have because he for the same studio you know, was Baron Munchausen and he was ready to call it quits. He was ready to quit his career and, and he was going to about to fly back to England and figure out a way to start over and, and never go to Hollywood again. And, uh, but then they convinced him to do this movie and he, his basic vision for it was, I'm going to get out of the way of the script. Uh, I want, you know, he had Lagravenes on the set, which is not very common for any movie. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I don't want to mess this up. So I'm going to get out of the way of it. Um, the only thing that's in the movie that's not in the script is the uh, Grand Central Station scene where everybody starts dancing. That's that's the only Gilliam flourish in the film. I mean, not the only flourish, I should sure. say. Because his his trademark visual style is all over this thing. But you can tell like he had a fondness for this particular script, which is one of the best screenplays I think that's ever been written. Um, I think this, this was robbed of an Academy Award. Um, because there are so many quotable lines in it, not funny quotable, but just like philosophically quotable um, and so wise and so um, just uh, stunning to listen to. 
And uh, that's why, and, and that's why I kind of go easy on <laughs> movies that have like Ravidis's name on him as a screenwriter, because I think his, his stuff is seems so effortless. His dialogue and his and the way he treats his characters, it's it feels so effortless. He makes it look so easy. <laughs> yet it's um, it's it's anything but. And it's like this movie is just so got. It's just got so much going on in it. Um, you know. And then Robin Williams uh, also robbed of an Academy Award, in my opinion, for this movie. Um, because I think now, especially when you look at it, uh, if you've read that well, uh, that book, Robin, um, oh, yeah. knowing what you know about what he's going through and what was going on in his head, uh, it almost makes this performance like myth- mythological. You know, it's like something more was being tapped into that uh makes the movie just even almost hard to watch in some cases um but uh i mean this movie lands every every time i see it it's it's gilliam's most emotional movie um and it's the one that shows his biggest heart you know uh terry Terry gilliam is not one to wear his heart on his sleeve but uh i think this one he lets himself his guard down a little bit as a director and and lets himself uh lets himself go there um, so yeah, this is yes. anyway. <laughs> Speaking of Lagravenes, Le- just wait till we get to 1998. Then I'm I'll I'll do a monologue. <laughs> yeah, sure. right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I I love the Fisher King. I really really do, and I I think I always have. Uh, even when I saw it when I was maybe too young to comprehend all the stakes and you know some of the weightier philosophical things that you're bringing up. Uh, it, it still resonated with me. I was, and I always will be a fan of Robin Williams, even when he gets a little manic and wild. It, it makes sense in the context of this story. Um, and, you know, I've, oh, Jeff Bridges is probably my favorite actor, too. So pairing them together was just a match made in heaven, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I, I certainly think that Gilliam like you mentioned, got out of the way and let the script speak for itself in ways that are very profound and beautiful and moving. And when you find out the reasons behind his trauma, uh, yeah, I'm kind of gone at that point. It's definitely one of the best movies of the year. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really good. Uh, I, I, I got one kind of nagging criticism about it. I'm not going to linger on that too much uh, i'll bring that up at the very end but colin is right is that this is definitely gilliam's most hopeful movie mm-hmm. that that there that there is you know some that there isn't just doom and gloom waiting for us on the other side of wherever we're at in our lives that that there is possible possible redemption uh and uh, you know love could you know can, can conquer all in the future and stuff like that um yeah you know watch watching the movie again Colin, you're absolutely right. Thinking about Robin Williams, you know what we now know yeah. about him. Uh, that that performance, which you know, many people, even the people who loved it back then, thought Jeff Bridges was the one that should have been nominated for the mm-hmm. film, as opposed to Robin Williams, who a lot of people thought he was just sort of doing his shtick. And I mean, I get where they're coming from a, a little bit on that, but. There's a lot more than him just, you know, going nude in the park and, you know, flailing around and, you know, being the uh, having, you know, having the manic energy that he you know normally displays in his movies. 
uh, there's there's a lot more going on with that trauma. Yeah. Uh, on a lighter note, uh, you know, as again, like my first video store job, I can't tell you how many times we played those video store scenes in the movie. I mean, that that scene where he, where Jeff Bridges gives, uh, is it Kathy to Jimmy? I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he gives her the porno and says it's a big titty spread cheeky kind of thing. That we, I'm, I know we said that line to customers at the store. <laughs> well, we would recommend movies to to to, to the, the the more discerning customers that we knew we could joke around with. Yeah. Obviously, we we would say that line a lot uh my only criticism of the movie is the final act with the with the holy grail thing i, I think that that is a, a little too overplayed a little too on the nose um i, I think that the film would have i don't think it needed to go that far uh because all the, 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 the all the interactions and everything that was building towards um i just think that that's you could have i don't know that that stuff just doesn't work for me i, I don't like that stuff in the movie, but other than that, uh, a, a very good movie. Also, very good. Rambling Rose. Yes. Talk about a great coming of age movie too, uh, with little Lucas Haas. Uh, it's funny because <laughs> he he had like a, a straight to VOD movie, and the publicist uh, said that maybe uh, I could get an interview with him, and I thought, man. I just want to talk to him about all of his old, old, old movies that he's done uh, when he was younger, particularly this one, because uh, he has some interesting interactions with Laura Dern. You think? <laughs> Very memorable, for sure. Uh, but I, I, yeah, what can you say? Laura Dern was nominated for this, right? At least. Uh, yes, and um, Diane Ladd. Yes. Okay. Rightfully so, because they're both great in this, and I, uh, I, I am a, I'm a quite the fan. I am too. I, I think this this actually might be my favorite Laura Dern performance. I, I, I think she is just luminous in in this movie, and mm-hmm. th- and those scenes you know you mentioned that, that happened pretty early in in the film. They happened in like the first thirty thirty minutes of the movie. The that whole bedroom scene with Lucas Haas. There, there's so much truth in those scenes and some people might look at them just like oh as a child and a older woman and stuff like that like no if anyone who's been that age and a boy knows exactly what's going on and he's not doing it with a you know a nefarious touch he's like genuine curiosity uh, about you know being a growing boy and stuff like that and he's satisfied now can we lie and talk now huh it's got a nipple on it. Of course it does. First I couldn't feel it, but now I feel it easily. It's like a little acorn. All right, buddy, that's enough. You know, you're just a child and wouldn't understand it, but that type of thing can stir a girl up. And you lie back down. I'll just talk. You're softer than I thought. That was my main impression. You know, if you hit a girl there, it could hurt her a lot. Nowadays, people go like, "That's problematic." I'm like, "Well, <laughs> okay," but it 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 works within the concept text of the movie. It works in the context of those characters, and it's 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 it, they're actually very beautifully, very smartly written scenes. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I think this movie is just charming from. Uh, from uh, front to back, and like I said those performances, particularly the one by Laura Dern, 
uh, is a thing that I I, re- I just still remember to this day watching this movie. Yeah, and Duvall's great in it too. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, I I I like this movie. I think Eric, this is probably my movie that like everybody loves it, and I just kind I just like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why. I, every time I watch them, like, every time I watch it, I'm like, I feel like I'm I should I'm I should love this more. Yeah. But for some reason, it just doesn't like affect me much in any way. Even though I was I, I I agree with you all across the board. The performances are fantastic, and and uh, but it just something about it just never gets me. I don't know. But I, but I certainly don't dislike it, and I certainly, you know, I, I like the movie. I like it. No worries, Colin. I got a m- bunch more of those movies coming up. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> um, but really quickly, I wanted to mention another movie that came out this month that flew under the radar when it came out, uh, called Late for Dinner. Yeah, I couldn't find this one. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's not an easy movie to find, but uh, it's a interesting little time travel movie or kind of like Sleeper. It's like that kind of film. These two guys who wake up th- uh, thirty years into the future or something like that. They, um, and uh, and it, but it's it's a movie that really sneaks up on you. It's got a really like romantic heart in 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 the last portion of the film um, that I really liked, and uh, it's it's worth seeking out. Okay. 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 Anything else for September? Well, uh, well, not for, quite. For me, there's a big one. Oh wait, there is one. Yeah. yeah. Necessary roughness. No. <laughs> oh, not that one. Okay. Mm. So, I didn't really talk. I, I didn't have a whole lot of in terms of memories from this year, but um, my parents were going through a rough patch. Let's just say, and uh, I was staying with my aunt pretty frequently and she would go to work during the day and uh, I would wake up in the morning and walk to the uh, local blockbuster and so I don't think it happened this year it must have been the next year then where I rented this movie called My Own Private Idaho and all I saw was like oh I like those two guys River Phoenix Keanu Reeves cool let's see let's see what this is all about um I was not prepared for mm. what this movie is, and it, it might have been my first introduction to, you know, a gay lifestyle. And I, you know, I certainly hadn't seen something like um, uh, Midnight Cowboy, which I think has a huge influence for this film, uh, along with Shakespeare, obviously, <laughs> uh, and. Again, we talked about Todd Haynes and you know his groundbreaking work this year, but and I think we also agreed that Drugstore Cowboy is a great film, and this to me is also a, a great film that I only like. I know I know there were fans, most of all Nick, because I was listening to the radio and he reviewed it, and I just kind of went, "What is?" I I don't know what to make of, and I still like sometimes I'm perplexed by just some of the shifts it takes to where when people criticize certain segments, especially when they get into the Shakespearean dialogue, I completely understand people not connecting with this movie, but as a showcase for River Phoenix as being one of my all time favorite screen presences ever, this is probably his best performance for me. It's uh, the, the, the scene by the campfire 
was pretty much improvised by him and I, I i i think it's beautiful that moment is so beautiful i only have sex with a guy for money yeah i know and two guys can't love each other yeah well i don't know i mean i mean for me i could love someone even if i you know wasn't paid for it I love you and you don't pay me. It is so weird at times. And to, to the point where like, yeah, when I first saw this movie, I had no idea what was going on in the first scene. I'm like, what, what, what is that guy doing to river Phoenix? Why is he on <laughs> his knee? You were a little young, weren't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did not quite understand what was, yeah. <laughs> but there's Mom, also th- come in here. But there's some great like love scenes in this movie. There's like t- like still oh. shots. I just Too went favorite scenes of the movie. I love that. Love that. <laughs> and I gotta say, I love the. I love it all. I know most people don't. That's cool. I understand. But I, I love this whole movie. Yeah, it's very good. I'm glad I caught up with it. Uh, recently, because I hadn't seen it in 30 years, and wow. when I first saw it, I didn't know what to make of it either. Um, but uh, now I'm older and wiser, and uh, now it's a very good movie. I I I, I liked it a lot. I, I I do think Phoenix is fantastic in this. I I'm not always like on board with R- the River Phoenix love, but um, okay. But uh, I I think the less hair he has to work with, the better an actor he is. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of how I think of it, but um. But yeah, no, this is this is this is that uh, an excellent film. Hey, Colin, remember what you said about Ramblin' Rose? Oh yeah, no. here we Colin, go. I knew well, it. Well, wait, well, wait a minute, you, Jim. Do you remember <laughs> what Colin said about Ramblin' Rose? He said he liked the movie. He just didn't love it. Okay. Yeah. No, I That's understand. It. No, like That's I said, I, under, I understand that reaction. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's. I mean, this movie is kind of a low-key almost like whiplash kind of movie at times because and i and i say that in terms of the the structure and the style of the some of the the scenes that it you know where it introduces the shakespeare stuff into the movie mm-hmm. uh and also in in terms of keanu reeves's performance as well uh you know to, to speak directly to that uh you know we've been doing this for a few years and i think we've Colin and I have certainly been very critical of Keanu Reeves's early stuff, you know, like a movie like Permanent Record that we think would be much better, but if not for a Keanu Reeves' performance, I know I'm we're sorry, but Keanu Reeves is still not up to snuff yet as an actor, and like the early, like some, like when you first see Keanu Reeves in this movie, and he's kind of the polished character compared to River Phoenix's character, you kind of go like, oh my god, this is a very interesting sort of mature performance from Keanu Reeves this is kind of interesting. And then it loves like the scene with him and his father and doing the Shakespeare stuff in his office. And it was like, Oh, there he is. There's the Keanu. We know a bit. He's still not, you know, th- this is like people didn't who cast him in much ado about nothing. Didn't watch some of these scenes. Um, but then, but then again, there are moments, there are quieter moments, the scenes where he is just reacting to things that river Phoenix is telling him. Uh, I think he's very good. And so I go back and forth with Keanu's performance in this movie. Phoenix is good all the way through. Um, I love the scenes uh, with Bob, the the homeless yes. king sort of. Stuff. I love Bob. He's maybe my my favorite character in the movie. 
Um, those those sex scenes that you mentioned, fantastic. The the see the, the the first time it's that trick is the second time it's not as effective. But that first time that they do it with the threesome with Udo Kair, and oh. this is my sort of my favorite sort of Udo Kair performance. I actually just saw a movie. Uh, that's playing South by Southwest this year. That is a showcase for Udo Kair, and this is my like my favorite type of Udo Kair performance. Where he totally has like a Dean Stockwell him. moment from Blue Velvet. Oh, without question, <laughs> without question. And that again, that sex scene between the three of them is. It, it, I mean, it's it's hilarious. It's so funny, uh, and yeah, and so the, the it's it's a it's a movie that I, I get tossed around a lot watching uh and i've never risen to the level of the you know four star type praise that this movie has gotten i understand where people c- come with it uh i've never quite reached there because i think that there are as many good moments there are great moments there there are in this movie there are moments where i go like i pull back i'm like oh that wasn't such a great moment so i like the movie just don't love it yeah there's there's movies where tonal whiplash does get to me but this is not one of them okay I, yeah i like it all the end Bye. okay <laughs> <laughs> moving on to october uh a much different film <laughs> oh god where are you going <laughs> this, this could be any number of movies right uh i was going with ricochet oh, perfect. oh yeah my 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 man <laughs> what a crazy movie this is. tonight i'm gonna make love to my wife get up in the morning maybe lock up some more bad guys Rookie cop Nick Styles, the one arrest he never thought twice about, never stopped thinking about him. I'm gonna do something far worse than kill you. I'm gonna let you live. So come on! <laughs> Denzel Washington, John Lithgow, Ice T, Ricochet, rated R. As, I mean, he is just having a blast in this. Like, there's a sword fight in a prison with actual swords <laughs> and own books for armor. I'm like, that's in like the first ten minutes, I think. I'm like, okay, movie, you got me. I'm I'm gonna watch the rest of you, because um, that's just that that's the kind of level this movie is playing at. But this is a Denzel Washington cop thriller, um, and I just every time I think of it, I remember working at. Maybe I was working at Blockbuster at this by the time this movie came out on video. Uh, and when it, the week it came out, some dude came in and said, uh, do you have the movie Ricochet? Nice. <laughs> like, I don't know that film. What is that film? Ricochet with Denzel Washington? No, I, I, I can't say I've ever heard of that film. <laughs> and just like. Until, until I don't know, eventually I gave in, but oh, Ricochet! Oh, yeah, we're going to name a movie called Ricochet. What the hell? Get caught, whatever. That's a cereal, um, isn't it? <laughs> Ricochecks? Ricochet, and there's Cornichek, too. Sounds yeah, Ricochecks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, that's good. That's uh, uh, part of this nutritious breakfast. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, like a crazy, crazy, hilarious cop thriller from this era. So entertaining, <laughs> so much fun. I I I love I I love it when Lithgow is an over the top villain. When's When's Raising Cain coming up? I want to defend that one next year. Ah, oh, awesome! Next year. Okay, yeah, no Ricochet that, rules. It's good. 
Oh, <laughs> we, we, we could talk about Ricochet for another hour. Uh, yeah, you really have to be on go on board. I mean, like Colin mm-hmm. said, you have to really be accepting to this movie pretty early on uh, and then let it just like get crazier. Because this movie gets crazier the, the the longer it goes on, and you're either accepting of that and and along for the ride, or you're not. And I I am always along for the ride of this movie. And the and the moment I knew that I was I was really loving this movie is when Denzel Washington discovers the videotape that's left in his house, and he goes running down the street in his boxer shorts. <laughs> you know, and the camera follows him. And this is really complicated dolly shot and whatnot. I'm just like, okay, this movie knows exactly what it is. And Denzel is l- l- having fun with the trying to explain what's happening to him to the, his superiors and stuff. There's, I mean, it's played for comedy. Um, it's, it's crazy violent at times, crazy violent at times. I mean, there's a escape sequence involving a, you know, a saw, for God's sake, so an electric saw right. that is just nuts, and um, yeah, it's just and let's go. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> did you floss this morning? Yeah, with your wife's <laughs> pubic hair. <laughs> I mean, my God. I mean, you if you're if I mean that's a moment where you either just shut off the movie or you're just like I'm down. Let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, this, is, this is one of the most insane movies of, of the year, and and damn it if I don't like it. <laughs> oh, Fred Decker co-wrote the script. Okay, he keeps coming up. That's cool. Academy Award winner Reese Witherspoon in the role that launched a superstar. Hey! Hey, yourself. Come on in. One, two, three, go! Hey! What's it like to kiss a boy? You let him kiss you. If you like him. Well, what if you like him a lot? <laughs> you wouldn't have to think about it. It'll all come to you. Sure is high. Should be nice to go for a swim. What are you folks gonna say? You know you're not old enough to date. Used to be she was too lip. Now she's too big. Witherspoon is unforgettable. Man in the Moon, uh, which is this beautiful coming of age movie, takes place in the early fifties. Uh, and uh, Reese Witherspoon, I want to say she's like twelve or thirteen in this movie. Yeah, maybe fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she has her first crush, and she lives out in the farmland. And um, this was and right from the first, right away in the first scene, you could see a movie star in the making. Like her performance is so strong in this. I remember when I first saw this on VHS when it first came out, just thinking, "Who who is that? We are we are going to hear a lot from this actress because uh, she is phenomenal." And uh, she was. I mean, this is one of the best. You know, uh, a, 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 a great screen debut um that would fulfill uh, that would eventually be uh, a promise fulfilled uh, with a with a great career um the only thing this movie was directed by richard mulligan who uh did um robert mulligan robert mulligan sorry yeah richard mulligan no. <laughs> not the guy from so um, yeah um robert mulligan who did to kill a mockingbird um and uh a lot of other in, uh, some some good movies some not so good but um this was his last film and he's you know at this era you know he's still kind of like you know an old school old timey director so there's unfortunate in the middle of this movie there's a scene that's very pivotal but it goes it uses a day for night effect um hmm. 
and it's which is probably my least favorite old timey effects in a movie. I know at the time they had to to do that for a lot of films and, and TV shows, where it's, it's they're clearly filming in the daytime, but they darken it and tint it, make try to make it look like night, and it, you, you know it's not. But especially true here, and it's like, oh, I wish they've actually filmed this scene at night because it's such an important pivotal scene in the movie, and it almost like kills it in a way. But um. But no, this is otherwise uh, an excellent film and uh, a great, like I said, great screen debut by uh, Reese Witherspoon. This was the first movie I ever went on on a date. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm. Mm, sweet. You didn't get on a 13-year-old, I think I was. Yeah. Mm. You didn't get on a tractor afterwards, did you? <laughs> I was not prepared for that. <laughs> Let me tell you. And I'm like, oh, gosh, am I going to cry in front of my date? I, I don't know if that's cool. <laughs> That's that's my only my only real criticism of the movie is that scene is kind of un, yeah. un yeah. it's a little comical. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like you like you know something's coming, but you're just like, whoa, that's you know like Seinfeld. Yeah. That's the tractor story. Okay, mm-hmm. um, but no, it it, it is otherwise a, a a really lovely movie. Another, I mean, yeah, there's another good year for first kisses, and mm-hmm. uh, and and you know this has one of those as well, oh, and yeah. Yeah, Reese, Reese Witherspoon, again, a very, you know, a career of incredible highs and incredible lows uh, on top of it. But, yeah, you knew, you like Colin said, you knew something was happening when, when you saw her in this movie. And, and, and you know, and you, we, you can say that a lot. You can say that a lot, you know, in 2020 hindsight and whatnot. Uh, and sometimes we've been wrong. I mean, we, we talked about Julie Warner earlier. And you think, you know, her entrance in that movie and, you know, how she goes toe-to-toe with Michael J. Fox, you would think that she was going to have a, a career that was going to be long-lasting and it turned out not to really be the case. Uh, but this one certainly did, and it's a, a great old-fashioned coming-of-age story. Uh, really beautifully told. Uh, yeah, a, a really a real great one. And uh, we got a coming-of-age movie for geniuses, for little geniuses here. Uh, yeah, Little Man Tate, uh, which was uh, Jodie Foster's directorial debut. But so, man, did she have a hell of a year? Did Scott uh, Frank write this too? Yeah, but it's, the thing is, like, this movie went through so many drafts. It was a wildly different screenplay that he wrote originally. Like hmm. Joe Dante was supposed to direct this movie, and it was huh. a di- it was a much different kind of movie. It was more leaning more towards like a sci-fi angle, um, and Weird. then. Jodie Foster was brought on board and helped reshape it and re reconfigure it and make it what it is now, um, which I think is a, a, a fantastic movie um, about this subject and about, uh, you know, just trying to figure out how to be normal when you have this gift and what really happens to you uh, socially and emotionally when you have that gift. And the sort of tug of war between his mom, played by Jodie Foster, and this uh, doctor professor, played by Diane Weist, who wants to the boy to like get out of the public school system and into this academy and into college where she can study him and study his genius. And uh, the, the the tug of war between those two characters, I think, is is something that happens to a lot of parents um, and uh, you know school. You know, teachers and administrators, um, uh, 
And I think the movie does a beautiful job of handling that. And I also love the casting of the kid, uh, who was not also not a, really an actor. Like that's kind of why Jodie Foster chose him was that he wasn't really an actor and he wasn't, he didn't have all these actory mannerisms. He wasn't coached or anything like that. He's just this odd kid whose you know, reactions to everything is very natural. And, um, Anyway, yeah, I'm a big fan of this movie. I really like it a lot. Me too. Yeah, I like the movie too. Um, it's very much a precursor, you could say, to Goodwill Hunting in a way, mm-hmm. uh, sort of a younger version of that story. Um, yeah, no, I like it too. I, I do want to jump back a little bit, though. Uh, I rewatched The Rapture. Um, oh, that's another Jim movie. I, yeah, really, I really love really? it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I love this movie. Yeah. I just like I watched it again. I'm like, oh my god! I I haven't seen this in 30 years. It's a it's fantastic. Michael um, Tolkien, yeah. Um, and uh, Mimi Rogers, I think, was robbed uh, as well. I, I I think she's phenomenal in this movie. Um, <laughs> she gave me uh she gave me a hug at Wizard World because I told her about how much I love this movie. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I expect you not, might not, you know, hear that from too many people because this movie really flew under the radar. I don't think it ever got a sh- Chicago theatrical release, did it? Uh, I don't. I can't say that for certain. I know Siskel and Ebert reviewed it. Yeah, uh, but I don't remember if it got a Chicago release or not. Yeah, I just don't remember ever seeing it until uh, it came out on video and um, man, it, it holds up beautifully. It's a, a apocalyptic end of the world you know, woman joining a cult, you know, movie, uh, or, or a cult, uh, group. And, uh, just man, the ending is, uh, whew, yeah. <laughs> man. Uh, but yeah, though, this, this shot up there on my list is like one of my favorite movies of the year. Happy to hear that. The world's a disaster. We have no power to make it better. There has to be something more. Something's going on. You've changed. If I tell you, you're not going to believe me. At the end of days. There are wars and rumors of wars, Mommy. And a curse devours the earth. And those who live in it are held guilty. All who believe will be raised up. All who doubt will be cast down. The gates of heaven, all will be forgiven. It's yeah, really it's, heavy. It, 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 it's it's a lot to process. Uh, yeah, I, especially I, I, during these times. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. My, yeah, it's similar how I feel about melancholia, where I was like, I'm really affected by this. I don't know if sure. I can you know watch it uh, unless I'm prepared. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Well. Okay. Colin went back to the rapture. I rewatched horror. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> did you? Um, <laughs> I, I, all I can say is, I mean, it, it, this is, I mean, this is subject matter that I'm always fascinated with when a movie wants to take us inside the world of prostitution or the porn industry or something like that. I mean, there was a great movie that I just saw at Sundance called pleasure about the porn industry that I hmm. think uh, is, would, de- would definitely be an NC 17 movie uh, when, when it comes out. And I bring that up because, horror was rated nc-17 and it was one of those rare big deals at the time 
Uh, you know, it was, it was like Henry and June was the year before was the first NC-17 movie. I think this was the second. I don't remember if there was another one in between those two movies, but that's one of the reasons why this movie got so much attention. And to consider that this isn't this got an NC-17 movie uh, rating, like, oh my, give me a break. I mean, <laughs> c- compared yeah. to what we've had in the last 30 years, uh, I mean, like, give me a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also also say that about the movie. Uh, just give me a break. Uh, it's, it's just it's it's not as edgy or insightful about that world as I think it really thinks it is. I mean, it's mostly it's playing itself for comedy, and hmm. there there are moments in it that I think kind of work. You know, in, in that in that sense, and sort of playing up some of the some of the ridiculous stuff that happens in the movie. But I mean, this is a movie that there's two attempted rapes in the first ten minutes of the movie and yet it's mostly being played for comedy and the one thing i now admittedly i didn't even finish the entire movie going in i I watched this down the stretch coming up to this but the thing that i'm I'm watching this movie and i'm watching Teresa russell's performance and i can't decide if she's good in the movie or not honestly um but i'm I'm watching the movie i'm just like why is this seem so familiar what what why why does Teresa Russell's performance seem so familiar? She's talking to talking to the camera, and she's got this accent about her, and she's being kind of snarky about the, all the behavior that she's doing. I'm like, like oh my god, this is Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. <laughs> Here's on the stretch. You watch horror and watch Birds of Prey, and tell me those are not the same performances. <laughs> well, I was planning on that double feature. Yes. But- and I'm not I'm, I'm not implying that Harley Quinn or Margaret Robbie is a whore. Don't don't write letters, okay? I'm just saying watch those two performances. I don't know if Margaret Robbie ever watched Teresa Russell and whore, but tell me those are not the same performances. Why don't you go back to your home on Whore Island? I want to see whore, uh, but uh, it, it, <laughs> depending on where you ask for that ticket, I wonder if you actually got like an actual whore. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. One. Well, get the whore. Well, thank you for my whore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, this is. Uh, but it is probably more authentic than Pretty Woman, um, in terms of its depiction. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> a little bit maybe, but uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a Ken Russell movie. So you, you're gonna get what you're gonna get. From I, Ken Russell is a huge blind spot, with the exception of Altered States which I love, but I haven't seen anything else. Mm. And lots of people that I know in my circle are, are fans, but I just it's never... A, it could go either way. It yeah. could go either way yeah. with Ken Russell. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. I'll catch up. Yeah. Well, thank you for my whore. Uh, I love City of Hope. Um, I did a... Well, I was supposed to be on the John Sales Directors Club, but I had to back out last minute. Uh, but that was a really nice discovery for me yeah really um great ensemble uh it's i didn't watch it again recently so it's not as fresh did you watch it more recently colin uh six months ago um yeah no it's it's i i I hadn't seen it before either i don't know why i just never just never caught up with it but uh until until very recently and uh i thought i think yeah i think it's fantastic um yeah john sales is a great director yeah and uh yeah, this is a movie that you know looks at every aspect of of city hall politics, from the bureaucrats to the cops to the, to the school boards and the 
Uh, right. I sort of compared then, it to The Wire. Yeah. When, when I saw it, and beautifully shot Robert Richardson as always. Mm-hmm. So. It's, yeah, it's, it's and it's really fast paced and absorbing, and it's uh, still relevant today. A lot, a lot of things in it are relevant today. Um, yeah, though this was, I'm so glad I saw this movie. Uh, finally. Yeah, Joe Morton once again. Yeah, there's a lot. It's a great cast. Chris Cooper, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm quite the fan of Frankie and Johnny. Are you? Uh, yeah, Gary Marshall's film with Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer. I I think the the, the, the two of them are terrific in this movie. Pacino's have is a lot of fun. You you, you don't get to see Pacino as comically am, animated uh, in in a good way, not the the screaming Al Pacino. I'm just talking about the sort of a uh, working class um, guy who just talks a lot, and uh, I, I think he's he's a lot of fun to watch in this movie. And Michelle Pfeiffer again, it's just my God, so M- Michelle Pfeiffer in her element in in playing this this character that. Uh, has gone through certain things that we've talked about on, on the show already, uh, something in her past and why she is so hesitant to um, leap into a, this new relationship. I know this movie was criticizing, be, was criticized a lot because it was a stage play and the, the they, have, they really upped the level of attractiveness, I guess, was, uh, of Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer from the people who played it on the stage. Um, but I mean, I guess that, you know, attractiveness is relative, I guess, but, uh, it, I, I think that they're, they have, they have great chemistry in this movie. Uh, there's a real, there's a really little beautiful little romantic moment where they kiss for the first time and, um, the back of a flower truck is opened and all these flowers, this beautiful background, uh, is, is displayed for them. Uh, yeah, I, I think that this is, a kind of an unfairly overlooked, romantic comedy from this year. I, I really like it a lot. I like things in it. Um, Pacino's character is kind of like he's out of a, a John Patrick Shanley play and mm-hmm. that he, you know, he's got like this romantic language in him. But, um, but I kind of feel like how you feel when you watch what about Bob, where I kind of mm. want Pacino to leave Pfeiffer alone. Um. On you know, I kind of just, it's a little bit much for me where I just kind of like, dude, just back off. Okay. It, that's, that, that, that was my over, that, that was the, my main experience watching this movie for, mm. uh, when I watched it uh, many months ago, but, um, no, there's things in it that I like, it does have charm and, um, you know, I, I, uh, there's, there are things about it that I do appreciate, but the, 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 uh, yeah, it just doesn't, just doesn't do, do that much for me. Okay. It's I, just, woman. I just remember a screaming or a screaming orgasm because I, I think my parents rented this and they were watching it and I came down at <laughs> one point where Al Pacino's just screaming. Yeah, at one it's point a, it's a running joke in the movie that he actually holds in his orgasm. Oh, he has he has a scene with Kate Nelligan where she's just like, "Did you come?" And he's like, "No, I hold it in." And it's really funny. And then later on, he has the scene with Michelle Pfeiffer, and she's been told about this thing that he's got, and she's like, "I want to hear you." And he's like, and she gets it out of him, and it's a really, it's a really funny moment on on top of it. So yeah, I I, I think this is one of Gary Marshall's better films. Okay, maybe okay. I'll watch it. Yeah. Frankie and Johnny. I'm gonna back off, but I gotta tell you something. Well, you know, I'd rather you didn't. I got a crush on you. Did that 
a life? Yeah, sure. Send out for a pizza, rent a film, that's dinner, and a movie. And I don't have to deal with some jerk trying to put his tongue in my ear. I love the way you swig. I feel like you're too needy for me. Oh, come on. What is that? What it means, that I just mean? feel like you want everything that I am. She really likes this guy. When it comes to the question of love... Oh, 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 oh. I'm okay. Are you okay? Oh. Personally, I think we should be married. I definitely want to have kids. Some people won't take no for an answer. Yeah. Joe Mantegna and William H. Macy as cops partners together, man. They're so good. And it has a, a lot to say about anti-Semitism. And it's it's a dark movie. Like, the way this movie ends, I'm like, oh, God. It's it's just it, it's really bleak. I was really surprised, um, but I think you know, as a fan of Mam- pretty much all things Mammoth and Montaigne, I think this is maybe his best performance. I think. Uh, I don't know. I just think it's a. Re- I just mentioned the wire again. It just re- it's just a really effective cop procedural slash mystery of sorts. That obviously, when you see a mammoth movie, you're, you know there's going to be a twist of some kind, and <laughs> it, it delivers. Um, but it's just tragic too, uh, how things play out, especially when you get to what what happens with the with Ving Rhames's character who shows up late in the film. Uh, I, I just this is one of the better screenplays of, of the year for me. Um, I revisited this most recently. Uh, I was very much looking forward because this is a, a David Mamet movie that I had always I was I was always in Colin's camp uh, where he is now, and I, was, I, I always liked the movie, but I never quite found myself to loving it. And after seeing it again uh, just within the last week, I am still in Colin's camp uh, on, on this one. Um, I, I think that more so than a, the. The, the the early like House of Games and then a lot of the later stuff like State and Maine and even stuff that he had written like Wag the Dog and Ronin and stuff like that that the dialogue in in this movie as mammoth as it definitely is the way it's delivered in this movie seemed like they're very self aware that they're delivering mammoth dialogue there there are a lot more pauses in 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 their speech um, it almost kind of borders on self-parody i think it's at times ooh. uh yeah no don't ooh me when you get to the overarching story of the the jewish cop uh trying to rediscover his heritage and not no. be a sort of a self-hating jew you know i you know this might get me in trouble but i wonder if that's where david mamet is when he created this story uh, and not that he was seeking some sort of redemption, that it sort of carries into the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think that the the Jewish characters that he meets along the way are exactly the most positive uh, representations. No, you know, and I and I, I and I don't know if 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 that's a good thing or a bad thing. I honestly don't know. Someone who is maybe a little more steeped in the Jewish culture could tell me if Mamet hates these characters or is in support 
of these characters because I, I at the end by the end of the movie I don't know and when you get to the end of the movie and you're just like oh it's just kind of another con you know that that element of um, Mammoth's work I get a little tired of uh, and I'm I love Spanish Prisoner I love Heist and all these movies and whatnot but when it just seems like like Red Belt you know, turns out to be like a twisty con movie. I'm like, why is this mixed martial arts movie a con artist movie? That's the only one I'm not that crazy. I'm not a fan of Red Belt either. And this one has that, when you get to that ending, I'm just like, (sighs) it it draws into question again, whether or not what Mammoth, how Mammoth feels about all of that. And, you know, it just felt, it felt like a cheap little thing at the end. Robert Gold is a police detective. Would you like to know how to solve the problem of evil? No, man. Because if I did, then I'd be out of a job. In the next 72 hours... I think it's some sort of conspiracy. He will betray his friends. I don't get it. Disgrace the force. How would you like to be suspended? And commit an act of violence. I want to help you. What I do, you don't want to know. Because he believes it is the right thing to do. Joe Montana in David Mamet's Homicide. Rated R. Um, I I go back if we could really quick to um other people's money. Oh right, right, okay. Danny DeVito, which I think is a, a with the exception of the ending, I I think is a really a really terrific movie about uh, about capitalism. Um, Danny DeVito's are perfectly cast as this this character. Um, Penelope Ann Miller maybe not so much in in that role. Uh, I think that she's trying. Uh, too hard at times to be a foil to, to DeVito and it's just that the match doesn't quite add up uh, at times but you always have DeVito in that dynamic so it he's 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 doing a lot of the heavy lifting I, I think in those scenes uh, but it's all but it's, it's a real it's an interesting scene a story about this this uh, guy who is has everything he has everything you could possibly want except uh, love. And you know that that's it's a really interesting undercurrent that goes throughout the movie that he was, you know, the the guy in high school that you know couldn't get the the pretty girl because the quarterback you know was you know better looking than he was and he was going to give her the world but all he want all she wanted was the touchdown is one of the lines from the movie, and you know so this idea of you know you can gain the world but lose your soul is sort of you know inherent in this movie and. The, the, the further away he gets from uh, possibly you know securing this relationship that's more unlikely to ever happen between him and Penelope Ann Miller, uh, the, the sort of the harsher he, he gets in this this proxy fight and trying to pin off pick off this uh, steel company owned by Gregory Peck. Uh, and the, the, the final like monologues that are given in this proxy fight, uh, I think are even better than anything we heard in Wall Street from four years ago. I Ooh. think that a really uh, strong case, uh, literally on both sides. I think are, are very. I mean, just like you know, someone who, who goes to this movie wanting to hate on Danny DeVito's character. By the end, you're just like, oh, that's a pretty. That's a good point. That's a good point. And the, the, there are a lot of sides to what what goes on in this country. And um, I and I think this movie is very funny. 
Uh, and again, the, the ending doesn't work. The ending is different than apparently what, what's on uh, in the stage play. They come up with this everybody goes home happy kind of ending that mm. really doesn't work. Um, it, it really needs a much darker, uh, more um, pessimistic ending. But up until that point, I, th- I think this is a really uh, strong film uh, that uh, Norman Jewison directed. Okay. okay. I was going to try to catch up to it, but uh, I, I just didn't get around to that one. But um, yeah, I remember, I remember thinking like it was interesting that it was, you know, it was advertised as a comedy. And I remember when it came out on video, you know, Blockbuster video had their, you know, stuff pre-categorized and it came up as a drama, which took me by surprise. And no, then it's I definitely thought, a comedy. It's definitely a comedy. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't think Blockbuster was always right, but um, <laughs> <laughs> certainly not. But, uh, no. but that's kind of how they had it, which, uh, yeah, I thought that was strange. But um, <laughs> also in October, uh, Mike Lee had a film called Life is Sweet. Oh, uh, so good. Yeah, it's really good. I The only thing I the only act performance i think is a little bit off and it is timothy spall who i always love but for some reason like his performance was just a little too it's like not natural like everybody else yeah it's a little, I, I think he's he's kind of ridiculous but yeah i i find him amusing at times yeah well i yeah i, I just didn't think it fit but, but you uh, can't go wrong with like you got jim broadbent steven ray oh, david sure. thulis i mean come on well, mike, mike lee is so good like we mm-hmm. we recently did a directors club when when we finally came back and uh, pr- almost almost every Mike Lee movie I was kind of like I I just I'm on board 100 percent for just like watching these great actors interact with one another and go through really strange situations and certainly here you get that and then some mm-hmm. yeah no it's good I like it I like it very much but uh, yeah little little few reservations about it but understandable now Wes Craven creator of a nightmare on Elm Street takes you inside something's in there we gotta get out of here Leroy all sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house the police never took it serious she's been feeding that thing between the walls again very very tense about this Can't get out. No one ever has. People under the stairs. <laughs> Saw that in the theater. Yeah, had a good time with it overall. Yeah, you want to talk about a movie about capitalism? Oh well, yeah, I mean, this, this is a horror movie about capitalism, and it's a pretty great one. Um, one of one of my favorite Wes Craven movies. Same here, actually. Yeah, I, I think that this this movie is. Uh, darkly funny, uh, very very scary at times. Uh, you know, any anytime dogs are used as weapons on people, I get uh, I get cringy, and uh, you know, it's not, oh. not a good, not a good year for Ving Rhames. And uh, <laughs> as far as making it out of movies, it's just it's poor Ving Rhames. Poor Ving Rhames. But um, but yeah, no, it's just it's 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 a really weird, creepy, incestuous uh, mm. statement about the Reagan era. And uh, and it's a re- I I think a really great one. Yeah, Everett McGill was just what a performance in this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so crazy. 
Yeah, this movie had to grow on me for a while. Um, I did not like it when I first saw it. I, I missed all the subtext in it. I don't know. I just I didn't read into it that much when I first saw it uh, in 1991. It just kind of like, I don't know, just didn't do anything for me at all. But over the years, I've gone back to it and, uh, you know, based on recommendations from people like you. And um, really, now I, now I do have more of an admiration for it. I'm not sure why I didn't when I first saw it, but... uh. Well, it's easy to miss the subtext if you're younger. Yeah, yeah. When I first saw this movie, I wasn't thinking Reagan era. I was thinking, get out of that house. You know, <laughs> that's you know, that's all I was thinking. And back then, that was enough for me. I'm like, you know, this is yeah. this is very effective. And then over the years, recognizing what those the brother sisterish characters in that house represent compared to the you know the poor people and that they're you know they're buying up their land and stuff uh, and whatever's going on in that house. Uh, something real unique about uh, how people get together, and there's this incestuous capitalism going on. It's ugh, yeah, incestuous I, I like capitalism. The name of yeah. my new record. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing but folk songs <laughs> about Highlander Two, the quickening, the quickening. The quickening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, how excited were you from how Highlander Two was coming out? Come on. Not at, all. Not at all. Really? Okay. Didn't care. Um, no, I, I can't say I was excited either, but the, the prospect that the the new one Schomburg Place theaters were opening by That's my house, yep. you know, this this was one of the movies they were advertising is coming soon to the grand reop- to the grand opening of that theater complex. I'm just like, I think I'm going to go see Highlander 2. I, the high, first Highlander movie is kind of goofy and ridiculous. I think I want to go see Highlander 2. There can only I, be one well, Highlander. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there should have been only one, because um, mm-hmm. Highlander, Highlander two, the, the quickening is is garbage. <laughs> I mean, it is just it is is. I mean, and the director's cut doesn't help it no. any. Oh, um, God. It, I mean, it it fills in a couple blanks, but um, no, this. Is, I mean, <sighs> you go into Highlander two and you realize that all of the immortals from the first movie are aliens. That's that's the moment you walk out. That should be the moment you walk out. And everybody in it looks like Tommy Wiseau. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. My impression of it when I last watched it. Yeah. Um, And then one of the biggest hits of the year, the first and oh, maybe not the last uh, movie animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture, uh, Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um. A movie that I think holds up uh, pretty well. Um, I was never like it was never like top ten Disney for me. I know for a lot of people it was. I mean, I, you couldn't get away from it though. I mean, like, after mm-hmm. this movie came out, you, it was just everywhere. And then when you're working at a video store, my God, it just kept going and going and going. So it was a movie that I committed to memory, even though I didn't really want to. But um, but watching it now, like after not having seen it for you know good couple decades uh i I mean just the strong the songwriting is is still really strong and the animation is still fantastic um and uh yeah no this was uh this was a a a big deal at the time and um it kind of continues where little mermaid left off and there was like a little bit of a slump there with rescuers down under but from here on out Mm. like he's gonna be on track to create hit after hit after hit after hit and um yeah, and you can see why when you watch it. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing that I keep coming back to when I revisit this movie is just how strong the songwriting is. I mean, this oh, is... Sure. This is... I mean, and, and I think I really realized that when they did the live-action remake, which I don't hate uh, the way some people do. Oh, interesting. Uh, but again, I think it's because of the strength of the songwriting. And, I mean, I think it's one of the... It might be the best, I think of all of the Disney musicals to come out of this era, just, just in terms of pure classical songwriting. Mm. I mean, every song in that movie, uh, I, I think is registers. I think every song in that movie is pretty stellar. Earworms. Um, they're all, they all stick one, with you without question, without yeah. question. Um, and uh, again, the, 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 some of the new techniques and the animation that they, they had in that movie, obviously that ballroom sequence, uh, was everywhere at the time and is still considered one of the you know, biggest moments in animation. Um, the, the voice, it's, it's funny. The, I mean, it's just, it's such a classic piece of work, uh, from Disney. I mean, I mean, Little Mermaid was just a couple years earlier. Uh, I thought that this was even stronger. Uh, yeah, I think it's one of the very best movies of the year. Yeah, I like it I too. Yeah, I think I, I think I lean more towards Little Mermaid, but this is still, yeah, mm. excellent, excellent stuff. Um, and then Scorsese put out <laughs> one of his most uh, <laughs> divisive movies, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was the only. T- I think it was the only major disagreement Nick and I had on the Scorsese episode that we did. What's your connection with this fellow? I was his lawyer. Well, it's a sacrifice on that, right? And what was he in prison for? No, really. What, what did you do? Have you been following him? It's a small town. Every way you turn, I guess we're going to run into each other. <laughs> Dad, you should have just punched him out. Yeah, you know how to fight, Barry. You do that for a living. This guy, uh, he threatened you? He's clever. So that the law can't touch him. Do you have a daughter around 16? It, it feels more like a Brian De Palma movie in you know in its tone than it does mm-hmm. a Daisy movie. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of people have a problem with that. Um, not saying that's Nick's problem, obviously, but um, but it's it's it is it is one of Scorsese's craziest movies uh, in terms of how it's executed and how it's presented and how it's acted and. Um, yeah, I uh, I don't I'm I'm not sure if I, I I certainly don't hate it and I certainly don't love it. I'm kind of in the middle on it. Yeah, um, there's a lot of things I like about it, but then there's some things that just kind of is. This is also the time of in 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 film where everybody like a, a, a lot of filmmakers felt they had to make their movies over two hours to sort of like I don't know make them more. Uh, I don't know what, what what the word is, but prestigious or something. I don't know where it's like, no, you could have ended it 20 minutes earlier. I think that's how oh, I for sure. the movie. It's like, did not have to be as long as it was. Um, yeah, I'm a big defender of this movie. I, I, I think it's just great because I think the, you know, when you compare sort of Scorsese's view of the family unit or, uh, you know, upper class or middle class suburban life being, uh, tested. Uh, I'll take Scorsese over David Lynch any day of the week. 
And I, I think that's what he's really going for here. He's 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 working with a a classic thriller. You know, he's obviously remaking Cape Fear, uh, so he's very well versed. You know, as you know, in genre, even though he hasn't really made a whole lot of genre type movies. Uh, so he was giving us his version of the same way that I think later on you would see like, you know, Tarantino do his version of this genre, this genre. And I think this was sort of Scorsese's uh, time at the plate to give us a, a story of a, of a, of a, you know, we heard a lot of this time. This was the, you know, the Bush presidency of, you know, um, uh, you know, f- the family unit, you know, family, you know, th- all those things that you would hear about family values and stuff. And here you have, you know, very early on, the, the family is presented as, you know, they seem very happy. They're obviously very well off. Things look pretty good. But then you start to just sort of poke under the surface and you realize there's an affair that's still hanging out there. The daughter is coming into herself, you know, as a sexual being and stuff. I mean, very few filmmakers can get away and some people probably don't think he did, but I think can get away with that scene between De Niro and Juliet Lewis in the school. I mean, that you want to talk about walking a, a tight, tight rope of floss. That <laughs> Scorsese pulling off that sequence is one of the creepiest, scariest scenes uh, that I, I think I had probably seen all year. Uh, and the and the film and the film just can, keeps building towards these highs of the genre and you know the Joe Don Baker in the house and the Nero underneath the car following them to to the lake uh and all these things and Nolte slipping on the blood and just the, all this the whole scene on the boathouse and whatnot uh I think Scorsese is is as having fun here while doing a a purely Scorsese version of a genre movie yeah, uh, yeah I, I think I think this movie is pretty terrific Eric, do you mind if I put my arm around you? Um, no, I no, I don't mind. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's really good. That was creepier than the De Niro Lewis scene right there. Yeah, that was actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm a fan. I like. I, I'm a fan of most of Scorsese for sure, and this was definitely a surprise, and certainly was for the time. And I think. You know, when I rented it, I was certainly not prepared for how crazy it it, it ended up being. And in terms of like, you know, there's a, <laughs> the scene in the theater where he's watching <laughs> Problem Child and right. smoking a cigar, and I'm like, all right, I'm on board for whatever craziness this is all about. And it just gets it gets more and more amped up, and I can see the argument that. You know, it's it turns into a little bit of a Friday the Thirteenth slasher towards the end or whatever that he you know he keeps coming back. But I don't know. I mean, De Niro De Niro carries this thing. Uh, Juliet Lewis, I think she was nominated, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Yeah. So was De Niro. So entertaining on that level, and uh, certainly more interesting with the points you you brought up, Eric. And I I think I. <laughs> I think it's just uh, it's it's crazy too because I now associate Cape Fear with my favorite episode of The Simpsons too, which is the Cape Fear parody. I'm not as well versed in The Simpsons as oh, okay. some people, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, I vaguely remember that. But yeah, um, what movie that I think holds up is just 
perfectly funny, entertaining comedy uh, that would start a trend this this decade is uh, The Addams Family. I still think it's a funny movie, I, and I still really like the art direction in it. Uh, this oh, is yeah. Fun, um, and, uh, but it would start a trend this summer, or this year, this decade <laughs> of um, you know movies based on TV shows, because this was such an enormous hit. But uh, watching Angelica Houston and Raul Julia together, mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, Christopher Lloyd, very funny. Um, just a lot of a lot of clever stuff in it. The plot is pretty dumb, but uh, but the I, I I I dig the energy of this movie. I do too. Um, yeah, go ahead, Jim. I was just gonna say I think uh, I think the script for the sequel is funnier than the yeah. Original. I like the sequel more. Yeah, yeah, but I. I agree. I think, you know, in terms of somebody trying to capture that sort of Tim Burton energy mixed with uh, a TV show adaptation. And I think that, yeah, the the key to this is the, the casting here with Raul Julia and Angelica Houston, just pitch perfect in these roles. And, and also was it the first introduction to Christina Ricci at the time? Mermaids. Oh, that's yeah, right. Four. We had mermaids. Correct. Yeah. But, but I think she made a much bigger impression here than certainly. In that. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think, I think the original is very entertaining. Um, perfectly cast without question. Uh, right. Up and down Christopher Lloyd, every, everyone perfectly cast in this movie. Uh, I just wish they had a better screenplay. Uh, I, I don't think this one is, uh, particularly funny. Um, the, the, the screenplay follows a lot of the same, it falls in a lot of the same holes that a lot of these TV movies uh, or t- television adaptations get into. Um, not really trusting what's there sometimes, and I think sometimes overcompensating for its weirdness. Uh, I, I, the Adams Family Values, on the other hand, I think is great. Oh yeah, I, I think that movie has the screenplay and and still has the cast, and then you add Joan Cusack into the mix. Uh, we'll talk Ooh, about that in, in a couple of years, but. Uh, but the yeah, I, I think it's 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 fine. I I, I think it's like a, it was a two and a half star movie when I when I saw it. Um, it's got a hammer song on it, doesn't it? Isn't that the Ugh, he does, yeah. Yeah. oh no, yeah, yeah. hammer song. Um, yeah, so I, just, I, I I walked out of this movie disappointed, and uh, I, I'd much rather watch the sequel. I won't argue that. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh. One of my favorite Kishlovsky films is Double here. Life of Veronique. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Doppelganger, oh. kind of a... Eh, it's hard to define. Oh, very much so. You know, uh, like like a lot of his work, a little bit of an enigma, mm-hmm. but one that I think is gorgeous and... I, his, his films are so shot... Are, so, blah, are shot so beautifully... That I, I can't, I can't look away. Like there, I, I get hypnotized when watching mm-hmm. his work. Yeah, um, and uh, the lead in this is, is is really strong and also makes an impression. Years, uh, a few years down the road, with uh, Red. Well, that's where she made an impression on me first, and then I went back and rented this after I saw Red and became a huge fan of Irene Jacob. 
and uh, this movie did not disappoint. <laughs> uh, but uh, but no, she's luminous in this movie, and it's yeah. a phenomenal performance. And um, it does take you a while to figure out what's going on, and then by the end, you're still not quite sure. And then even with repeat viewings, you're not you know there's there's uh, some ambiguity there. But um, but it is it is definitely the work of that director, and uh, it's 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 a beautiful vision uh you know the, I, I think i think Koslovsky, you know this is i think he's in peak form during this era like like, oh, like his, God, later, yeah. his later films were like that was the, were his best not a lot of directors have that uh can lay that claim but uh but this is yeah no this is a fascinating movie uh yeah i haven't seen it yeah. <laughs> this is yeah this is another uh, gap on on my list, and uh, I didn't get a chance to see this one. Yeah, I bet you've seen My Girl. I have seen My Girl. Yay! And, yeah, and can I tell you? I, I mean, I think that this is a remarkable uh, family film. Um, I, I think that you know, a lot, there are a lot of movies, animated and live action, that are afraid to touch the subject of death, and this movie is all about that. This mm-hmm. movie is all about, and it does so in a comical way a lot of times, but it's always there. I mean, the the, fam, the you know Dan Aykroyd works in a is a funeral parlor, and his daughter, played by the, the first uh, time we we saw Anna Klumsky, um, the, you know their mother, her mother has died, and she's constantly around death and whatnot, and there are jokes to be made and stuff like that, but. Um, you know, it's, it's a it's a movie that confronts it head on, and I I I I'm, admittedly I was not prepared with the first time I saw this movie no. for the emotional reaction I was going to have. It's so weird. It. This came out the same year as Man in the Moon. Yeah, and I I, I actually think that this is a better movie than Man in the Moon. I think Man in the Moon is sort it's of a close. very classical. I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to disparage Man in the Moon in any way, uh, but I think that's sort of a more classical melodrama. And I think this movie tackles subject matter in, in a far more original way uh, with, again, with a lot of humor uh, and a lot of sweetness. Uh, the, the relate, the friendship between Anna Klumsky and Macaulay Culkin is so key to this story. I mean, everyone, unfortunately sort of know what was going to happen when they walked into this movie because it was a bit of a controversy because home alone was such a big hit the year before that some people wanted parents to be prepared what they were going to be taking their children to see if they went to to see this movie just wait for the good son folks well yeah um but i still remember the first time that i saw this movie uh sitting on the couch in my living room and we, we get to that scene we get to that that uh, funeral scene where Anna Klumsky walks into the room oh. and she starts oh. doing her speech, and I'm I'm telling you, there's a, there's a shot to the person in the casket and the person's face and what has happened to it, and I I swear to God I lost it, I absolutely lost it. The the, the build up to that entire scene really struck a nerve with me. And, uh, yeah, I, I actually think this is one of the best movies of the year. I really think that this is a real strong film about uh, a family film about that particular subject matter. You don't get a lot of them. And I think this is one of the great ones. And another great coming of age film. 
too. Yes, for Another sure. Great, and a first kiss on the great first kiss that, scene. Th- the first kiss in this is pretty much completely accurate to my first kiss <laughs> with the with with the girl next door, literally, which is crazy. But when I saw this movie, it's like, oh wow, it's like they filmed my childhood. Uh, and but I again, like you, like you, I was definitely not prepared for where it went. And I think it's completely successful. Yeah, I, I always liked this movie. Um, the only you know criticism I have of it is I I wish the score wasn't quite so overbearing towards mm-hmm. the end. You know, I think it kind of lays it on a little bit thick. But um, one thing that I always take away from this movie is just how damn good Dan Aykroyd is in this in this. That's thing. true. Uh, a yeah, really great. beautiful performance from him uh, that doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, but, uh, you, you really just kind of feel the, you know, the, the, the weight of the grief that he's been dealing with. And then, uh, you know, he seems like the right guy to have the <laughs> profession that he has. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's one of the things that always moves me the most about this film is, is his performance. But, uh, no, I agree. Everything, everything else. I, 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 I agree with a, a lot of what you said about it. It's, it's, it's a really good movie. Yeah, and I think Anna Klumsky uh, showed up at a Chicago film critics. Pre- it was, it's got to be the first one I ever went to. My, I don't know if I, I, I learned about it through Nick or whatever, but yeah, I think Harold Ramis was there that year receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award. It's really blurry. I don't know why I can't have like a vivid memory of this, but I know it was at Park West, and Anna Klumsky was one of the presenters. I was like, oh, that's cool. Hmm. Yeah. My mommy and daddy did that? Ew, gross. On Friendship. I always surround myself with people who I find intellectually stimulating. And the pursuit of happiness. Have you ever kissed anyone? No. My girl. Better not tell anyone. Better not either. Rated PG. Well, he didn't make Hearts of Darkness. Hearts of Darkness is about him making Apocalypse Now. Um, wow. And uh, one of the great, great movies about filmmaking ever made uh this was uh francis ford coppola's wife eleanor made uh, has shot some documentary footage of uh of the coppolas while they while they were in uh while they were making up apocalypse now which of course you know was a production of that that uh, oh everything went smoothly you know yeah (laughs) you could say that um and this movie was right there for it, and uh, all the taped conversations that she had with him, or that he was having with other people, and uh, and put together an astonishing documentary about um, a filmmaker's apocalypse and uh, <laughs> internal struggles of making apocalypse. Now everybody's internal struggle with making it. Um, it is endlessly rewatchable. Uh, I just there's so many like funny moments that you just kind of like go oh my god you know just like he really had Dennis Hopper and and Marlon Brando on the same set how did he not lose his mind during that hey where are the helicopters going (laughs) (laughs) they're going to fight a war sir oh geez and just and then there's the typhoon and Martin Sheen having a heart attack and it's like oh my god um an amazing movie, absolutely one of my very favorite movies of this year. I I've, I I go back to it almost yearly. Uh, it's so great. It is. 
it is truly remarkable. I think it was one of the first making of documentaries I'd seen because my dad's favorite movie was Apocalypse Now. Uh, I wish we had t- I wish we had conversations about it more, but obviously, uh, you know, the, y- you you go through life and have different conversations, but we never really necessarily sat down and talk about just all the crazy shit that went down. Uh, <laughs> And you and you are exposed to it here, and a lot of it's very memorable and crazy. Uh, yeah, I, it's one of my one, might be one of my favorite documentaries ever, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I had to do the uh, Apocalypse Now presentation at Elk Grove, I didn't watch Apocalypse Now. I watched Hearts of Darkness. Yeah, and um, I, mean, I, I know you're not supposed to be laughing at Martin Sheen's breakdown in that oh. hotel room, but that has some of the most endlessly. <laughs> just listenable moments ever. God damn it. Well, especially if you're, if you're like us and you listen to Jonathan Brandmeier who always took those clips out of context and made him sound really funny. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I can't. It's so mean. It's so wrong. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it's pretty much became like the standard for when you would have, and I mean, I don't think there's a lot of films as good as this there have been some really terrific uh making of films the documentaries or even things that you saw on um uh blu-rays or you know laserdiscs and stuff over the years but you know to have this as a release as a standalone feature uh there there are few stories that you know that rank up there with um the the what went into this movie and you know i think you know the jaw the story of jaws is right up there with that thing but you know fact that you know this is like you know like these tapes and these private tapes that coppola was doing and he's saying like i don't have an ending for my movie and he's shirtless and he's you know he's sometimes drunk and stuff and he, he doesn't like i don't know what i'm gonna do i don't i got nothing i don't know what this movie's about i don't know if i'm gonna make it through this um yeah it's just it's 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 amazing that apocalypse now became the movie it ultimately did uh, and it's still, I mean, he, it's, he's still re-editing that damn movie. I mean, it's, it's still, it goes to show you that, uh, you know, that, I don't know, just the, the, the commitment to that movie and everything that he put into it, that he could create, like, three different versions of it, and it's, they all have merit. They all have merit. So it's it, it's 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 a remarkable... Uh, except for the French plantation sequence. Well, I, I said the movie as a whole have merit. <laughs> uh, that, that scene is... That scene puts me to sleep at Ebertfest, for God's sakes. I mean, that's... Oh, okay, here's this. All right, all right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know. Recently, when I, I purchased... Because I, I don't... I didn't... I lost my copy of this movie, but um, I recently went to Best Buy and purchased the 4K of Apocalypse Now, but really, I was purchasing Hearts of Darkness, and Apocalypse Now was the bonus feature. That's kind of... Uh. I go. love. Don't, don't get me wrong. I like Apocalypse Now. Sure. But right. I. I didn't. I wouldn't. I. I watch Hearts of Darkness more. <laughs> of course you do. I'm 
yeah, there's a Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is. Yeah, it's okay. Especially coming off the last one. Oh, yeah. Five. Yeah. This one, Star Trek Six, uh, much, much better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's fun. <laughs> Got nothing Chris, else to- uh, the late, great Christopher Plummer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, pretty much one of the, you know, we talk about Dead Again. This is maybe the easiest mystery to figure out <laughs> of the year. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, it's, seriously, it's like you, you could, I mean, they might as well just have the, ha- the hat that says, oh, yeah, it's me. Yeah, I'm involved in the conspiracy. We know exactly who's involved pretty much in this entire movie. Um, so it's not, you know, the mystery element is, isn't very good, but the cast is having fun. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a step up from part five. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, and then you got Steven Spielberg's hook. And um, this is kind of a, uh, this is, Spielberg in one of his down periods. Uh, his last movie was Always, was, which wasn't a big hit. And uh, this was designed to be a big hit, um, but it just didn't quite get there. It didn't meet the expectations. Um, still grossed a little over $100 million. That's the sixth, sixth highest grossing movie of the year. Is it? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so it, it did well. Just critically, it did not do particularly well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there's things about this movie that I like. It's I I still kind of lower. It's still kind of lower tier Spielberg for me. Um, I think the pacing is what I, my biggest problem with it, and I think a lot of that has to do with all the scenes with Dustin Hoffman. Um, I mean, yeah. the cast in this thing is like the biggest cast I think, like of a listers that I think Spielberg had had at uh, uh, up till this time. Like he, he, you know, he, his movies were hugely successful, um, and with the exception of maybe Harrison Ford and Raiders, um, you know, he wasn't like always getting like big A list actors right. uh, in them. And um, but here you got you got Robin Williams, you got Dustin Hoffman and Julia Roberts all in the same film. Like that's a lot of pay, big paychecks going out. Uh, every week so but it's like and he's trying to get the most out of Hoffman while he has him and I and it just like every scene with him I think just bogs the movie down it's kind of a one note performance and um, it just I I think that's kind of where the movie I think that's the weakest part of the movie is just the pace of it Um, but uh, it's an interesting piece of like parental wish fulfillment, you know, to always be seen as a hero and eternally young to your kids, which has got to be like one of the hardest things for a parent to have to do, you know, if, if, if you're thinking about that. Um, so, and but there's also just like some beautiful cinematic craft moves that Spielberg has in this movie that still get me like I'm you know that still make me kind of a softie for his work even when it's not that great it's like oh man that's a beautiful shot oh god that's a beautiful moment you know <laughs> and it's got a great score from Williams of course, of course. Um, but uh, you know it's it's just it's just something you know I, and it's the, the production value is top notch it is a phenomenal movie to look at but it's just like it's just the pacing is my biggest problem with this movie yeah, I don't remember the the pacing being my issue with the movie. Uh, I remember I, I liked the movie a lot more when I first saw it than I do now. Um, I wish that that there it, he concentrated more on those themes that you talked about. 
Colin. And I think that there, I think there's quite a bit of that in there. I think that when the movie kind of quiets down and he like, I mean, I, I, I really like the early stuff before they get to Neverland. I like all, like all of those scenes, uh, the, the, the pre Neverland stuff. And I like that whole sequence where he discovers the reason why he wanted to leave Neverland. Uh, I think that's a really beautiful scene that interaction he has with, with Tinkerbell that leads to, his rediscovery of flight, which I think is a really beautiful moment. Um, and uh, I, my always my biggest problem with the movie is that it, it felt like we were on a set too often. And I, I think the movie that I know Neverland, you know, it's it, in, in Peter Pan, it's always kind of confined to a couple spaces, but it seems like Spielberg would have taken an opportunity to really expand upon the concept of Neverland and it just seemed like we were on a backlot set on the lost boy stuff. And we were stuck on that pirate ship and stuff like that. And there just didn't seem to be any motion in those sequences. So when the, you know, the camera does finally get to move in these other sequences, uh, I think the movie does find, you know, come to life. And uh, again, the battle between captain hook and Peter Pan for the soul of his child and stuff like that. Uh, I, I, th- I think is kind of interesting as well. I don't. I'm not as down on Hoffman's performance as you are. I think Hoffman's having fun with He's it. He's having fun. I just there's too much of him. Um, maybe, mm. maybe. I, I don't know. I just I always I always liked that liked his work in the movie. So it didn't bother that stuff didn't bother me as much. Uh, I just wanted it to to be a little bit more expansive. Like I want more of Hoff or Williams flying through Neverland, you know, mm. than him stuck with the lost boys and that, that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's lower tier Spielberg, but I still have a soft spot for it as just about any Spielberg movie. Yeah. I still own the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw it once. Didn't care for it and have nothing to say. Okay. <laughs> and what right. good are you then? I know, right? <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut, 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 shut up. Shut up. Bugsy's very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah. enjoy it. It's very entertaining. Uh, you got great ensemble again. That really that really helps things along, and certainly, you know that there's an inevitable downfall of this character, uh, and you're just sort of watching him self destruct more or less. But um, also, it's it's just a really interesting uh, portrayal of the inception of Vegas and what it ultimately became. Mm-hmm. That's obviously, I'm sure you're a fan of that. Yeah, <laughs> Eric. I, am. I am very much so. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's it's a very good movie. I I I wouldn't put it up like as a this like the the top five Academy Award winning best pictures or anything, but I certainly enjoy it. Yeah, and it's, and it's a lot. It's the performances in the script, and I mean, it's it's one of those. I mean, the movie got like ten Oscar nominations, <clears throat> and you can see why. I mean, there's I mean between the performances and the uh, the look of the film mm-hmm. and the screenplay, which is there's a lot going on in that screenplay. Uh, this, I mean, 1981 was a very good year for movies of, that had something to portray about Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, you had Bugsy, Guilty by Suspicion, The Rocketeer, you know, Hearts of Darkness, even um, so many movies that uh, Barton Fink we mentioned. Uh, so, th- th- and I think this is another one of those because I think the 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 early stuff, uh, you know, that where Bugsy gets up. Yeah, I shouldn't be calling him Bugsy. I should call, be calling oh, him. Yeah. Ben. I'm sorry. I should be calling him Ben. 
uh, when Ben is sort of obsessed with Hollywood and the the scenes with Annette Benning. You want to talk about someone robbed of an Oscar nomination? Annette Benning mm. in this movie not getting one of those ten nominations uh, is was really kind of a crime because the scenes between them are great, and obviously this is where they met and they're still together today. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that down the stretch, it, I mean, it goes on a little bit too long, and I think down the stretch when he gets sort of his downfall, um, it becomes a little less interesting. Uh, but the buildup, all that stuff into Vegas and the, the, the his psyche and the, all the crazy stuff he was, you know, he wanted to assassinate Mussolini and all these weird schemes that he was coming up with, um, I, I think are very interesting. Beatty and Benning are, and Keitel and Kingsley, uh, this, this is this is the real mobsters, people. Forget that Christian Slater garbage. <laughs> what, a, what a tagline! This is the could you? Someone's had to have said that, right? This is yeah. the real mobsters. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, no, but it's 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 quite a good movie. Yeah, I I remember I watched it uh, a couple months ago, and I didn't remember like what happened. Like I didn't, I saw this thing once in the theater thirty years ago. I haven't seen it since, and uh, so it was all fresh to me again. And I was like, man, this this scrap, this script just crackles. It's like fantastic, Uh, and so great to see Beatty in a role that he can really sink his teeth into. I mean, the last thing he did before this was Dick Tracy, which is a movie that I really like, but he played the least interesting character in that film um, or one of the least interesting, but, uh, but uh, here, I think he's just, uh, you know, d- doing a great job, especially love watching the, um, the little clip reels that play on the projector behind him of him, like <laughs> trying to act and doing a really bad job, like doing these script readings. Cause he's thinking about acting and he's doing terribly at it. Like that's so much fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think this is, this is a terrific movie. Yeah. And that's that, that final death scene. <laughs> My yeah. mom was like, why did they shoot him so many times? <laughs> like, they got to make sure he's dead. Yep. Yep. And uh, then we have. Oh, oh sorry. Go ahead. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was just gonna say, um, I'm doing a Tony Scott episode finally in June, and so I'm waiting on my rewatch f- for the Last Boy Scout. Uh, I haven't seen it since I, I rented it a long time ago, so it's not quite as fresh as I would like. Uh, I'm quite the fan of this movie. A lot of people are. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, it's Shane Black script. Uh, right, right. And again, it's. Anyone who's seen a sh- one Shane Black script, you've seen them all, pretty much, pretty much. And there, are, I know there are degrees to what, the way people like a lot of these movies, but it's always two two guys solving some sort of conspiracy plot. That's what it always comes down to, or or, or at least Gina Davis and one of them. But um, but but this, I mean, this movie is you talk about like crackling scripts. This was uh, you know, I mean, he, Long Kiss Goodnight is the one where Shane Black really cashed in, but uh, th- this one. I uh, was very sought after too, and it's. I mean, the, the the screenplay. The what? I mean, this is a pretty standard movie with a screenplay that has a lot of great one-liners in it. And you know, this, it's funny that I joked earlier about Bruce Willis uh, being sleepy nowadays and not really caring. And here he's playing a character, a character that fits that mold. That is a character that doesn't want to care anymore uh but yet is in inside is a good guy and knows you know what the right thing to do is but it's gotten him nowhere uh so and then you know he gets into this really crazy plot involving sports gambling with a 
Damon Wayans, a former quarterback of all these fictitious teams. Um, and is uh, Tony Scott is it's an incredibly violent film. It's crazy violent at times. The opening scene, for God's sakes, is a stunner of like, what the hell just happened? And uh, and ends with a henchman getting a comeuppance that is just like, oh my god, like <laughs> you know, talk about overkill. Um, but again, like the way Bruce Willis talks talks his way out of certain situations are, is really funny. Uh, again, the the relationship between these these two guys, I, I think the, the it, it works. I, it it all it always works for me. It's it's fast paced. It's funny. Uh, it's it's vulgar. It's profane. It's violent. Uh, yeah, I'm down with it. All right, I'm, I'm okay. Exci- I'm excited to watch it again. Um, and then we got uh, Father of the Bride, one of the biggest comedy hits of this year. Uh, Steve Martin and Diane Keaton. And a very funny Martin short as the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> um, funny that uh, my girlfriend and I watched this on uh, January 6th, <laughs> the day of the Capitol was under attack. Um, <laughs> because we just like, we were, we were like glued to the TV all day and we're just like, let's put on something fun and frivolous and, you know something we don't have to think about and that's what we put on and uh it is a very fun and frivolous movie but it's funny that the bride wants to have her wedding on january 6th which that's uh, weird wow and i'm wondering like how many other couples out there uh like who love this movie are like we're gonna have it on january 6th because like father of the bride we're big fans of that movie and we want to have it and i'm wondering if if any weddings took place on january 6th this year and how did that go you know (laughs) Why? Why was it January? Did, what did they have a thing about the election that they really just really I mean, like to tap into? I mean, no. I mean, we looked back at the movie like every time that we we noted like when that was mentioned, and we went back and and looked to see like is there did we miss something like a significance? And there really wasn't anything explained about it. Hmm. Um, That's funny. Very random. That yeah. Is, yeah. Except that maybe it's like a cheaper wedding season, which it is. <laughs> um, but, I, li- uh, I like this movie. I really do. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I'm not so much. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't hate it. I just. I just. I felt that the movie was like kind of too cute and nice, and not that I, I was. I went <laughs> in expecting some sort of hard edge. I just didn't think the cute and nice was very funny. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like I mean, the original is not. I mean, as a classic of sorts, but it's not a great movie, and. You know, I mean, I love Steve Martin, and it's just I, I, I just remember not laughing, with the exception of the Martin short scenes. I remember not laughing a lot, and yeah, I mean, it's going for very easy sentiment, and yeah. I'm not a father, so I, you know, I don't have that particular attachment to you know. But it's again, it's it's nice, you know, it's fine. Yeah, uh, I just I I remember leaving the theater with my friends after seeing that and I'm just like, yeah, it's okay. It's actually, I mean, I think Martin is very good in this film and just like when he's not talking, he's just reacting and his facial expressions are like actually quite brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and as most, a lot of the humor comes from that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, and as far as like, you know, uh, you know, the wedding itself, it's like one of the most poorly planned weddings I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> and, you know, it's like five, the head count is 572 people and you want to have it at your home. Yeah. Like, what? This yeah. is going to be 
That's this right. is going to be a fire festival of weddings. Um, <laughs> you better rethink this. Uh, <laughs> and also, it's pure. I mean, it, people have criticized James L. Brooks for doing movies about like up, upper class white people. No one does that more than Nancy Myers. Oh yeah, and yeah, they, I mean, keep talking, they keep talking about how not rich they are, but yet he's driving an Aston Martin. Yes, and they have like a beautiful two-story house, right. and, and and like I'm supposed to be. I mean, like the, like the funniest scene in the movie, other than Martin Short, is the supermarket scene for me, oh, and yeah. that, and that's something you can relate to. Mm-hmm. So, like I'm not paying for these extra buns that I don't need because <laughs> I just want to buy eight hot dogs. Um, but I'm just like, but you can afford to buy that entire aisle, dude. I mean, it's just like I'm not. I, it's hard for me economically to be that you know, worried about you planning this horrifically expensive wedding when you could probably afford it, mm-hmm. you know, but the, that also kind of turned me off. Yeah. So a lot of hot dog references from you this episode, Eric. I know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hot dogs are good. They are. Uh, I didn't get around to rewatching the Prince of Tides. Uh, mm-hmm. It's you know it's got it's okay. I mean it's it's the the it's a good showcase for Nolte. Yeah, he's, that's what I remember. It's for Nolte. Yeah, yeah he's excellent in the film. George Carlin is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. Gay friend, which is interesting. Yep. Huh. Um, the biggest problem is that it should have ended at like the hundred and five minute mark, uh, where he makes he has this realization in her office, uh, Barbara Streisand's office. Um, but the movie goes on for another 25 minutes to sort of force them into this romantic yes. ending and it is forced. I got in by it. Um, sure. Yeah. But, uh, it, uh, it, it did go on to be nominated for best picture and a bunch of other nominees. Uh, I, I remember, I certainly remember this, that moment where he, mm. that, that's, that's really dark. That's really heavy stuff where he remembers, his uh yeah, what happened yeah what happened Ooh. yeah and then his reaction to that i mean nolte was it considered in many ways to be the front runner for the oscar that mm. year and then hopkins you know silence of the lambs came back with a vengeance and that became the you know again colin was right that he should have been nominated for supporting actor and nolte would have won the oscar that year uh and, uh, and i wouldn't necessarily i don't think i would have objected to it because i think he's the you know the the soul of this movie and he's very good and he's he's charming when he needs to be he's angry when he needs to be and very vulnerable when he needs to be i mean i think that breakdown in, in her office i i feel that i i really i, I think that's a great moment yeah uh, but colin's absolutely right that all of a sudden like them having a romantic relationship i'm just like no no like, no no that, no don't crossing do boundaries that. again yes yeah like we, we don't need this you know so <laughs> You know, uh, I, I I watched for the first time, believe it or not, uh, fried green tomatoes with my aunt and my mom on Christmas Day. Mm. And you know what? I kind of like it. I do too, actually. Yeah. Mrs. Cleo Threadgood. Actually, everybody calls me Minnie. <laughs> the name Itchy Threadgood ring a bell? Um, no, ma'am. I don't think so. I guess to understand Itchy, you'd have to start way back with a brother. Yeah, I mean, it's got like, I mean, it, it, it has a flashback structure that I is not like, I, yeah. I don't really like because she could have told this story in one day instead of over the course of several months. But um, 
but other than that, uh, I, I actually like this movie too. And I mean, it's in no small part due to Mary, uh, Mary Stuart Masterson. <laughs> I had to figure out which three, you know, which Mary it was. <laughs> um, Mary Elizabeth Masterson. No, Mary Conchita. No, uh, okay. Mary Stuart Masterson. I, I miss Mary Stuart oh. Masterson. She's, yeah, I do. she's really great. Yeah. I don't like it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I just, I never know. Right. I'm going to bake you a pie, Eric. <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay. okay. Speaking of it? speaking of pie, naked lunch. Oh wait, we're going to skip Grand Canyon. <laughs> oh wait, you're right. That's first. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, well, um, hmm. I can't wait for the woke think pieces. This is going to get this year. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, let's. We got a lot of problems in this world, but let's focus on how it affects the white yuppie. Um, That's (laughs) so. A lot of things in this movie don't quite hold up or play well today. But I, you know, at the time, I really liked this movie. Um, Yeah, it was like Crash before. Before yeah. crash, yeah, yeah, yeah. pre crash. Um, I noticed it did get uh, in the credits. It says a special thanks to Walter Hill, and I'm wondering if he was like a consultant on all the gang stuff in the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> how should I film this, Walter? I don't really. I'm a little out of my element. Maybe uh, he shot the action scene that Steve Martin watches. Oh yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I told you not to move. Um, <laughs> Where's the shot? Where's the shot? Yeah. <laughs> um, but a lot of this movie now, I it, some of it's pretty insufferable. Like Steve Martin's character, um, he he talks like he's he's gearing up to become the next uh, Keith Raniere. Um, just the if you don't remember from the uh, the HBO The Vow that that whole thing. Oh, okay. Oh, I did not see that. Yeah, so that okay. just woof, did fly by. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Um, but the cult leader, uh, yeah, the okay. Nexium cult leader. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right, okay. That's what his character, that's what Steve Martin's character sounds like. And I'm just kind of like, ugh, dude, you need to shut up. Um, as much as I like Steve Martin, uh, this this character, I, I couldn't stand him. Everybody's uh, just spelling out the themes yeah. of the movie. And yet I still I still like the scenes between Klein and Danny Glover. Like I just do. Oh, sure. I, I, I think there's I, I think they're they're really terrific together. But um but it's a it's a very problematic movie now. I I don't think it's aged well. No. It has not. Yeah. <laughs> it really has not. I, you were not alone when that movie came out that a lot of people liked that movie very much. Uh it seemed like it was speaking some grander truths, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to have all the characters literally visit the Grand Canyon at the end of the movie. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> just, the, I, I lost track of how many times characters say, the Grand Canyon. You got to go visit the Grand Canyon. Oh, did yeah. I mention the Grand Canyon? You just look over the edge and you realize how small us people really are. Ugh. Oh, someone has been there. As someone who's been there, he's not wrong. Well, I don't, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't doubt it. You've been there, so. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 anything but subtle. That's for oh, sure. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. But and but then there's the confounding 
movie from David Cronenberg uh, based on William Burroughs. Well, not really, not quite based on William Burroughs. Because we can't make a movie out of William Burroughs' book, but Naked Lunch. Uh, when I said Barton Fink was not the weirdest movie of the year involving uh, Judy Davis hanging out with a writer, it's because Naked Lunch came out the same year. <laughs> uh, wow, yes. her that's an interesting taste. Um, we got her some interesting work anyway. This is a crazy, creepy movie. Um, that's so good. Wow. <laughs> when I started writing Naked Lunch, people offered their opinions. Disgusting, they said. Pornographic, un American trash, unpublishable. Well, it came out in 1959, and it found an audience. Town meetings, book burnings, and an inquiry by the state Supreme Court. That book made quite a little impression. Now, 30 years later, Hollywood, in its infinite wisdom, has turned it into a movie. 30 feet tall, in living color. Cover your eyes, America. Run for your lives. You're a mock man, Bill. You're just gonna have to leave town. Tourist class, I'm afraid. Thought you were finished with doing weird stuff. I'm with David Cronenberg. No one else could have made this film. Yeah, uh, I can't. I can't. Like, I, I actually really like most of Cronenberg's films, and somehow, like. When I saw when I saw Crash, I went. I don't get it. I I actually hate Crash, and everybody else I know seems to love it. <laughs> but now, now we're talking about the other Crash. Yes, the, right. The, <laughs> just so you know, the, the, the creepy James Peter Holly Hunter car crash movie with featuring car crash fetishists. Yeah, yeah, and that. But again, like I think he was he was trying to film an unfilmable book with Crash. And for me, at least, not very successfully. However, Naked Lunch is just a weird head trip of a movie that, I, yeah, of course, he read the Burroughs book and said, nope, there's just no way I can adapt this, whatever it is. And again, it's a great movie about addiction and writing. And then crazy typewriter bugs talking to him. At certain points, he gets addicted to bug powder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I, I really what? think Peter Weller's good in this. Judy Davis, of course. Uh, I, I'm on board for this 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 version of Cronenberg weird. Yeah, I mean it's it's a deeply unsettling film. And actually, mm-hmm. I I think the casting of Peter Weller as is surrogate William Burroughs is like a masterstroke of casting. Yeah. Um, because he has that sort of monotone delivery, but yet he's still kind of like reacting to things around him with this like smirk, like what the fuck is going on? Um, and so that the audience isn't completely alienated, but at some point you're going to be alienated during this film, but uh, no less uh, hypnotized by, by a lot of it. Um, and then Roy Scheider coming in, uh, right, yeah. One of the weird, craziest reveals of a movie that I've, that I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> yeah, this this is insane. This is abs- this is the this is one of the definitions of insanity. Is this movie? Yeah, and no matter how many times I try to watch it, uh, <laughs> I knew it. 
with the same result. Yeah, I, I'm not there, guys. I just, I've never. Um, there. I, I, I honestly don't know if I've ever seen this movie in one fluid sitting. I've always had to stop it. I've come back to it. Uh, I've watched things out of order, which is weird considering that's a William Burroughs story. Maybe that's how you're supposed to watch it. Um, but yeah, I, I've never quite gotten there with this movie. I, I've tried so many times to be appreciative of its weirdness, but I've never, I've never reached that 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 height. Yeah, I don't no. think anyone can. I don't think anyone can begrudge you for that. I, I no. hope not. No, I'm sure that there are some people going yeah. like, "You just don't understand what he Cronenberg has done here." Like, I, no. I, 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 well, fine. Yeah, fine. I, I'm okay. not, don't begrudge me. I won't begrudge. No, you. no, 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 no. But I will begrudge you for some Lynch movies. If that's okay. <laughs> if that's okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so in uh, 1991, the. Uh, soundtrack for Vim Vendor's movie until the end of the world came out and Great soundtrack. I, I bought it the day it, it came out because it had a new talking head song, a new U2 song, and then uh, a new REM song. And it's like, Oh, well that's uh, the trifecta <laughs> for me right there. Like, of course I'm going to buy the soundtrack. And then, you know, I lived with it for many months before I saw the actual movie come out on video and the movie that came out in 1991 was uh, a bit of a disappointment. I mean, it was a bomb. I mean, it, it came and went really quick. But um, when I saw it on video, I was kind of like, this doesn't really live up to the soundtrack. The songs are kind of buried in the background and it just doesn't feel, it doesn't, it, it's not a movie that earned the soundtrack. But there's like interesting ideas in it and there's like, uh, there's there's something here. There's a great movie in here somewhere, but I'm just not seeing it. Um. And that's what it always was to me, was a, a, a disappointing movie with a great soundtrack. But then uh, I started hearing rumblings about this four-hour, 45-minute cut that was uh, TCM was playing. Um, our friend Peter Sobchinski was writing about it, and other people started writing about it. And then finally Criterion released it. And, um, and now I've finally seen it, and it is one of the most extraordinary films I've, films I've ever seen. Uh, the scope of it is astonishing. The uh, it's it's William William Hurt, um, you know he's a, a scientist an inventor. He's invented this sort of virtual reality type, or not virtual reality, but this like image recorder that uh, will help the blind see. And he's going around the world um, filming his his brothers and sisters and relatives so that his mom can who's blind uh, can see uh, before she dies. And she's in Australia. This is a movie that crosses, I think, five continents um, and is filmed in all five continents. I mean, well, like they really went around the world to make this film, and it's a, a futuristic science fiction film. And the things that it predicted uh, is, is quite amazing. I mean, it's by no means the first futuristic movie to predict Siri and FaceTime and GPS, which this movie does too. But then it also... Um, correctly predicted the y2k anxiety because this movie takes place in 1999 um and uh which and it also but there's that there's a chunk of the movie that almost feels like it's predicting the pandemic you know with everybody being isolated and using anything by any means necessary to entertain themselves um it predicts smartphone addiction it predicts uh, doom scrolling and um i mean it is it is astonishing what this movie um 
accomplishes in in, in this cut. Um, the only reason it's not number one on my top ten list is because the movie that came out in number in 1991 is nowhere near as good. Um, but when you watch that four hour, 45 minute cut, you get the scope of it. You get the, you get a real sense of a journey taking place all over the world. And, um, and, uh, you know, what, how vendors manage to pull that off, uh, I, I, I will never know, but, um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, you know, and, and for my money still like the best soundtrack of the year sorry commitments fans but i really do think this is my favorite soundtrack of the year and just one of the greatest soundtracks of all time um and uh so yeah i i know it's what four and a half hours or four hours long right four hours 45 minutes i think i have to watch it tonight (laughs) (laughs) i do it's like paris texas economy paris texas (laughs) it's in my top 10 favorite movies and you throw in, you know, the, the soundtrack and this concept, all the concepts that you're bringing up here. I'm just like, wh- why? Yeah. Why did I put this off? I'm, I know I have well, a lot of things going on, but it's a, it's a time suck. I mean, I mean, if you have a hard time staying up late, I wouldn't recommend watching it tonight because um, yeah. you can be up until like 1130, I think. Uh, at this point, uh, when we're recording this, I would save it. I would, I would save it and maybe make a day of it. Uh, you know, just so you can also take an intermission because you're going to want to take an intermission, but it's the, every part of the journey is worth it. In my opinion, there's talking heads. There's Lou Reed, REM, Elvis Costello, Nick cave, Patty Smith, Depeche mode, Jane Syberry, of course, you too. And apparently, uh, there's a Peter Gabriel song that's not on the soundtrack, but it's in the film. Right. Yeah, because they Warner Brothers was mad at Peter Gabriel for taking so long to make his follow-up album to So <laughs> that when uh, vendors asked if they could put the song on the soundtrack, they're like, "No, because we were, we're still waiting for an album from this guy." What do you mean he gave you a new song? <laughs> <laughs> he gave you a song? We've been waiting for no, uh, but it's, it, it is in the movie. Uh, it's the Blood of Eden. It's an early yeah. version. It's not, it doesn't have Sinead O'Connor in this version, but it's used beautifully. Ugh. Yeah, Can't wait. Yeah. yeah, I um I, I still have not seen the four hour cut, but I have been trying <laughs> for some time to see it. And um I, I, I'd seen the original movie a long time ago and I I didn't respond to it very very well back then. But when it it played on TCM, I taped it. I actually saved it to my hard drive and I, I have it <laughs> on my hard drive, and then I got the Blu-ray from Criterion, so I have that, and it is still sitting in my Criterion section waiting for me to find four hours and 45 minutes to sit down and, and watch this thing. Um, yeah, because I, mean, I mean, other than a couple of Vim Vendors movies, I think that his vision has gone a little bit south as well. So I've never jumped, leapt at the chance to see something new from Vim Vendors, because I think there's been a lot more disappointment than uh, greatness. Yeah, but based on recently. your... Yeah, oh, definitely recently. But even mm-hmm. in that period, I think that there were some, more like at the end of violence and stuff. I know that I'm not a big fan of that movie, uh, even though that movie had some predictive qualities as well. Um, but based on Colin's recommendation, I will find some time when I have time to watch that movie. <laughs> Shot yep. by one of my favorite cinematographers, Robbie Mueller. Mm. Yeah, it's a beautiful looking movie, too. 
Oh, great. Um, so we did not skip a movie by mistake. We were saving it to the end. It, it also came out at around this time, about a week before Until the End of the World and Grand Canyon and Naked Lunch, and that's Oliver Stone's JFK. And I think I'm just going to sit back and let Eric take the yes. <laughs> I'll give you the name of the big enchilada, you know. Then it's Bon Voyage Dino. I mean like poignant. I mean like a bullet in my head, you dig? Does that help you see my problem a little better? Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a flash of light in the bushes, and then shots rang out. No more cloak and dagger stuff, you know. They called it Operation Mongoose. It's gonna be okay, Dave. You just talk to us on the record and we'll protect you. I guarantee it. You're so naive. You found us in your office. We think the conference room is also about maybe the phones. I'm not cooperating here. I'm not cooperating here. Listen, there's a death warrant for me. Are the same people gonna kill us, Pop? Nobody's gonna kill us. Y'all gotta get into your minds how the hell the spooks think. Now, they're not ordinary crooks. Think the unthinkable. Question everything. Now, we're through the looking glass here, people. White is black, and black is white. I still remember going to see JFK this uh, during this Christmas holiday. Uh, that's when it opened uh, right in the middle of our Christmas vacation from high school. And I remember walking out of that movie... Uh, knowing something in me had changed. Um, just something I, like the, the experience of watching that movie realized that I, I, I should be questioning more things. Not that I was, I came out of some weird conspiracy nut, but that sometimes you were not given the full truth on things, especially when it comes to matters of, great importance like this and, and tales and Oliver Stone put together as many possible theories, facts, opinions into this three hour conglomerate movie that I think sh- sheds a spotlight on what I think is the greatest mystery that has ever occurred in human existence. I, I, I mean, if there is a mystery movie to be had, uh, it is JFK. Uh, the scope of this movie is just incredible. Him doing recreations of the event itself, uh, digging into you know court records and eyewitness testimony, uh, and and piecing these things together. And it's just, I mean, it's a it's a three hour, sixteen seventeen minute movie, and that has a director's cut on top of it that provide some more information there's even more information than that when you start going down the actual rabbit hole of information about this event and things that led up to it you'll find even more stuff that's even it's crazy and you could look at them as coincidences or you can look at them as you know maybe maybe something happened and it's 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 a remarkable film culturally as well, because th- I mean, I think this movie, for better or worse, uh, put the whole idea of conspiracy theory to the forefront of American society. And this movie was you know, criticized and broken down at the time, and I'm sure that it hasn't lost any of that in, in this last thirty years. But as a as a work, 
of American cinema, this I think is one of the great achievements uh, because of what it does when you when you're watching it and the the editing of this thing is second on this is one of the greatest edited pictures i think i've ever seen in my life because it has so much information in it and it has to you have to to, to you you can't be forgetting stuff in this movie and it's it's a movie where stone's newfound style uh melded just beautifully with the with the story he's trying to tell i mean you're talking about all-star cast uh, the, 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 I mean this. I mean this thing is just nuts. This thing is absolutely nuts. People just show up. That you I mean you see all these names show up in the opening credits, and then there's more people that show up, like John Candy and uh, Pesci and all all these people. Uh, and it's just it is engrossing from the. I mean the very opening montage of John Kennedy's career, leading up to the assassination the aftermath of it. I mean, just every moment of the historical facts in this movie are absolutely compelling. And then taking you down the rabbit hole of all of these theories, facts, physics, science, all these things that, that come into play. And you, you walk out it was for, again, for better or worse, you, you, I, I walked out of a very changed person because I didn't know what to believe in anything anymore. It's like a movie that you know turned me into a cynic. And again, this is something that I've studied. I I did a paper on it in high school about this entire event. Um, I've read things on both sides of this issue and having watched the movie again just within the last year, um, I the the film to me works on two levels. It works if you if you if you're a believer, it works obviously in putting all this information together and going like, well, clearly something is going on here. Uh, but if you're a non-believer, it, it sort of works as this, like this sort of examination of how conspiracies can formulate mm-hmm. in someone's mind. Uh, so if, if, even if you go, you think this movie is rubbish and you think it's feeding into the conspiracy culture, you can see what stone is doing and seeing how, it can manifest in someone's brain when two things don't add up to the, you know, what it should equal, what it should equal, then people start questioning everything. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a remarkable uh, achievement, I think on, on so many levels. And uh, yeah, it, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It, it, it really is. And I can understand why. <laughs> and it is, Definitely my favorite Oliver Stone movie. I think without question. Um, And it's interesting that we learned that the records related to the assassination will be released to the public in 2029. And that's the year where we're doing our final retrospective. (laughs) See, it's all tied together. (laughs) Some Um, of that stuff's already been released. I'm sure. I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I, I was actually reminded watching it too a little bit of Zodiac. Because of the obsessive mm-hmm. angle and trying to piece together a mystery, that that to me that's that's what speaks to me. It's like I want to get to the bottom of this, even if it means I, you know, papers are flying everywhere and I'm got file folders full of different information and lots of people are telling me different things and all that stuff. And yeah, the the, the casting is really ingenious here especially i mean gary oldman geez he was born to play lee harvey oswald 
He looks just like him. Uh, yeah, and then just like you know, choosing somebody like Brian Doyle Murray to play Jack Ruby, I just it's like this. It's so well cast and so well written and beautifully edited. And you're again, it's three hours, but it just flies by completely. Uh, I was thoroughly engrossed rewatching this this past week, and I watched it again late at night when I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna make it, but I did. And I still think it's one of the very best films of this year. Yeah, I um, I, I I like the movie. Um, it's, it's, it's nowhere near the profound effect on on me that it had on on you, Eric. But um, I I remember walking out of the theater with this movie and just being dizzy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> staggering out of the theater, going, yeah, "That was a lot of information to take <laughs> in." Oh yeah, I don't know if I got it all. Uh, I might be dumb. I don't know, <laughs> but um, but I mean that's kind of the design of it. It's throwing a lot of stuff at you. Now with subsequent viewings, it it feels more fluid to me now as I've gotten older and 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 have read more about it. And um, but uh, you know there 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 are moments in the movie where I just can't quite get on board with what Oliver Stone is is trying to feed me but i you know respectfully uh, you know uh take the, your point of view into consideration on that of what he's also trying to do um but uh you know it's i i i really do there there's a lot to admire about the movie and it is pretty staggering what what an achievement it is especially since he had another movie out this year like this didn't hmm. take three years to make really uh, you just went right into this after the doors and you managed to cram all this stuff into this movie and you, it was released before the end of the year. Uh, uh, I, I, that's amazing to me. Um, and I don't know the timeline isn't quite that condensed, but, uh, but still it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a lot to digest. It's certainly nothing more I can get into as far as debates at this point in the podcast when we've been talking for a good five and a half hours. <laughs> I'm, I'm like out of gas right now, but um, it happens. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I do. I do like the movie. I don't know what my favorite Oliver Stone movie is. I really don't. Uh, maybe Platoon. Nixon's maybe. really good. I'm looking forward to revisiting Nixon. Yeah. Maybe the hand. Maybe. What's that? The hand. <laughs> uh maybe born on the fourth of july maybe yeah. Yeah. i'm not sure what my favorite is those are all good ones jfk yeah. for me this is me yep mm-hmm. so what are our top 20 films because we're done yeah Woo-hoo! all right you can Let's go first go. colin okay Number 20, Man on the Moon. Number 19, Impromptu. Number 18, Bugsy. Number 17, oh, this is a movie we didn't talk about, Judo, um, which is uh, Zhang Yi Mao's film that I oh, okay. on. Uh, it really needs an upgrade. It needs a Blu-ray. It needs so many things because that DVD that's out there right now is garbage, but it's a great film. Uh, number 16 is Dogfight. Uh, 15, Boys in the Hood. 14, Naked Lunch. 13, Slacker. 12, Little Man Tate, uh, 11, Terminator 2, uh, number 10, City of Hope, number 9, The Rapture, number 8, The Commitments, number 7, Defending Your Life, number 6, Silence of the Lambs, number 5, L.A. Story, 
Number four, Hearts of Darkness. Number three, Barton Fink. Number two, Until the End of the World. And number one, The Fisher King. Excellent. And, and you can find that on the letter on my letterboxed page. At CD Suter, correct? Uh, just Colin Suter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, no nickname for me on there. JFK is in my top 30, just so you know. It is no, in my top 30. I, no criticism here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you need me to go, Eric? Or uh, no, I'll go. Okay, good. Um, okay, um, number twenty, White Fang. Number nineteen, City Slickers. Number eighteen, The People Under the Stairs. Mm. Number seventeen, The Commitments. Number sixteen, Doc Hollywood. Number fifteen, The Silence of the Lambs. Number fourteen, Boys in the Hood. Number thirteen, My Girl. Number twelve, Cape Fear. Number eleven, The Rocketeer. Number 10, The Fisher King. Number 9, Once Around. Number 8, Beauty and the Beast. Number 7, Hearts of Darkness. Number 6, L.A. Story. Number 5, Barton Fink. Number 4, Defending Your Life. Number 3, Dead Again. Number 2, Terminator 2. And number 1, JFK. So exciting to hear. (sighs) And we all have different number ones this year. How cool. All right, for me, number 20 is Dead Again. Number 19 is Slacker. 18, L.A. Story. 17, My Girl. 16, The Commitments. 15, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. 14, Life is Sweet. 13, The Silence of the Lambs. 12, City of Hope. 11, Homicide. Yes. Uh, 10, Hearts of Darkness, A Filmmaker's Apocalypse. Number nine, The Rapture. Number eight, Naked Lunch. Number seven, JFK. Number six, The Fisher King. Number five, The Double Life of Veronique. Number four, My Own Private Idaho. Number three, Defending Your Life. Number two, Trust by Hal Hartley. And number one, Barton Fink. Oh, we have one match. Number nine, Jim. You and I have the right. Yeah, just you two. Yep. Yeah, if I if I had seen the Rapture again, if I was brave enough to to watch the Rapture again, <laughs> it would probably make that list. I just I, I uh, yep. makes makes me uncomfortable. This was a good year. <laughs> I think it was definitely better than 1990. If memory uh, serves, the, the the stuff up top is very strong. I think on all of our lists. Yeah, um, I, I think a lot of stuff that you, we just talked about in those top twenty. I think there's a lot of strong stuff in there um again there's a lot of movie i mean it's, I, I talked about movies that i like or more than i love and just silence of the lambs was my number 15 so there you go yeah that makes sense the kind of year it was yeah. i don't have a clear memory again of 92 but i'm hoping it's a good year it's not uh. <laughs> Is. Maybe it is. I just don't like. I'm not excited about it. But uh, but there's a lot of stuff I'll be revisiting that I haven't seen in 30 years. I mean, more more stuff. It's not a year of movies I go back to very often. There's like one or two that I've seen many many times that I don't need to go back to. But oh. yeah, so I don't that'll know. be interesting for next year. Although yep. 93 is the year I'm most looking forward to. I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Where can we find your work? 
Colin? Um, I'm on RogerEbert.com, although I, I'm taking a month off from doing a short film article because I'm just too swamped right now. Um, so, But I'll have something up. But I just uh, wrote something about the end of uh, family video and the end of video stores in general. Great piece. Uh, Which is absolutely great. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yes. Thanks. Uh, so you can find that on RogerEbert.com. And you can also follow me on Facebook and you can follow me on Letterboxd. And uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm just not that active. But And you can listen to Christmas Movies Actually, which I do with Carrie Finnegan. And our upcoming episode, uh, we're going to delve into Mixed Nuts, and um, <laughs> which I haven't seen in 25 years at least. I <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, uh, but, uh, and then the month after that, we're doing Fanny and Alexander. So Yay. we're really running the gamut. <laughs> for, for sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you can hear me uh, also at the Now Play Network, uh, the Movie Madness podcast. Uh, we do movie reviews of all the new movies every week now and then do a whole bunch of other stuff with Blu-rays and with Sergio Mims and other special guests that we have on from time to time. Uh, this also at efilmcritic.com, uh, stuff that I do there uh, occasionally, link all the podcasts there as well. And uh, my appearances on Business First AM, which I'm on every Thursday morning at 5 a.m. on your on your television dial if you to look for look for that show and I do a segment there called movies and money every week and uh, yeah and that's about it and then on Twitter I'm Eric the movie man with a K Eric with a K wonderful you guys do great work and I'm very appreciative of not just uh, all that you do for podcasting but you know for friend for, for being a friend Thank yeah. You. yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> we all need friends in these times we do we do uh hopefully we can do this in person next year god fingers crossed. yeah listening to last year's episode which we did at the end of february it's just like oh my god we had no idea the end no. of the world around the corner <laughs> yes <laughs> it's just like it's so funny to listen to yeah um, i can imagine yeah though i think that i'm looking you know looking over 92 right now and uh uh, I, I can't opt for a lot of greatness, but I think there's going to be a lot of fun. That's what I'm year. thinking. Yeah. I don't, okay. know a lot, yeah. I don't know if there's a lot of high highs throughout, but there are some. They're at least going to be good. Con- oh, there will be conversation for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. And everybody stay tuned because my n- another bonus episode's coming your way. This time featuring uh, writer, director, actor Keith Gordon. And we're going to talk about underrated films of the 1970s for his uh, yearly visit here to Directors Club, which is uh, something I'm still in shock happens, <laughs> which I'm very grateful for. But um, obviously, DirectorsClubPodcast.com to listen to all the bonus episodes and regular director-centric episodes. And visit me at Letterboxd, now playing Jim. That's about it. Thanks, everybody, for listening and sticking around for this long. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Because I love you now.